Welcome to RPG Sites RPG of the Year for 2020. It has been a long, weird, crazy year, but it is that time again. Over the course of the next several hours, the RPG Sites staff is going to deliberate, discuss, debate, and dispute our site selections for the best RPG of 2020. My name is Brian Vitale, and you may have heard my voice before if you've listened to our seemingly weekly TetraCast podcast, but this isn't a typical episode of that show. I'm joined here today by some frequent and some not-so-frequent podcast regulars and other site contributors. First and foremost, we have my boss and RPG site co-founder, Alex Donaldson. Hello. It's great to actually finally be back on the cast again, even though it's been like, I think, probably since last year's Game of the Year thing. No, no, <laughs> actually, been pretty crazy. you were on once uh, in April-ish to talk Final Fantasy VII Remake. And of course, yeah, which I'm sure yep. we'll be talking about more today. But yes, hello, hello. I'm also joined by James Galizio. Hey, folks. Josh Torres. Hi, everyone. George Foster. Hey, guys. Adam Vitale. Hello. And Colin Black. Confidential email. Don't mention in your opening statement that Cold Steel 4 is going to win RPG site game of the year. Oh, God damn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you should read it the next paragraph. I'm sorry. Sorry. No, it's cool to have everyone in here. We uh, Obviously, some of these voices, if anyone uh, listening is a regular follower of our podcast, you've heard some of these voices before, uh, and some of them it's been a while, like for Alex and Cullen. So 2020, despite all the adversity it brought, has been a pretty big year for RPGs in general, which means it's been obviously a big year for RPG site, highlighted, of course, by the fact that we finally got our hands on the long-awaited Final Fantasy VII remake, as as mentioned. Uh, other other things we had, like Yakuza became a full fledged turn based RPG, and seemingly worked out well. How well we'll have to decide. Uh, we saw the surprising splash of games like Genshin Impact come out of seemingly nowhere. Strong remasters like Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, and remakes like Demon Souls. We also welcome the new console generation and all the excitement and chaos that that brings. As a site, we revived our podcast, the Tetracast, and we've managed to run that weekly since February. We've had a strong year for new contributors like Colin and George, and also Danny Maddox, who uh, couldn't be here today, but has provided her own uh, features and reviews and has contributed on uh, the news front for the site. We started more regular uploads to our YouTube channel with our casual mode series. The site now has a dark mode. That is like a highlight of the year. Yes, it's the, really the biggest. I news. love it. So much complaining before we got that. RPG site had a record year in many ways, and of course, that all comes down to the support of our readers and listeners. And finally, I've left a spot here to give a wholly deserved shout out to Mike Chittenden, who is RPG site's silent foundation that keeps everything running smoothly from behind the scenes. We would literally not be here without him. So we always shout out a lot to Mike. Yeah, shout outs to Mike. He's amazing. Just incredible. Yeah, he's just always killing it behind the scenes, basically, like literally 10 minutes before I came on on this, uh, we were chatting about various things that need to be done before the end of the year. He's always on it, which is awesome. Well, our best te like tech support person, like one of the best tech supports you can ask for, like anytime we have a problem with the site, he's very like on it right away. He's like, oh, what's up? What's going on? Just 
and sorry to just to just steal something here from uh, Brian, but I just want to squeeze something in and say, if you're listening to this relatively soon after it was posted, within, say, a week or two, um, we are running a bit of a reader survey, which will be up shortly after we record this, so before it goes live for everyone. Um, we're just looking for some feedback about what we've done in 2020 and what we're going to do in 2021. So if you enjoy the podcast, you enjoy the website, you enjoy the social media feeds, whatever, uh, think about going and filling that out. You'll be able to find it through our Twitter feed or through the front page of the site. Yes, please. We would love to hear from you. And the survey takes like less than three minutes. So it's not a big time. Infinite. And it's the first time we've ever really done a survey like that. So I'm ex- eager and excited and interested and a little bit scared <laughs> to see uh, what people have to say about the site now that we've finally given them a platform to do so. I'm interested interested to hear if uh, some of the feedback will be, tell Colin to stop writing long reviews. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely not going to ever stop doing that that's oh, just, it's in our nature i'm sorry now in case you're new to the site uh, or you don't remember from last year rpg sites end year features are threefold first we have our reader's choice poll which uh, at the time of this recording has already been running throughout the month of december which basically gathers all of your picks for your favorite game of 2020 along with your most anticipated game of next year 2021 Second, we also have our staff publish our own feature about the most anticipated games of next year. And then finally, we have what we're here for today, which is our main RPG of the year feature, which again, we will basically have a whole list of everything we've covered throughout the year. We will pare it down to a top 10, basically the, the, the overall category of commendable releases for the year, followed by narrowing that down to a top five. And then an overall winner at the end, our RPG of the year for 2020. So how this is going to work is that we're going to have a master list. Now, this master list has not had any sort of editing to it. It is basically wholly comprehensive as we know it. It could be new releases, obviously, major DLCs, remasters, uh, upgraded ports, anything. We have not made any decisions yet about what is allowable to be RPG of the year. So all that discussion is going to happen here in the moment. So... You'll be able to witness all of it. Now, before we get started, there are some housekeeping notes before we get into the discussion. First of all, this is for RPGs released in 2020, English releases, as the coverage of our site is English-centric. So, Damn, uh, won't be able to talk about Labyrinth of Galleria. Right. So obviously games, games like Persona 5 Strikers, which came out this year in Japan, but not until next year in an official English capacity... For us, that'll be on deliberations for next year's decision. So this is English releases, official English releases from 2020. And then second, uh, the cutoff of eligible games is anything released before December. So games like Cyberpunk 2077 are not under consideration. Again, that'll be next year, which, <laughs> based on everything going on, might work <laughs> to Cyberpunk's advantage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to take a moment now to basically read down the list of games under considerations. Uh, so this is just basically to set the table of everything that is basically allowable in the discussion. Of course, if anyone on the cast feels like something is missed and clearly eligible, like this is not ironclad, it should be pretty comprehensive. But I'm going to go ahead and read all of the games that released this year that will be covered throughout the next several hours. All right, here we go. We have... 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, Ark of Alchemist, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, The Atelier Dust Trilogy Deluxe Pack, Baldur's Gate 3 and Early Access, Brigadine The Legend of Runerzia, Bug Fables The Everlasting Sapling on Consoles, Demon Souls The Remake. 
Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Dragon Mark for Death, released on PC. Fey Tactics. Fairy Tale. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Genshin Impact. Godfall. Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Grounded. Hades. Hellpoint. Hero Must Die Again. Higurashi When They Cry. Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Ikenfell. Immortals Phoenix Rising. Actually, you can take out Immortals because that's a December release. Ah, good call. This must have been added on the list before all of the rules were put in place. Did George sneak that in? Mm. I was going to, but I actually didn't. <laughs> Next year for sure. Continuing on, we have Iron Danger. Katana Kami, A Way of Samurai Story. Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind. Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. Langreaser 1 and 2. Maneater. Marvel's Avengers. Minecraft Dungeons. Monster Hunter World Iceborne released on PC this year, believe it or not. Moon, Mortal Shell, Neo 2, Other Side, Paper Mario the Origami King, Persona 4 Golden's PC port, Persona 5 Royal, Fantasy Star Online 2, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team, DX, Kearney 1 and 2 Exploded and Reloaded, Robotics Notes Elite and Dash, Rune Factory 4 Special, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, Sakura Wars, Signs of the Sojourner, Snack World the Dungeon Crawl Gold, Star Renegades, Steins Gate My Darlings Embrace for Nintendo Switch, Story of Seasons Friends of Mineral Town, Sword Art Online Alicization, Lycoris, Lysaurus? One of those? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Summer and Mara, The Outer Worlds released on Nintendo Switch, the Outer Worlds Peril and Gorgon DLC. Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE Encore. Trails of Cold Steel 3 released on PC and Switch. Trails of Cold Steel 4. Treachery in Beatdown City. Trials of Mana. Utawaramono Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth for PC. Utawaramono Prelude to the Fallen. Vampire the Masquerade Shadows of New York. Void Terrarium. Wasteland 3. Labyrinth of Lost Souls released on PC, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, Yakuza Like a Dragon, You Know, A Girl Who Chants Love at the Bounds of This World. <laughs> so that's the last one on the list. What a one to end it on. Now, before we continue, first of all, what a list. What a, what a list of games. Now, is there anything on there that anyone has any comments about that seems like weird or that I missed or out of place or, or, or anything incorrect? Uh, when did Uno come out? Was that December of last year? That was January, I think. What I think? I thought it All was right. no. It says October. It was actually, October oh. last year. Oh, oh never mind. The review was late, so Oops. that's why it's on here. Uh, I mean, I'm okay clowning on that game. We can keep it there. <laughs> just to go. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, we can cut it if it's if the release date is already like October of last year. We can cut it. Uh, right, so it, it must have made it on the list because the review got delayed for our white. I don't know why that coverage into <laughs> into uh, into this year's cat uh, into this year's window. So all right, we will immediately take one off the list. Well done. We're already getting started. For what it's worth, Colin gave that a four out of ten. So I don't think it was going far. <laughs> Speaking of which, good. can we can we uh, 
Can we We're sentence Ark of Alchemists to death by firing squad already? <laughs> well, no, not, not yet. Uh, that's, we're not, not there yet. Yeah, now, yeah, all right. So before we get too, like, lost in ourselves already, cutting down the list, uh, the first major segment of our podcast is actually going to be our category awards. Now, in previous years, we've called these commendations, but the general idea is the same. So we have, is it six? We have seven categories because we added one this year of basically specific ways in that we want to recognize games in a particular facet, even though these games might not end up being considered for our main list of RPG of the year. But I did want to go into it. I wanted to kind of like sit, go through the whole list first, just to set the table to everything that's going to be in discussion. So the categories are basically games that have a particular strength that we think is rewarding on that specific merit. So these are this is guess going to be our first major segment of the podcast. So here are the following category awards that we are going to decide. I'm just going to roll through them pretty quickly. We have a category for best writing and storytelling. We have combined this into one category. So anything that we feel strongly about on a narrative basis, it can be story, plot, characters, themes, motifs, anything that we feel strongly about on that front. We'll have a category for best art. Uh, more more self-explanatory, best visual presentation, general artwork, anything that is, you know, a feast for the eyes. Category for best music, obviously also pretty straightforward, best soundtrack, best vocal themes, motifs, anything with uh, a soundtrack worth commending. We have a category for best design and immersion. Now, this one is admittedly up to some interpretation. It's basically our particular facet of the game, a specific system that is worth commending, such as a sense of atmosphere or a game being more than the sum of its parts or how well a game can make you feel immersed in it or specific design intent that's worth recognizing. Uh, so that one will be an interesting one to get to, to see like exactly why the nominations were made and because it'll be a different reason for every game on there. We have a category for best ongoing support. This can be a multiplayer-focused game that has seen, obviously, continuous releases through this year to keep players engaged. Or it could be a single-player game that has just kept the game you know, installed on our hard drives through whether it's DLC or live updates. And obviously, these games can either have released early this year or, or in prior years. We have a category for best non-RPG. Uh, now, non-RPG is admittedly a bit messy. Because we are a genre website for a genre that is as kind of personal and nebulous as drawing the lines around what an RPG is. So these are games that uh, we feel might not be, quote unquote, RPG enough to be considered in the main list. Or obviously our staff does not play exclusively RPGs. We play a little bit of everything. So these are games that we thought really strongly of. And now we have an, a chance that we have a place for them here to, to commend them, even though we can't really consider them in good faith as an RPG of the year consideration. And then for a new category that is new as of this year is a best re-release. Now re-release is a general term that can consider uh, remasters, upgraded ports, even good PC versions, anything of that nature. Now, the reason why we decided on having this category this year, it's kind of been something that's been incubating for a while. Like for instance, last year we saw the release of Dragon Quest XI S on Nintendo Switch. And it's a game we thought really highly of and scored it a 10 for that version of the game. But it was absent from our RPG of the Year deliberations because we had already discussed it at length prior the previous year in 2018 for its initial release. So we didn't really have a place for that either. So now we kind of have a place to call out games that, yes, technically did not first release in 2020, but had a remaster, re-release, something of that nature. And now we can, can kind of give it its due here. 
Any questions? Yeah. Also, just for the listeners as well, uh, keep in mind that we're going to be openly talking about games, like everything about them. So there will be spoilers. We're not going to be like blatant about like, oh, this is exactly what happens at the end. But, you know, if that comes up in the flow of conversation, just keep in mind that all of these games are, you know, open to spoilers just being in this uh, podcast. Right. We're not going to like indulge and specifically just dig up everything for no reason. But if it comes up in the flow of substantiating why we believe a game is in our top group, then obviously we're going to talk about it. All right. So let's go back to our first category, which is writing and storytelling. And we've kind of have a pre-populated list of nominations based from the site staff that we've collected over the last couple of weeks. Now, this isn't ironclad. If there's a game that you feel strongly about that is missing, go ahead and make your case and tell me why we should include it. So the current nominations for best writing and storytelling are 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Wasteland 3, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Hades, and then Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, specifically Patch 5.3. All right, so let's just go down the list. 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, and I believe I will hand this off to our reviewer of the game, Josh Torres. I don't know if you're the one that specifically nominated this or if many people would have if you didn't, but I think it's writing and storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, this entire game, like the legacy of it, moving, uh, going down the line is probably it's going to be its structure in writing and storytelling. 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim is, uh, has been a long time coming. It's the newest game from Vanillaware is uh, published and released by Atlas uh, this year. And it is one of the most incredible games I've ever played, especially in this writing and storytelling aspect. Uh, when you first uh, open the game, it'll go through a linear set of uh, you know storytelling uh, segments, then ba- battle tutorial, storytelling, battle tutorial, uh, kind of getting you a, f- a feel of like, what this game is all about. This game is uh, ma- its strength is is in its adventure. Essentially, there a lot of it is like um, almost a visual novel esque presentation, but you can fully interact like when you're playing through the storytelling segments, going from uh, one place to another, and just learning about what uh, the the protagonists are going through at the moment. This game is set uh, somewhere like I believe in the mid seventies J- Japan. Um, uh, at the start, and uh, slowly as you go through the game, you unlock these 13 protagonists. Once the prologue has conclu- concluded, um, the game does a really, really neat thing where no matter how you proceed through the game, there are three distinct parts. There's like the adventure section, the battle section, and the like the glossary encyclopedia section. And no matter how you decide to proceed, like you're never you never feel like that you're like proceeding in the wrong order because of the way that the game smartly decides to dish out events. So when you go through the uh, adventure mode, you have these, uh, like, at first you start out with seven protagonists and you unlock the others uh, as you progress. But at any time, you can pick a protagonist, one of them, and then you get like a bite-sized chunk of like the part of their story. And then you'll you'll learn a lot of new things about it. But it's like like maybe a 20 to 30 minute segment. So it's easily like digestible. And then you can either decide, okay, do I want to continue more on their path or do I want to go to someone uh, someone else's? And they do a really smart thing where 
they kind of leave like a, a breadcrumb trail uh, along these uh, stories where you'll go through someone like, uh, and then you'll learn so- something about someone else and you're like, oh my God, like how did that person get there or why is this person involved? And then uh, all of a sudden after you're done with that, you might unlock like this person's story. It's like, I want to go there next. And no matter how you decide to kind of weave uh, along this narrative la- labyrinth, you're never too far lost in it that like you can't comprehend anything anymore. It, it's, it's digestible enough where you're like kind of piecing things together without feeling like, oh no, they've totally lost me. Uh, I think it's it's insane how Vanillaware has kind of made, made a game that's it's definitely like a like I said in my preview, like a cauldron of sci-fi tropes coming together, like almost literally every sci-fi trope you can uh, think of kind of going to this melting pot and what comes out of it is something brilliant. Like it's something that's comprehensible. It's something that's smartly written, something that's something that comes together so so well that you just come out of it and you're just like, I I can't believe they did it. You're just in you're like you're in awe that like a game like this exists. Now, I don't want to be um, I don't want to be overly reductive, but as someone who has not played the game and that'll be that'll be basically a common trend throughout the discussions here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's impossible for all seven of us to have played all 70 games on this list. (laughs) Uh, But so we will have people multiple and hopefully in most every case, basically making their case for every game for the other half of us who have not played it. Now, as someone who has not played 13 Sentinels Ages for him, it sounds like and again, I don't want to be overly reductive, but this is a game that has narratives and storytelling at its forefront, despite the fact that it is highly nonlinear, which is just just in a single sentence, that's very commendable. Because sometimes if you have a nonlinear game, it just ends up with this messy storytelling when you get when you leave too much to the player and then the through line ends up becoming blurry. That does you can not say saga. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, it is for the way it's trying to present its story, it is one of the most nonlinear progressions that you can go through because it's everyone has a different journey whenever they go through 13 Sentinels because they go through it at a different pace. Like whether they decide, you know, I want to focus on these story first and then do some battles and then to continue these stories, or I want to see this person's story all the way through before a story lock. Like however you decide to progress through it, you will have different, a different mindset, different revel- like pace of revelations revealed to you, and it somehow still comes together of just like, wow, I knew something about this prior to like this happening. While another person, like, I had no idea this was coming because of the way I progressed through this. But that's fine, you know, because the game allows for that. It, it makes you feel accomplished that you've. Uh, experience it the way that you wanted it to. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and loop around us to the other games. Obviously, we will return back to Aegis uh, Rim with other people who have played it, but I just kind of want to kind of set the premise for every game on this mm-hmm. list. Right. So yeah, that's what I wanted so to do. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, go to Final Fantasy VII Remake. So who wants to talk about the writing? I don't, again, I'm not sure who nominated this. The nominations were uh, anonymous. But I think it's very clear to see why this one would have been nominated, obviously, as a retelling, reimagining of a story that Many of us hold dear, but of course, is also one that is new to several of us as well. So maybe I'll hand this off to uh, Mr. Final Fantasy about why Final Fantasy VII Remake deserves a writing and storytelling category award. Well, crikey. Um, <laughs> I did write this in, uh, and I just think what they accomplish is hugely, hugely impressive in terms of 
when they announced the game, I think many of us had doubts about the idea of only telling a section of the story, um, a, a section of that narrative piece of the original game. And it's like, where does that leave character arcs, for instance? And yet what they've managed to do is every character feels like they have a complete arc in this game that is unique and separate from the arc they have in the original game. In some cases, it echoes it, but that's the first thing. And I think, you know, this isn't even just about cutscenes. It's about the whole game. So, like, a great example is battle dialogue, where it's like the the battle banter between Barrett and Cloud changes significantly over the course of the game, where they almost flip roles at the start of the game. You'll finish a battle and Barrett will will compliment cloud and say, wow, that was impressive. And cloud will say something like that was nothing, whatever. (laughs) Um, And when you get to later on in the game, as the, as those two characters sort of get to know each other and and become friends, you then have that situation reverse where in the later bit of the game, you have, you have these characters actually. Barrett is, is, shrugging off a compliment from cloud about how well he fought in that last fight. And I absolutely, I just, I just adore it. I just think it's brilliantly written. And that is not also to mention, um, this isn't something that it would impact most people, but the localization is insanely good with respect to that. There is a difference between translation and localization. And I think an interesting thing about the fact that final fantasy seven had that quite famously, rushed i'm not going to say bad because the people who did it did it well the guy who did it did it on an incredibly short timeline but the original game had that rushed sort of you know all over the place original translation but many aspects of that original translation are now iconic so the localization team had to try and keep some of those threads while being true to the japanese and some of the changes they make while subtle are just great like yeah they're just they're just really some of them are just really 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 good um but if you're just looking for doing an excellent job with the material they had ff7 remake is that no that's a great premise for uh and a reason why something should be nominated uh on this list here the third one on the list is wasteland 3 which is one i can speak to because i nominated it uh so wasteland 3 I believe Adam and I are the ones that have played that one here. I nominated it mainly specifically for its tonality, not really for its front-to-end plot or it's the through line of its story, but just because of the way it kind of makes you feel as you are progressing through the world established there. So it is post-apocalyptic, but I feel like in a lot of games, the post-apocalyptic world is either like incredibly dire or played off like in, a, in an almost irreverent, silly manner. Where Wasteland 3 really doesn't do that. It kind of paints it in a very grounded fashion where these are these are ways that people would vie for power in such a world and how there is no such thing as an easy decision to make when everything is so volatile and you've got people who are trying to, you know, they're only out for themselves. And it's a type of RPG. It's a Western RPG, obviously, where there is really no way to play heroically. There is no Mass Effect Paragon Renegade here. It's oh man, I've got two decisions and they're both like laundered with good and bad outcomes of this decision. So it's it's just, 
it's a sort of tonality that kind of permeates through that whole game about depravity, about allocation of resources, about trying to make the best path through a very shitty world and a very terrible situation. So I nominated it on on that front. I think the part of your review that it kind of most succinctly puts it um, is that it's a game about concessions and acceptable losses. Like any decision you make, there's going to be something that you're giving up. And so there is no obvious like, oh, if you pick this option and this option and this option, then you get the perfect outcome for everybody. That doesn't exist. So that's kind of baked into the whole writing and all the different factions and their different goals. And yes, there are a lot of really shitty people in this game, but kind of making your way through it and trying to, you know, you can play as an evil person too, but like if you try to play as like a good hero, it is very hard. And the game basically is deliberate in that sense. Well, I also want to say I've played that too. And I just want to quickly add, um, I thought the trailers for that for, for Wasteland 3 were a bit of a nightmare, like the tone in the trailers. It just totally put me off the game. It is so much better executed in the actual game. I, I actually such a agree different... with you. Yeah, the, uh, my opening, I'm the one that reviewed it for the site, and my opening couple paragraphs, my review on that was late. And I, one of the reasons I gave was that the trailers never sold me because they had this weird, like, semi-humorous tone that just didn't really work. And then the game doesn't really have that. So it's kind of like a marketing misfire. I'd agree. Well, it has it. Um, oh, sorry. I was. Just, I, I just want to say, from the perspective of someone who has not played this game, but uh, worked at GameStop when this game was, you know, when they were showing trailers for this game, the trailers make it look very bad. And with you all talking about, it, I kind of do want to give this a shot at some point. It is way better than trailers. Well, it is on Game Pass, right? <laughs> so I mean, shout outs there. Yep. The next game on the list is Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, I feel like several of us here have played this, and uh, who wants to talk about it? Uh, I can talk about it. Do you want to talk about uh, about it, George? I, I'd like to talk about it briefly from a newcomer's perspective. Because sure, yeah, go for it. I, I've, I've played Yakuza 6 before, uh, and I love that, but that was, just, that was just a one-off. I haven't played the rest of the series, really. Uh, and I went into Like a Dragon not really knowing what to expect, and I came away from it thinking it. this is spoilers for the rest of the podcast, but it is one of my personal picks for Game of the Year, and it's mainly because of the story. Um, and I know that Josh has gone on record to say that the last couple of hours are very plot-heavy for the past Yakuza games. You do kind of need to know a bit about it, but I didn't, and I absolutely adored it. Uh, it really just... it it sings for its characters. Like each one is a fantastic protagonist, uh, the complete opposite of Kiryu. And that's, that, that's good. That's, that's really cool to see. Um, and just the to... story it tells. It's... I think I knew what you meant, but when you say like each is a fantastic protagonist and the opposite of Kiryu, I had to like double take what you meant. Like you're not calling Kiryu a not awesome protagonist, but just very different from each no, no, Of course. Uh, Kiryu's awesome <laughs> in his own way. Um, we, we, we're all big fans of him, but the way that each one is written as an emotional character, uh, particularly towards the end of the game, and the way he just he he speaks on his, what's on his mind, he tells people he cares. He goes headfirst into battle, not as a hard ass, but just as kind of like yeah, like gets his gets his feelings out there. It's just a different vibe for Yakuza, um, even from my limited playtime of it, and it is fantastic. It just works so well. Uh, yeah. I, 
I want to say that it's it's awesome that this is a game about um, mostly about a bunch of middle aged dudes um, who the best bit of their life is behind them. Like that is, I think, the thing that I take away mostly from this narrative is that the first three characters that you're introduced to, um, and of course, you know, primarily, you know, with the lead, you're in this situation where when you can, you, when you compare that to Kiryu, Kiryu is this rising star and he's awesome. Um, but here you have a character who has spent the best years of his life in prison. And that's really interesting and really different. It doesn't happen in video games. So I love that for it narratively. Yeah, I, the storytelling, this is very impressive to me. Uh, not even just like Ichiban himself, but like through, through each of the characters. Uh, it is definitely one of the best, like fall from grace and then coming back from rock bottom stories, you know, to get to where you want to be uh, type of narratives. Uh, going from, you know, from Kiryu to Ichiban was, um, I imagine, like a humongous task for RGG Studio. And, you know, by and large, they were successful with having this new protagonist because he resonates so well with people who play this game. It's a very uh, optimistic game in, in a time where, you know, the times were pretty dire. So it was, it was nice to have this breath of like positive, fresh air. Uh, I'm not going to say that every single story beat was like done like super well in this game, but there is a core like human story in this game about family, about community, about kind of just. What what it means to really like, w- like communicate with one another, trying to understand each other, and trying to overcome like everything that's uh, everything that life is firing your way. You kind of have to push through it and trying to make the best of what you have. And I think Yakuza Seven or Yakuza Like a Dragon is like one of the most like impactful stories about just g- getting through or dealing with what you have. And tying it all back to Dragon Quest along the way, <laughs> and it's and it's something Which, that the game you know, could only ever do because uh, of its new design, where it has like obviously the party members being an intricate part of the story, allowing it to take like that different narrative tact. Yeah, and then like Alex said, that like it's awesome that like this is this is a game that has like one of the highest like age ranges when it comes to like JRPGs. So like the way you communicate like one to one, heart to heart with like your people, it's just like go to the pub or go to the bar <laughs> yeah. and just drink with them and be like, yeah, what's going on, man? It's like, that's that's amazing. That's awesome. The next uh, nomination is Hades. So, uh, George, tell me about Hades and its writing and storytelling. Uh, so, Hades is the game of the year. Sorry, guys. Podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> uh, no, but I will, I will say this for Hades. Uh, besides its fantastic gameplay, which we'll get onto it later, just the story it tells and the characters the present there they're all like literally there is not a single one that isn't fantastic that doesn't make you laugh that doesn't make you care about them and you go through this game dying countless times and you don't mind because you every time you die you get a new piece of story you get a new character coming up you get another chance to go piss off hades it's it's fantastic um i think this one when we get to design and immersion it's really going to that's going to be a very interesting point because I think the way it works with the story and the gameplay together is particularly noteworthy. But just Zagreus, Zagreus's story is just so interesting. Uh, there's a reason everyone's talking about it. I'd say. Well, put. And to add, if I add on to that, like I, it 
we'll get into it more when we talk more into detail about these games, but I really just like the way that they contextualize why, you know, the roguelike structure is so fitting for this game. Like they were able to weave the narrative into this roguelike structure and make it compelling. It makes you want to go through this again and again and again because there is like a, a like a de- definite story that you want to see unfold every time you're like to, whether you fail or be successful, like you'll get something out of it every time and you just want to see that narrative unfold no matter what. I would say usually to to carry on for that, usually in a roguelike you're you're going through it again and again because you care about yourself, you care about getting to the end, you care about the loot you're gonna get, you care about beating the game. But I think in Hades the twist is you don't really care about like getting to the end for your sake, you care about getting to the end for Zagreus's sake. You want him to achieve his goal. And then when you do it the first time and realize why he's doing it, you want to do it nine more times, ten more times, twenty more times. You just you never really want to stop playing, which is largely in part due to the characters and the story. And the last nomination, I believe this was a late one, uh, Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers 5.3. I'll hand it off to I'll... Final Fantasy XIV, James. Tell me about yes. 5.3. Yeah, so if, you, if you've listened to the Tetracast at all this year, or I guess more specifically for the first half of the year, then you'll know that I, this, if there's one game that's kind of defined my 2020, uh, it's uh, been Final Fantasy XIV. Finally got into it. And uh, Patch 5.3 was the first one that I got to experience as it went live. Uh, I was basically playing catch up up until then. And uh, you, you really just need to look at what the reception has been to Patch 5.3 to really get a sense for just how well it nailed it. So if you don't play 14, the best way to describe it is, is that the way that the post-expansion patch structure works is that the first three major patches for, um, <clears throat> for each expansion are basically kind of wrapping up loose ends. And then like the last two for each expansion are kind of like setting up and transitioning to the next expansion. So 5.3, despite the fact that there is like an end to the story in Shadowbringers, the real end to the Shadowbringers story was in 5.3. And gosh. So I don't even think we talked about this too much last year on the Game Year cast because like none of us that were on there at the time had played it. But Shadowbringers story on its own is just amazing. And like people say, oh, it's amazing for an MMO, but it's like even if it wasn't an MMO, I've seen many people say- <clears throat> saying that it's probably one of the best Final Fantasy stories in general. And 5.3 just absolutely nails it and manages to tie up all of these loose ends. And there's just so many like emotional beats that players like they've like invested hundreds of hours into this game are just going to ball their eyes out. It's just really hard to kind of talk about because you have like literally have hundreds like literally hundreds of hours of storytelling leading up to some of these but as a like an mmo narrative experience it's just unmatched james did you cry at the end of 5.3 yes okay i cried when i got to the end of uh, a realm reborn because the bad part was finally done (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we've basically set up the premise for each game, and now we have the hard task of picking one of these. Oh, um, Searching Sentinels. Uh, I was actually going to, because um, I thought you mentioned we could maybe 
ask if a game can be added to the list during this discussion. If not, that's fine. You can cut this, but uh, go ahead and shoot. Um, so I, I, I didn't want to bring up two cause I feel like that would just seem unfair. Uh, and I was, cause I was deciding between if I wanted persona five Royal to get on here, but I feel like I'd be laughed out. Um, but I guess would Xenoblade count? Uh, I mean, both of them can be talked about. Like it's not even going to be laughed out. It's they're, they're both worth discussing in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, personally persona five Royals new content. And I know, um, I know Adam disagrees with me on that, and that's fine. Uh, but Persona 5 Royal's new content is, I think, the best story content in the entire Persona series. Like, they got a completely new writer's team for Royal, and it really shows, like, it is, like, I, and I'm someone, I like the story in Persona 5. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it resonates with me uh, on a, like, nostalgic and emotional level. But Royal's new content, and especially the new villain they have, which I'm not going to spoil and say, like, you know, what the new villain is, but just, like, it's a very personal story at the end, and it manages to take everything that does work in Persona 5 and just focus on that and introduces new ideas. It's genuine, like, I, I, I sat in my living room for about, a, I want to say two weeks, basically, <laughs> playing this game nonstop when I was reviewing it for us. And the 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 new characters, the new characterization for older characters, all the little things Royal adds really fleshes out Persona Five, and it makes it my fa- not only my favorite Persona fa- Persona game ever made, but it's my favorite Persona story. Period. And I it br- goes back to like some of the quality of Persona One and Two's storytelling when those games are at their best. And if this is the team that's going on to write the next entries in the Persona series, I think we're in pretty good dang hang hangs hands happens <laughs> <laughs> to the best of us. i have not played it. persona 5 royal but i have played xenoblade chronicles definitive edition which i think is a really strong story i just i'm gonna say right now i don't think it should win this list mainly just because it's as soon as a game is re- if, if a game with the best story ever made pretend that game exists and has a universal opinion that everyone agrees if it's re-released does it automatically just win that category um that's fair yeah and then, I just, then, then I just the new story and, no it's that's a fair uh, the new story in xenoblade chronicles definitive edition i don't think it's bad i just don't think it's commendable to stand with these titans uh, oh yeah that's fair the, the epilogue or whatever, whatever they call that i forget the no i d- i also did not care for the new story but i think because this was my first time playing xenoblade chronicles to uh completion and that story the the themes it brings up like like just fear in the unknown. There's some stuff about like you know the Xeno series also always touches on like different allegories of like xenophobia and stuff like that. Um, I think that the way Xenoblade Chronicles handles the theme of the cycle of violence is so strong that, and I think that's one of the reasons why things like Last of Us Two felt felt so short and just feel like acid. Even sorry, George, where. <laughs> Like the cycle of violence is a very cliche theme, and I think Xenoblade Chronicles is one of the only games I've played personally that gets that right, and it does so to like such an impressive way where you don't even realize that that's what it's going for for most of the game because the premise of Xenoblade is a very typical RPG revenge story, and you're rooting for the characters to get their revenge up until the point where, like, you know, the shoe drops and it's like. Hey, that's not what 
you should want and that's not how you should approach these and then you it's like a perspective switch i guess without you know spoiling too much well, and i do want to pers- remind you that we are allowed to spoil things if you decide not to that's fine but it's it's not yeah I'd like to not, um, I'd like to not spoil anything if I can, if I can help it. But I think that the moment where you realize what Xenoblade Chronicles is actually about is one of my favorites in an RPG story. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'll have a better chance to mention this, so I'll mention it now. I actually kind of liked what, how they approached the future connected epilogue. Basically, Melia, the character Melia in the original game kind of got, like the short end of the stick and that her like personal issues and problems were never really like concluded or resolved. It was just sort of like, well, that's shitty. Um, that's how it ends up for her. Okay. Uh, so I, they basically approached this epilogue to be like, this is what would have happened if the game had a touched on these topics originally, like back in 2010, rather than some like Marvel universe, like connection, like what happens, in, you know, in the future of the Xenoblade universe or something. What but shock it's Rex. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm so happy. So like the, the core of the, the new content is it focuses on Melia and also new, another character, Tyrea, who's important in the game. And it touches on like the future of the Hyentia, her race and how these two characters sort of like reconcile their losses and kind of build a future together. Um, that's that's as, the um the best part of the epilogue, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, exactly. The 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 the, the storyline about like what the new villain or enemies are in that in that story is not really explained and not really the reason. No, it's but, really like, yeah. But the, how these two characters basically like butt heads and sort of reconcile, I think, is really well done, and it feels it mostly feels obviously it came ten years later, but like this should have been sort of addressed initially because it, it, it kind of felt like just a. Uh, a forgotten thread originally so i'm really kind of glad that they had they took the opportunity to address it and it feels mostly natural like you know this is uh what it should have been so i agree with that but I, that. I, I really i really like the 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 kind of the buddy has the political intrigue and all like the how, how class systems kind of uh interact with each other in that epilogue and what, yeah, what so, kind of, like spawns from that I just think it's really heartwarming. Like throughout the game, these are going to be actual spoilers. Like Melia loses her father, she loses her brother, she loses her kingdom, but in the end, she gains a sister. And I think that just kind of like finally something goes her way. And that's really yeah. nice. Melia got screwed over. She loses her love interest. And so, yeah, uh, <laughs> unless anyone feels strongly about this, I'm going to cross this off the list. I think we've given it its its due, but I also just feel that it's just. It would be a disservice to the other games released this year to yeah, like if we could go uh, back in yeah. time and imagine what RPG site would have awarded in 2010, I think Xenoblade Chronicles would have been up there. And my oh, personal yeah. take of this so is that this is the one game that made me tear up at the end. Happy tears. Not many games do that. I've had sad tears. You know, the Final Fantasy X ending hits all of us, but this is one game where I cry at the end out of happiness. And not, I think it's the only one I can say that. So the the end theme. Gets that yeah. emotional response out of me too and i can say the exact same like oh it's so good uh right. I'll, t- I'll talk a, l- a little bit more about uh persona 5 royal because I-, I know this probably won't make the list but uh you know i recently just completed like about two days ago i started like at the beginning of december and then 110 hours later i'm like all right i'm done <laughs> thank god but uh persona 5 royal is really like I, I agree mostly with Cullen and like what what they were trying to go for in the new content in terms of like 
themes and um, what kind of uh, what what kind of aspects of Jungian uh, psychology they're gonna uh, they're pulling for because the the whole basis of this and I'm gonna spoil it because it's hard to talk about this without the the whole uh, lead up to this new content Persona Five Royal is uh, mainly these two new characters Kasumi Yoshizawa and uh, Doctor Maruki and how they uh, the reason why they didn't want to have players just take their old save files and just put it into this new for, for this new contest because throughout the old game they redesigned the old game not just in get like with some gameplay systems but in terms of like additional story content so after uh the first palace i already forgot his name uh after that whole ordeal there's this whole emotional fallout of you know uh Anne's friend tried to commit suicide and uh, the whole school is trying to like uh, deal with that, so they uh, hired the psychologist uh, Maruki to kind of you know uh, talk to the students, make sure they're uh, mentally healthy, making sure you know that if they need any help, whatnot, that they get that help, and uh, and that's how his, his involvement gets uh, introduced. And then uh, from the very like in the early beginning as well, you meet this uh, new character Kasumi, and uh, you know she her her early uh, game problems are basically. Uh, similar to an athlete, so you know she's uh, part of the uh, gymnastics team. She's trying to do her best. She's trying to you know make sure that she she's healthy for it, and making sure that she she tries to uh, represent the school in like the uh, on a higher stage, essentially. And so it's kind of it feels bolted on uh, in a sense that like, but any scenes that uh, revolve around them are clearly off to the side. They don't want to try to mess too much with the main plot. There is like snippets of it here and there. Like when you do Fataba's palace, um, there's a scene with Maruki going to the, to LeBlanc cafe. And, you know, that's when you learn that Maruki has been, is involved with the cognitive science. That's uh, very core to the themes and the, the, the plot of that game and whatnot. So th- things play out generally, you know, uh, as usual as the main plot. And uh, the the setup for the new content is after uh, after you deal with the God of Control, the Yaldabaoth, and whatnot. Um, originally, how it was supposed to play out was uh, Sai Nijima, uh, Makoto's sister, uh, goes up to the uh, main protagonist. Is like, you know, we're gonna try to get Shido to testify and whatnot, but in order to do this, you need to turn yourself in so we can uh, build a better case out of this. So okay, sure. Like you're about to do it, and then all of a sudden, r- right before you, you turn yourself in, like a catchy comes out of nowhere. Uh, one, one of the big uh, antagonists from the general game, still an antagonist in this game, best character in the game. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "No, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll sort of die." And you're kind of like all like you're kind of taken aback because you're pretty sure that like he he's dead. You know, like the the way that things were resolved with him, you're pretty sure he's dead. And so. This goes into this whole thing where after the events of the the original game, you're kind of placed involuntarily into this new ideal alternate reality. And uh, the antagonist of this one is Maruki because Maruki had a palace. He had uh, certain things happen to him in his past with, with, with a past lover, you know, and he, he awakened essentially to his persona, but his persona allows him to basically alter reality and let it be so that certain individuals, certain targets, uh, they'll, pro- they'll practically force their actualization. Essentially, uh, 
any like past regrets or anything bad that happened to them, he can reverse it. And so what would they be like if they were able to push past these problems by, you know, giving you like this sort of coping mechanism that like lets you get past through it. And so in this um, new arc, it's very tightly linked between Maruki and Kasumi because you learn fairly early in this new arc that Kasumi is actually, Kasumi is only one of these two twins and it was Kasumi and Sumire. And Sumire is actually the Kasumi that you know because uh, shortly before the events of this game, Kasumi died in a car accident, uh, saving Sumire in the, in the middle of the street. And Sumire couldn't, couldn't bear with that reality without her, like, her older sister because she looked up to her so much that like uh, Ma- Maruki's the one who's like, uh, you know, to, to deal with it, to get past it, you know, you wish you could be her, so why don't you just be her, you know? And then, so this powers, she willed herself to, you know, be her older sister instead uh, and assume that I- identity. So you've, it's a, a lot of uh, Persona 5 Royals themes are about the, you know, uh, pushing past, you know, trying to deal with trauma, trying to deal with how do you deal with that in a healthy way. Uh, it flips the idea of Persona 5 on its head of, you know, a lot of your, the targets that you were going after the base game were kind of not great people. Kamoshida, uh, Kaneshiro, um, uh, Madarame, and whatnot. They, were, they weren't great people. But this one, like the Maruki is one of those people like due to his uh, occupation as, like, as a psycholo- uh, psychologist, like he genuinely wants people to, to help people. But the, his, the methods he's, do- he's doing with, with it with is has like he's convinced himself that this is the right way. And it does make people happier but it is an artificial happiness not one gained by their own experiences and whatnot and their own memories so it's about like dealing with that i think where i have a problem with this uh, is the way that the game uh doles it out because essentially in persona 5 royal um you have this new month but a lot of this month is kind of filled with like filler content it's uh, the way it presents it is so uh, it's it's flawed because it's like an additional piece of content. Like essentially, in the first few, like the first week of this month is already spent because main squad, your other friends are like stuck in this reality. So you just see like you know, um, Kutaba's mom resurrected. You see that everyone's just having a good time. Uh, the the people that they lost, like uh, uh, Haru's dad, like uh, he's back, you know. But they're but they're all good. They're all having fun with their family and like that. Their ideal future that they wish. Like they're doing well, having fun, but then your guy, your main character's like, "All right, first day, uh, where, where's this ca- character?" And Morgana's like a hu- a human in this one, like, uh, because Morgana because he like, wanted to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so you're just asking Morgana outside of LeBlanc Cafe, like, "Hey, where's this person?" Ah, uh, kind of uh, the underground mall. Like, okay, cool. So you go to there, and you're like, "Hey, uh, what's going on?" Like, oh, yeah, we're doing fine. My, my, I'm having out with my sister. My mom's doing okay. We're doing great." It's like, is this really what you want? It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm doing good. It's like, really? It's like, you know, you know we'll, we'll meet up later. Well, I'll get back to you later. And you do is this. Jo- is Joker like, pulling a marsh? Essentially. Yeah, right. yes. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. Uh, and so you do this for like the next several days because that's, you need to snap everyone out, but you just do it in the way it's like, is this really what you want? And then after you're done with that, like you, they, they eventually come to your rescue after you visit the palace again with uh, with Akechi uh, and whatnot to go save um, uh, Sumire because she got she was in the clutches of uh, Maruki at uh, some point, 
and it just it just feels very clumsy and then like the next like events that happen throughout that free month you're just like awakening your character's persona like third personas and how you do that is that they just invite you to, to their room and say sorry and then boom third persona and so this is the thing for me it's like when when you talk about a category like this it, it's the same thing as as in p4g right um or indeed in in the stuff they added in fairs of persona free portable which is that whenever they do this stuff the persona team it's always this weird like victory lap um and often there's good writing buried in and around it but because it's this fan service victory lap of don't you love these characters here's these characters doing new things or doing things in a slightly different setting it sort of undermines the new stuff that right. the additions I, do, which for my money removes it from the running for something like this. I, I would argue that it's not that though. It's a big step above that. Like you say how it's like, uh, Oh, it's, you know, it, it trods it out. It's not executed well, but I'd say like those days spent talking to everyone and feeling that hesitation is kind of what makes that new content so enjoyable. And like, because you actually feel like it's one of those little ways that they make Joker have an actual character where you can feel from like his hesitation to take that away from everybody. And I think the, the way it kind of, cause it is some, it is some fun fan service, but I think like a game like this, where most of the cast has been suffering the entire game and getting those little days of seeing them happy. Finally is what kind of like, cause persona four golems, new content isn't that special persona three portable has basically no new content um but like stuff like this i i'd argue like i'm fine with it being removed i have a feeling it's not going to win much of anything but i personally all that new stuff it did and all those little details it brought up and how it executed them like i thought it was kind of interesting that like the way they unlock their new personas is essentially like again like they're because they are apologizing to you that like and it's just not something i was expecting to see like, cause you can actually kind of feel like everybody's hesitation to kind of jump in and cause this is the one wrong, I guess they don't want to write necessarily to start with. And I think coming to terms with that is what makes for some of the more enjoyable story beats. I think the most interesting thing about Royal's new content is how the, the past design reflects on Maruki and like how, and getting to see how Maruki came to be, through those VHS tapes throughout the palace and going through those activities, the palace of like, um, how would Maruki uh, answer this? Like the whole um, therapy session when they get, give you the questions and you're going and you're um, asking for like the in-world inhabitants opinions and then going to with your team to the table and like thinking about like, okay, this is what they said. And like, that makes sense to us, but how would he uh, answer this? Like, I thought that was the, the thematic elements of the palace were the most interesting things to me. I just, feel like the way they uh, i understand where, where we're coming from but i think the way they they dole it out uh, unfortunately because of the way it's formatted it feels so mechanically um yes, yes, around, yes, around. yes. Well, well one more thing i, I also just a really minor nitpick for me is like those third persona designs it's just it feels like co- alternate color schemes of the first persona design it, it was like one of those weird things like we apologize for the second persona design we're sorry we're giving you the first persona back but it looks cooler now. And it's just one of those things like you could have done something really cool with this too, but you do. 
I don't know. It it misses the ball for me in, in that aspect, but there it is successful in other aspects as well. And I do agree with you, Colin, that I hope whatever writing team is with Royal, I hope they get the chance to like make a new game just with these ideas and this team together from the from the ground up and seeing what a whole game with their ideas, thoughts, and philosophies uh could look like. You'll go on, Adam. Okay, I'll start with a positive. Um so I am a twin. So stories involving twins are something that kind of always interests me because the dynamic there is always just a little bit different. So like the story with Kasumi and Sumire, I actually did quite like. I do wish it was a little bit more reciprocal. We we really focus on Kasumi's perspective and not like, or sorry, Sumire's, you know, the one we know um, and not the other character, the real uh, Kasumi. So I kind of wish it was a little bit more reciprocal rather than just one-sided. Um, but that part I'm not, I, I, I'm actually fine with, but like Josh said, the part that really kind of soured me is the early part of this new semester. When you go through each cast member, um, in order in sequence, and basically they each have like some sort of false utopia that they're living in and you basically pull them out of it. And it just feels so robotic to me where it's like, all right, first, it's first up, it's Ryuji. All right, Ryuji. You know, is this really what you want? Is this, you know, is this really what's happened? Is this your life? Can you live with this? And then, all right, next up, on. All right, on. Is this really what you want? Is this your real life? Is this how you want things to be? Is this how things should be? All right, next up, Yusuke. All right, Yusuke. And it just, it feels so robotic to me. Dude, this is That's how not writing. Work at all. It's not how friendships work at all. <laughs> it's, it, it feels, that doesn't feel like writing to me. That feels like a checklist. Like they literally yeah. wrote out, all right, let's write out all these characters. And now we got to write out, you know, the, the dialogue for each of them. And it's just, they're kind of just mirroring each other. And it's also sort of like reprising the issue that they sort of already overcame in a way in the original game. So that part is the part that really soured me. It's just like, uh, so yeah. So I'm, I am glad that Cullen got to speak his mind as someone who really felt strongly about this, but it just sounds like there is not a consensus to have this. Yeah, I don't I, think I, it's going to win I, anything, I, like I, really, I said, uh, so like, fine. I, I really enjoyed my time with this game. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't hate this game. I didn't spend 110 hours of my life, like, again, to, like, you know, just hate a game. I was just one of those things, like, I played, like, you know, out of curiosity. I really enjoyed my time with it. And, you know, I, I, there are things it gets right, but there are things it also gets right. Oh, well, the thing I was going to say, the thing that I would say is, you know, the games on this list, we've all, individual people have all given them a, given them their dues in that sense. I'm curious if anyone has any strong feelings that we can then argue back and forth on, on what is the front runner in this category. Well, I was going to go ahead and say, I was going to go ahead and just say, like, even though I nominated it just in the interest of time and so we don't deliberate too long for a game that's not going to win i'm going to go ahead and knock off wasteland 3 i think what it did was really interesting but it just doesn't stand toe-to-toe with something like even yakuza which i've also played so i'm going to go ahead i think the front to back narrative of wasteland is not good enough i'm gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate here really stir the pot my i i personally would go final Fantasy 7 remake on this I would one as well but i think the reason that the elephant in the room of why people might not think that and I'm going to play devil's advocate and say the changes it makes in the last couple of hours, def- defend it, go for it. Why I, I think that's the reason Good. though. Yeah, I me too. The reason. So do I, yeah, so do I. I completely agree. I'm, I'm seeing that's the argument most people would put forward of why not. I am not like denying. Why. I disagree. I, am, I mean, I, I agree not, with you guys, not your hypothetical. <laughs> I am not denying that 
where this goes could be a disaster in future games in a couple of years. And we may all, uh, you know, we may all come to eat these words, but as far as this game in a vacuum goes, I was thrilled with what they chose to do. Oh yeah. I that is part of why 5 I wanted. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, yeah, I stayed up until 5am playing this game and the ending. I, and then I spent two hours just thinking about how amazing the ending was. And while 13 Sentinels has an amazing story, the ending, I, I felt nothing towards it. I was like, oh, that's neat. I actually feel like... I feel like the ending for 13 Sentinels is the best part because of how it yes. all comes together. And yeah, you might say, oh, well, it didn't resonate with me, but that's like a personal thing. And I, I know that you, you've told me that you feel like I kind of overhyped the extra scene, but for me, it was the extra scene specifically where, well, you can't even really spoil it because you basically have to explain like so much else about the yeah. plot for it to make sense. So, but I feel like it just kind of really reinforces all of the themes of the story. And whereas like at the regular ending of the game, there was still some hesitation in me for basically thinking, okay, well, were all these themes I thought I saw in the game, were they intentional? Then I see the extra scene. It's like, oh no, they totally were. And it's just. I just, I think that normal ending of 13 Sentinels the the most of the game is very well written storytelling, and I think the ending is a bit too immature in how it handles romance. I guess it's very, I, I don't know. It the ending of Thirteen Sentinels was fine in a game where everything else was great. Where like um Alex was saying earlier, I think a lot of that stuff with like character in Final Fantasy VII Remake is so strong with like dialogue and all that. And then how, as it builds up consistently and then the ending is just so bombastic and satisfying. And it's just, it's as well. I'm going to, I'm just going to make one. I'm just going to say one thing. And I think the same reason why I was hesitant to really push for cold steel three last year was because of what I knew was coming up next not knowing at the time whether or not I was going to feel um, feel good about what Cold Steel 4 had to offer. It's kind of not, it's not exactly the same situation here, because like with Cold Steel 4, like, both Josh and I had obviously heard through the grapevine like, how divisive that game no, I, was. I played it. I played the Japanese version. I didn't know. Oh, well, I lived it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a similar thing with Final Fantasy 7 Remake, yeah? I mean, like, mm. it's not a completed game. It's not even. We're not even sure if it's like even a third of. No, the but it is. No, but th- this is this is this is the thing about why I think this this matters in this category. Actually, is it is a complete game. Like, yeah. they did accomplish that mission, which I didn't think they were going to be able to. Which was, they essentially managed to turn a slice of that story into a story of its own with a beginning and a middle and an end it is a definitive end in its own way because they set up this sort of arc and they set up this mystery right from the early hours of the game uh, with the whispers and all that sort of stuff. And all that is resolved by the end of the game. Uh, Now, yeah, it could go, like, like I said, it could go completely off the rails in future entries. You know, it already towards the end of that game gets a little bit kingdom hearts, for my liking, whoa, in whoa, whoa. but but you know uh, it, it, you've got to judge this thing in a vacuum because we don't know where that's going yet. And in a vacuum, I just look at this and I just go, 
I expected this to be rote and boring and they just nailed it. And also the character interactions are so good. The characters speak and sound like normal people in the ways that I imagined they would. Uh, Yeah. I just think it's excellent. And And I think what comes next doesn't really matter in that sense. No. Yeah. Like this could be like, if everything that follows this sucks, I'm not going to look back on remake and say it's bad because remake is remake frankly is become my favorite final fantasy game now and i know that's fucking crazy to say but just like the way everything plays out and the way it's structured and all the ambitious stuff actually like get like there's some threads left on like untalked about but that's you know because there's more games coming but everything it tries to do with its own unique story here it works very well and i'd argue something like cold steel 3 because i i wrapped cold steel 3 earlier this year when everyone was telling me that game was like oh that game's like it's the best trail like cold steel game but i think that game wouldn't even deserve a writing commendation and i know i'm gonna get fucking attacked online for that but still yeah Um, it's all right so i want to do i want to do some housekeeping here so clearly final fantasy 7 remake is in the running for best writing i want to kind of try to knock something off just 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 to take care of it if this specific category first of all i do have more comments on final fantasy 7 remake but to try to just try to shorten the list. If this category was specifically characters, I would say Yakuza Like a Dragon is in the running. But since it's also writing, I'm going to take it out just because Yakuza Like a Dragon has some story contrivances that are just absolutely stupid. Yes, it's got some. It's got some 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 slight issues with uh, the way it's politics, homeless people, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, yeah, the soapland stuff is also really weird. Yeah, like, it, it it says like sex work is real work, but only if you have no other options, which is at odds with itself. Um, the whole story about two babies being in the lockers, I thought never landed with me. And then oh, shit, the whole, the, the whole Mister Mirror thing or whatever he's called at the end makes no oh, sense. Yeah, and it, and it I mean, feels yeah, like yeah, yeah, mirror face right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, sucks, dude. <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and take it out of the running. If this was specifically characters, I would be voting for this all day, even above Final Fantasy VII Remake. But since it's also writing and plot and story, I'm gonna say it's still good despite those uh shortcomings, but it doesn't win here. So I'm gonna go ahead and take it off. All right. I don't know if I'm gonna get yelled at for this, but I think we should take off 80s. I feel, like Hades is, I, I feel like Hades' strengths are more towards, like, its overall design and, like, incorporation of story with, like, its mechanical design. And that is storytelling, gem- isn't it? Like, I feel like Hades deserves a nom... Well, deserves... A, it, I feel like it deserves to be in the running for many of the same reasons why um, 13 Sentinels is, because of how the story organically can prop up through gameplay like you could make an argument that maybe that has more to do with the design and immersion but it's still storytelling and it's very unique in well I, I don't think i've really even played another game like it that handles the story the same way where it feels so organically just integrated into how you're playing the game i completely well, I mean, agree it, it is it is in the running because it's down to the final four um and you know we're not ranking these in numbered we're just picking one winner uh, yeah. His thing I'd say is out of the ones, out of the four that remain, the one that I would cut, and it's it's not going to be a popular opinion with many people, but is I would cut Shadowbringers 5.3, and I will tell you for why. That is because I think the thing that MMO people often forget. So okay, the thing that the thing that gets said a lot 
is Final Fantasy XIV has the best story in the Final Fantasy series. Um, and the thing that I say to that in response, or oh, the richest characters or whatever, and the thing that I say in response to that is, of course it does, because it, it has you locked in for hundreds of hours with which they can do far more in-depth storytelling. It's the, it's the storytelling equivalent of a movie, a, a two-and-a-half-hour movie versus a 15, 20-hour HBO show, you know. Um, and I think that's the – I'm not saying that the story isn't excellent, um, but I think, in my experience at least, Final Fantasy XIV has consistently delivered – a high level of quality uh, with what it's doing. But I think the thing that stands apart is I think the other three games that remain are exceptional and different and had interesting, difficult tasks to complete. So I can't speak as much to 13 Sentinels, but in the case of Final Fantasy VII Remake, as I said earlier, the exceptional task is, uh, is, is, is adapting that classic story and treading that tightrope between the original Japanese, the ham-fisted original translation and the new story elements. And then in the case of Hades, it's walking an interesting tightrope in terms of the way that the narrative and the actual game bit of it interact. Um, and I feel like Final Fantasy XIV in general, be that Shadowbringers or any other part of the game, doesn't have any of those tasks that are quite so difficult. In fact, in many ways, I think the longer that game goes on, and same is true of Warcraft and so on and so forth, the longer that game goes on, the easier it is for them to set, tell the sort of stories that will bring a tear to people's eyes because they've had so much time to become so invested in the game, in the world, and the characters. I kind of agree with I, that. When I, when you, I won't disagree with that. I mean, I added it to the list just because I felt like it did deserve at least a shouts. I didn't expect it to win, but you're completely right because, like, I remember when 5.3 came out and Guilty is charged. Uh, many people freaked out just because the final cutscene for that has somebody take a bite out of a piece of bread and the model changes with it with the model still in sight. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I'm not even joking. <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those. I've I've not played Final Fantasy 14, but just having played other MMOs, you go into that patch already with hundreds of hours of backstory and character building and stuff that they can reference and rebuild on and tweak and shift and other games don't have that luxury they have to start from ground zero so it is kind of just a boon to being in that format so i feel bad for uh Shadowbringers because i think james is really the only one here who's played it no like it, it is my curse to bear because i well god i have a friend that like after last year's like words went up, said that just once I eventually get to Final Fantasy fourteen, I'm going to regret not pushing for Shadowbringers. And damn it, he was right. So the uh, the Hades, one, the I kind of I kind of agree with Adam. Where even George brought this up earlier, where I feel like it's it might be a better fit to talk about this in design and immersion. Just yes, it involves its storytelling but not in a pure fashion like the other games, which we're down to these three, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, Final Fantasy VII Remake, and Hades. I just feel like Hades, what it accomplishes with its story is more of a design consideration, at least based I on the way that Adam that. and George have discussed it. Yeah, I'd agree. I think as much as I was 
I, I love Hades very much, but I think I would agree with that. Um, I think I'd have to go remake. I, yeah, remake. And so like I wanna, I, I've played both of these. So I want to talk about remake. Now, I did not hate the ending. I'm not like frothing at the mouth at how terrible it is, but I am very lukewarm on it. And I, I want to try to substantiate that a little bit. So I'm with you for what it's true. Uh, I feel like a lot of the stuff that this game does is deliberately in the shadow of its legacy. Like they know that and they went into the game knowing that, which I think does soften the blow, but that's why they are allowed to introduce Sephiroth as early and as often as they do is because everyone knows who he is, or at least is aware. But even then, even then it's like the, I really, and this, this again comes down to a writing detail, right? I really appreciate that that they hold back on saying his name until this basically what I would call the start of the final act of the game. It's little things like that, that nail it for my money. And first of all, I do want to say that my favorite components of final fantasy seven, the original are stuff that will likely be covered in part two. And that is the Cosmo Canyon story with Anaki and Seto and the, oral story with Barrett and Dine. Like I am so looking forward to that. I might be here in two years gushing about what they do there, assuming they do it justice, which they seemingly will. But for this game, um, I am very, first of all, I, there, I feel like there's kind of like four major addition categories. They added uh, the stuff with the upper plate, Jesse and Roche, basically all the chapter four stuff and all that stuff. I kind of could take or leave. I didn't, I wasn't compelled to Roche. I felt like they could have done more with him and he didn't. He fell off. Go ahead. Kingdom Hearts character, he sucks. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, if they had brought him back to talk to kind of like elucidate, like this is how the soldier system is messed up. This is this is like just like if they could have done more with him, but he just he shows However, up. He says weird stuff. He falls off the face of the earth, and you never hear him again. And you don't want to, at least in my opinion. Well, this is the thing, though. They've said they're not done with that character, and I find that interesting because we could be looking back in two years, and with the knowledge of where that character might go in in future chapters of that game, uh, be thinking, "Oh, that was a really good setup." Um, in the respect that this sort of cocky. Um, over-the-top asshole member of soldier who runs over his own subordinate troops and stuff like that with his motorcycle might be a pretty good foil for another character who isn't around in the original Final Fantasy VII. The second major aspect that they added was the expanded wall market, which, to keep it short, I loved. I loved wall market. I loved Johnny. I loved everything there. Feel, tell me, you know, go ahead and speak up if you feel otherwise, but I loved everything there. The third section was later in the game when you revisit the sewers to learn more about Leslie's backstory. And that part I just thought was the game at its lowest. It just reusing the environment, a very boring setup gameplay wise, where you're chasing this little pig thing, refighting a boss. You're learning about this backstory of this nothing character and his nameless wife. And it just, so I did not feel funny thing is though, at all. You know, I think that that tallies because I agree because that is that part is the game at its most compilation of Final Fantasy VII. And lo and behold, Leslie is a character from the compilation. So, yeah, when the game does its own thing, it's way better than when it leans into all that compilation-y stuff. 
Yeah, so that was the game at its worst, I feel. And then the ending, I don't hate, but there was one particular part about it that I just don't feel how they're going to make it work. So the whole crux, this is Final Fantasy VII spoilers here, of Cloud's character is that he assumes the identity of Zack Fair. He, you know, if you've played the events of Crisis Core, that can detail it far better than I can in a couple sentences. But he mistakenly believes himself to be soldier first class, adopting the sword stance mannerisms of Zack Fair. And then the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake teases that in some fashion, they are going to have Zack Fair exist either as an alternate timeline, an alternate reality of some sort. You can read theories about why the dog looks different on the bag of chips and all that. And I just feel they're teasing it in a way that seems fan servicey to the detriment of the themes of the game, where this was this tragic thing where this character that everyone loved passed away tragically as the end of crisis court here. And then this person unknowingly cloud cloud assumes his identity without even realizing it until he has this huge talking point down and late in the original game and becomes his own person out of it. And now here's final Fantasy VII remake saying, Oh, are you sad that Zach's no longer around? Does that does that make you upset? Well, here we'll 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 throw some breadcrumbs and we'll say what if he <laughs> is what if he's allowed to exist alongside Cloud? But is that possible? How can Cloud exist without having that that moment? Well, time travel stories, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> time travel stories, right? But what I'd say to that is, I think, and we're getting into the weeds here, and we've got loads of categories to discuss and more Final Fantasy VII to discuss as we go down the categories. But what I would say is. Time travel stories always get weird with stuff like that, but also the deck is clearly changed. It's like the next part of Final Fantasy VII really is them sitting in a hotel and talking about, so who is that guy about Sephiroth? But obviously when you think about the events that take place towards the end of the remake, they've got a hell of a lot else to discuss than that. Yeah. (laughs) Like Aerith, for instance, is going to have to probably relatively early in the second part come clean about what she knows about the whispers and and what it all means. And so I think the deck is completely clear and it's stuff like they have the ability now to do that cloud twist in a completely different way, um, to tell that story in a completely different way. And this is the thing. Maybe it comes out because they end up crossing paths or maybe it's going to be a multiple timelines, multiple universes thing where we end up hopping back and forth between them. And the fact that we are debating this at all alongside with the excellent character writing is why I think it, it deserves to win this category because, you know, like I say, we're, we're, we're here discussing this and I think it's executed. So loves a mystery, right? He loves throwing stuff at the end of games. And I always get the impression he hasn't really actually thought about what it means. Like, I don't think he ever thought about what uh, Deep Dive meant at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2. He was just, at the end of Kingdom Hearts 1, rather, I think he was just like, let's have these people in these cool outfits fighting in a cool environment, and then we'll figure let's, it let's out. Let's have a blonde-haired kid run up the side of a skyscraper. Why not? Yeah, uh, this guy looks like Sora, but he isn't. What does that mean? We'll figure it out. And, so, you know, even, you know, the end of Kingdom Hearts 3 last year and the DLC this year, I feel like the same thing. I feel like he probably has a vague idea, but also he's sort of spitballing it as he goes. He's busking yeah, I it. I completely agree. Um, whereas with this, I genuinely feel like they must have a plan. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. gives the, it gives the impression that they know where they're going. And I'm interested to see where it is. And like I say, that could be a disaster, but judged on its own merits, I just think the way the story of, 
of seven remake is executed is just real good i um i remember like i i when it first came out i had a bunch of like more concrete ideas about it because i was also curious about it and i don't remember exactly what i need to replay the game but i remember thinking that the way they introduce cloud um kind of banks on the idea that you think you know exactly where he's like where it's going but they set it up in a way where it makes it possible that zach could have been alive all along in certain ways they talk about things and we'll have to see where that's going i don't know where it's going but i thought it was really clever the way they set some of those parts up and made it because it could very easily be like set up from the beginning exactly where they're going and that zach could be just somewhere else right now we don't really know but i think it was executed really well to uh to go to talk about a different perspective and why i am personally going with remake here uh to i i actually haven't played the original final fantasy 7 i think i'm an outlier there maybe on the site but the fact that I get to experience this story, the fact I get to go into part two, and I don't know what the hell is going to happen because they've done this massive change. Like maybe they won't change anything. Maybe it'll just be slight. Maybe I don't know. Zach will appear a little bit more in flashbacks. We don't know. But to my for my money, I think they're going to change it a lot, and that's really really exciting because I don't need to be like, oh well, I've had every major plot point spoiled. I don't know. None of us know, and that's really exciting. I yeah, think it's I'm not, cool. I'm not going to push strongly against Final Fantasy VII Remake, but I do want to say that, like, I just wanted to provide the the alternate opinion, and I'm not, I don't hate it. It's just that I feel like I could, I, I guess maybe I'm negative, and I'm like, I could see where this ends up feeling really hackneyed or clumsy. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting totally to feel like it. that there's going to be a numbers thing, right? Like, because more people played FF7 Remake in here, it's going to be the auto winner. That's that's what it's starting to sound like, because I, I like, I played FF7 Remake at 13 Sentinels to completion. I, personally would put 13 Sentinels way above FF7 Remake in this department because a lot of the discussion here is like the ifs, buts, or what's about like, man, man if they did this in the future, they'd be great. Like, yes, the content that has it is there. We've got drawn into it. My original point was just to say I was so... And there are there are grim spots in, in FF7 Remake. A lot of the side quest writing. There are some chapter detours that are pretty poor. Adam... It's, it's you, you already told me like Nomura, like like you know probably hasn't really thought it out yet, but like it's going to be like awesome. You know? No, 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 but that's that, that's <laughs> not that's, but that's not the, that's not what I'm nominating this for. We got drawn into that discussion, but I always said my nomination was for the fact for this category for this game was for the fact that I was tremendously impressed by how they took that chunk of the game and made it into a definitive story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and how amazingly close to my memory and expectation the writing of the core cast was that, like, that's I, it basically I, I, talk about I, it. I, I do i do agree that like what they have what they they turned like the first like what six hours of ever seven to a full-blown 40-hour jrpg like it's really good that like they fleshed it all out and like seeing like you know midgard like being rebuilt beautifully like i really like ever seven remake but i'm definitely on the side of like the the writing and storytelling isn't like the main thing that really drew me to that game. Like I like the the personality that they gave the characters and expanded characters out, but like the core story of that game is like it feels so little to what they want to accomplish. It, it feels like a small slice of that pie. While meanwhile, Thirteen Sentinels, I got like a whole story out of it, and like I was really satisfied with not only the way they presented it, but the way they dish out 
like revelations and like a whole like thought. And while FF7 remake is like it, it's not even a whole thought yet because it's just like it barely just opened out. While Thirteen uh, Sentinels has like a whole swath of like things that it it has for you and leads to a conclusion that I personally found very satisfying. See, I, 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 I'm also not sure that FF7 is not a complete thought, but also I think there are other categories where it's it's more relevant. And so it's that thing of if you feel really strongly about 13 Sentinels, you know, I, I'm not I, I'm not gonna gonna fight till the death to have FF7 win this. You know, we've we've been on this category for a long time as well. But I, I you know, I, I just think although we went down the path of talking about where this story might go. And I do think that's a string to the cap of this game. All the things that I would nominate it for are just in the game. If Square Enix went bankrupt tomorrow and they said there wasn't going to be a second part, um, I would still be nominating this game for what it does in its own bubble, you know? What were you going to say, James? What I was just going to say is, well, obviously I haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake, but one thing about Third and Sentinels is that it's the type of story that I feel like you could only do in a video game. And I think that there's something worth, that's something worth considering as well. So I haven't had a chance to say anything about either of these two things yet. I have played Final Fantasy VII Remake. I have not played 13 Sentinels, and I would vote 13 Sentinels. I am not hot on 13, or on Final VII Remake's story, really. Um, to James's point, most storylines are written front to back, beginning to end. Final Fantasy VII Remake's no different. 13 Sentinels it has like 13 different storylines written in parallel. And you can't do that in a movie. You can't really do that in a TV show. You can, but you watch the episodes in an order that is pretty predetermined for you. Um, that's not the case in 13 Sentinels. I really value something that is new and novel. And 13 Sentinels is that. I don't think Final Fantasy VII Remake is that. And yeah, I haven't played it, yeah. but... So I know that's a big but, but like it seems so unique. It seems like a very strong like identity. Like we know exactly how we wanted this to unfold, and it's so unique, and nothing else is like it. Where Final Fantasy VII Remake, I don't think you can really say that nothing else is like it. I mean, maybe the fact that it's like redoing a storyline, but you've seen that before too. And I mean, yeah. not to not to be kind of mean and pick on Colin here, but like. Even like even if he didn't feel super hot on the ending, like he he agreed that it's still like a good ending. It's still a fine ending. So well, yeah. Um, I was gonna say this like I've played both these games. I really loved the journey of Thirteen Sentinels, but I personally feel they don't really like the it. It's so weird because it's a satisfying ending. But when you spend all this time building up to it, and I have just a straight face almost like near nothing like i I think in general 13 sentinels did not get any emotional reactions out of me it was just kind of that like mystery box style storytelling or was really engaging as i was going through it and then when i sat on it there were some themes that i really liked how it did i'm literally writing a video on how i think like 13 sentinels does certain themes very well and but i i don't think like i feel really bad because i love 13 sentinels as a whole, I think it's a very engaging story, but I, I, the ending kind of just turned that game from like, like amazing to it was like, Oh, okay. And it's just, I, I, 
I think one of the reasons I don't care for the ending of 13 Sentinels is the way they handle, like, like I mentioned before, romance, where they feel like everybody needs a neat little pairing up. But I, I've joked about it before. 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim has the most heterosexual ending of any game I've ever played, where every single character is just talking about, like, like they all get paired off to another character. Yeah, and that's all- not true. Not not that. Yeah, I was gonna say there is a gay relationship. In no, the but game. That's, that, that's my thing, though. They barely get any, any like compared to how everyone else gets really detailed fucking schedules about how they take care of their babies and the two gay characters who I love the most. Again, they're my favorite characters in the game. I feel like their their resolution was not as satisfying as I would have wanted it to be. And there's so much focus on how, like, oh, all the other characters uh, have kids together. And it just stuff like that. It just feels like the rest of the game, while it dealt with romance, it did it a bit better. And I feel like they didn't need to make every single character neatly boxed off. Yoko doesn't get a a partner by the end of that. Well, again, I'm I'm just trying to say like something I had an issue with, and it's the majority of the characters. And a lot I'm, of them do, but there's like there's a journey to that romance. You know, it's I, not like everyone. Yeah. Like Honestly, romance. I'm just gonna say something about the ending. This is a spoiler. God, it's the the, the hard thing about Thirteen Sentinels. So Stephen, what? Yeah, yeah, like the okay. So just to be as broad as possible, Ugh. at the very yeah. ending of the game, one of the core themes is how. The game is is very very God. It, it's impossible to talk about the ending without any context for folks that haven't played the game. Just do it. I'll, I'll try to fill in the context as uh, as you go. Basically, every character in the game, except for the thirteen characters, are artificial intelligence. And I love how the game at the very ending of it doesn't have any barriers between okay, these AI have a right to live too, and it's a very hopeful like view of the future it's a whole it's like humanity was fucked it just the whole reason the story even happens is because humanity choked on its own hubris and part of the reason why the ending is so hopeful and how even some of the characters that they're ai but they're also kind of like the memories of like characters from literally millions of years ago it's crazy storyline but they even outright say i don't think we have to worry about you because these characters go out of their way to say, we want to bring these AI and make them actually people, find a way to give them a, a way to really live because they deserve to live too. Every and single then, one of the characters is, is, is a clone of someone from the past, essentially. And uh, a core theme of that story is that the, these characters, if, even though they're clones, like, you know, a lot of like the, the, the past people that they base their clones off of want them to live, uh, to be uh, exactly like them. So in a way... They are spiritually like living on, basically immortal. But uh, as they kind of go through their lives like normally in this simulation, like uh, the way that uh, the the world has shaped them, their upbringing, the people they meet, the their experience they have in life are different, and so they end up being like fundamentally completely different, different people. people. Yeah, and like it's really good. It's just like I personally think. Again, I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I'm just saying it did. Everything up until the ending was really great. It just it did not come together in a way. And again, I'm mad at myself for not being like gung ho about Thirteen Sentinels. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I do feel in a way it was slightly overhyped by people, and I had expectations it could not meet. Um, it just 
the ending did not come together in a way that I felt would deem it like one of the best stories ever told, despite the fact that I love the themes. I love like, I love a lot of what it was trying to do. I love that sense of individualism. And again, I'm like, I'm literally writing a video about why I think that like that kind of stuff is so good. It's just the ending didn't do it for me. I think the reason why I resonated so much with the final scene, which is kind of hidden is how it really just really shows that what that the themes that Josh is talking about, how like you like regardless of who you are, like Jeanette, like, like how like things can drastically change just based off of like the smallest of like circumstance changes. But so the secret scene, like there's like a throw, what you'd think is a throwaway line, like in the story, basically saying that it's not the only that the story that's happening is just like one of like, I think it's like thousands or like who knows how many possibilities. Yeah. Tons of different like ships that are like going out to these different stars. Cause it's like, yeah, like when they, when these like, like ancient people wanted to find a way to save humanity, they didn't just send like put all their eggs in one basket. They literally just loaded up as many ships as they could. And were like, okay, all of these have different coordinates. We don't think any of them, we are not sure if any of them are going to make it. You just play one story of one ship and that succeeds in its mission. The ex- the hidden scene is basically just literally like billions of light years away. Another ship is going through a different but similar story and just it's brilliant in the sense that it really reinforces just the grandeur of the story as a whole, but also like really kind of showcasing that they, it's really hard to talk about. Would, yeah. you, would you say that the theme of this game is that we are the sum of our cumulative experiences, but also circumstance? That's yeah. And that's also like, I feel like, like there was a really great, like a uh, polygon review for the game. that just went up yesterday. Well, that's pretty much what, you know, when we recorded this, um, where Chris Plante basically explains it better than I ever could, where he feels like that the reason why the story works so well, despite the fact that it's like a mesh of all of these different sci-fi tropes is because that's the point. It's like, this is a simulation. It's all, and it's supposed to be teaching these kids like about his, about their own like history as humans, even if they never had it. And the mess is the point. It's about how we, who we are as people is yeah a sum of all of our experiences and it's just incredibly beautiful at the end and to all not right. go down the rabbit hole too much on this because i just i just want to drive home the point of like the the way the story is dealt out between these 13 characters but like each of them are like the incongruent chaos is like the beauty of this game because I, each of them start off at very specific circumstances that you don't know where exactly are in the timeline. For one character, he's stuck in a time loop. For one character, she's in the middle of like a Terminator plotline. And for one character, it's kind of like your 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 Japanese shonen get get in the robot Shinji type of character. And for and for one of them, uh, it's just like trying to find out who this person uh, is, like what they mean to you and whatnot. And it's that same sex relationship. And it's one of the more like da- down to earth, one of the more endearing. You know storylines of that game, like there and uh, where when they occur is like it's for you to like kind of puzzle out as well because some of these character arcs co- completely like take place before another one even begins and like once you come to that revelation you're like oh my god so that's 
that's how it became to be. If this, this was the circumstances that led up to like the start of this character's arc. But like you don't know until it like it unfolds in that manner. And like the, and like you guys were saying, this is one of those stories that like it feels satisfying and like is this can only be done in a video game like uh, the other stories that we have on this list this could have been done like in other ways in media and for 13 Sentinels specifically it's just like this is this can only be told if, as a video game all right i'm gonna tie a knot in this just because i know we've been on this category about an hour which i'm okay with because writing and storytelling is probably like one of the biggest things that draws people to rpgs so i'm okay spending a lot of time here uh but at some point just the constraints of the taking the time to record this and how much we got to get through and tying a knot. I think this has to come down to a vote between these two games. So, uh, I guess I'm it's, just going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go for so it. so Do we it. don't, we don't have an official runner up, but it's very clearly that these are one a and one B or one, one and one, two, or whatever you want to call it. Like, so let's go through and see what people pick between 13 Sentinels, ages for and final fantasy seven remake for best writing and storytelling. Uh, Alex, for me, in my gut, it's Final Fantasy, but I feel pretty convinced by what has been explained by Josh and the others. So, you know, um, I think I will say 13 Sentinels, even though in in my heart, it's Final Fantasy, like I say. So your vote is 13 Sentinels? Yeah. All right. I know it's very tough because you hear these passionate arguments and all of a sudden, neither option seems correct or they both seem correct. Uh, Colin. Uh, 13 Sentinels seems like it's going to win now, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, just give it a 13 Sentinels. <laughs> it's a good game. Uh, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you sure on that? I, I, don't want, I don't want people just to like, admit defeat. Uh, I don't know. Uh, vote vote, I, I, vote I have, with your heart. Because I, uh, I have... I feel so bad because I feel like I can't even voice like criticism of 13 Sentinels. Like, cause I, I play both these games, and I... I I really... I love both, and that's the thing. I, and I, feel I will like, say that I appreciate your comments about like characters like being nicely and neatly paired up at the end. That's one of those Japanese trope things that I kind of detest. Just like, but that's oh, every not, character that's gets that's a perfect not, pairing. That's not, not, not everyone gets to have like a, like a perfect pairing oh. at the end. Some are completely alone by the end of that. And they're kind of hmm. stuck to the way that like they, they're committed alone. And it's not even necessarily just pairs. Cause like one of the um, things from one story, there's like a robot companion that turns out it's actually the memories of one character in a previous loop of the simulation. They are and, not all paired off neatly. Yeah, it, yeah. I would right, disagree. Is, is, is anyone going to make a last gasp expert to push Final Fantasy VII Remake to the top? I'm I mean, not. To be honest, it's not well, worth wasting more time on this. To be quite honest, when we have so much left, so yeah. fuck it. Thirteen Sentinels. But I will say this: something that I've completely forgotten about. It's not going to win. It doesn't deserve to win. But Marvel's Avengers actually has a very good story <laughs> mode. Enjoyed it. It's actually worth briefly mentioning. It, the rest of the game sucks, but the story bit's the best bit. Um, yeah, I don't know why that. I'm just like I'm taking a bag. That's, that's a, a, that's a perfect Marvel. George thing. <laughs> I feel bad for laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Let's wrap this up. All right. So basically, Final Fantasy VII remake is deserving of winning, but we've given the award of best writing and storytelling. To 13 channels, Aegis Rim by the thinnest of margins. If you, if you guys think FF7 should win, then like, no, like you guys, you guys made your case. You've won. I, I think the passion there, I mean, as, as, as passionate as Alex and I and Colin have been about remake, uh, I think the passion from you guys there, it, it, it has just kind of been like, whoa, okay, maybe I should play this. 
and I, I think it should win on that. I feel weird saying this after I was so men- like long about how lukewarm I was on Final Fantasy Remake, but if they come back with a second game and they do those story beats any justice, like feel our wrath in 2022 or whenever. Yeah, I'm excited to see more of Remake. Like I loved Remake. The the the, se- the next section of Final Fantasy VII is the strongest in my opinion. If they do it any justice, it's it's going to be amazing. So 2021 is going to be my year where I need to finally actually play a Final Fantasy that isn't an MMO. I know this might sound really, really dumb, but like I personally just value the novelty aspect of 13 Sentinels, even though I haven't played it. Like that's a huge even though, but like that novelty of how it's put together, like no matter what, I feel like that kind of tips it for me. Like it's so different, and I'll take that. That's 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, but I hope anyone listening sees how close of a decision this was. All right, we've got five categories to go, I believe. Uh, I, I don't think these will take as long. Right. Not so, so the next, so two, the next two categories are art and music. These are w- way more straightforward. And now, several of these games we've had the chance to talk about at length, so we don't have to like establish the premise as strongly as we had to do in writing. So uh, I'm going to try to keep things moving a little bit quicker, just in the interest of time. Uh, let's go into it just right away. No more preamble. Category for best art. Our nominations are 13 Sentinels: Aegis Rim, Hades. Final Fantasy VII Remake, so obviously all three of those we've talked about, and then also nominations for Demon's Souls, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, Paper Mario the Origami King, Star Renegades, and Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. All right, so again, this is a category for art specifically. I'm going to just jump right in and say I think it looks really good, but I have, as many do, I have some weird issues and reservations uh, with some of the changes in Demon Souls, um, I some of the UI stuff I'm really not a fan of as well. Some of the UI changes, um, the cat icon, and, and, and therefore I, I just I, I think it's great that it gets a mention here because it is a beautiful game. It's definitely the best looking PlayStation Five game right now, but from an artistic perspective, it's not for me. Yeah, I think you basically took the words out of my mouth because, like, if we're talking just from, like, a technical standpoint, then would just far and away be Demon Souls, right? But if you're talking about art style, there's, like, so many other games on just this list alone that I feel like have a better, more consistent art style to them. It's the same... Well, okay. Is anyone opposed to just cutting Dragon Ball Z Kakarot right off the bat? I was actually going to say, like, obviously Akira Toriyama's art style is unique and has lasted the test of time for a reason, but that's kind of all. Like, that's still great, but it doesn't do anything beyond that. Okay, so as you can probably guess, I was the one who put this uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot on there, Uh, and I don't expect it to win by any matter, but I will say this, I think it's the best translation of the art style besides Fighters, and it is consistently fantastic looking, especially some of the boss battle cutscenes, but... Yeah, it's not going to win. It's not going to win well, this. Some of this is going to come up. And I think that, we all know what's going to win. What's key, what's key to what you said there is uh, accept fighters. And I think um, that is a key point of this category. Is like I'm not saying that something has to do something different um, to win this category, but it's like we've seen that. It's been done in another game. I think it's probably more fitting, more suited to fighters as well just because of the, the way the movement works and stuff in that game. And so, yeah, I would agree with cutting that. For the same reason, <laughs> I would probably cut 13 Sentinels in the sense that 
It's I disagree. From what, from what I've played of it, it's a beautiful looking game. But is it? Um, but I have only I haven't played that much. But is it not just another one of those beautiful looking hand drawn vanillaware games? I no, would say more, actually, yeah. I would say that it's like the crystallization of uh, vanillaware style in the sense that there is just so much more going on in any given scene than pretty much any other of Vanillaware's games I've played. There's more depth to them, there's more animation, there's much more of a larger color palette. It's just like, I, God, I've taken I, so I, I, many I, screenshots of this game. I wouldn't cut it yet. Maybe it does in the longer, but I wouldn't cut yet. I, w- I would cut, the, I put it on here, but I, I just wanted to mention Grand Blue Fantasy Versus on I here. Also, yeah. I'm rooting for this one. Yeah, like I, I really, really like the way they adapted the art style of like just a uh, mobile RPG uh, into a fighting game. It looks beautiful in motion. Uh, I really like the way it kind of it animates. There are other problems with it just around the seams that I don't want to get into. It's a lot, um, and also I just don't like uh, it. It happens with fighters too. I don't like the way that Arxis like decides to like just cut the frame rate like in half, like for the intro scenes, and this and goes in, into combat. Uh, like with full frame rate, it's like I know it's a stylistic choice, but it, it bugs me a lot. So, so I would say, with regards to Final Fantasy, it's definitely the the, the most impressive big budget game of this kind of the year. Um, it depends on how we're looking at this category from an artistic perspective. I think they did an excellent job of. Again, it's a very similar thing to the to the story category. But they did an excellent job of bringing some of those PS1 characters up to date. Obviously, a lot of the the the, the core cast of Final Fantasy VII we've seen in a higher fidelity in other games. But like Biggs Wedge and Jesse are the perfect example of how they look exactly how you imagined them, even though none of that detail was there, and they they never had the detailed Nomura drawings either back in the day. Um, the thing about that game though from a from a perspective of the visuals across the board if you're not just talking about art direction but you're talking about the overall visuals you do have all that weird stuff about um the door there's the the door famously (laughs) but actually i'm i'm more gonna key into things like i think the core character models in that game are incredible they're like they're they're low-key secret ps5 character models like i think the models of like cloud barrett tifa and Aerith are like probably the best character models on the PlayStation 4 ever. Um, but then you've got uh, other characters that just look terrible. A lot of the NPCs look like they fell out of Final Fantasy 13, uh, mm-hmm. like genuinely. And then you've also got even like semi-important NPCs, like within the same storyline, it's like uh, Madam M looks incredible and uh, Don Corneo looks incredible, but then Chocobo Sam again, looks a bit like a, like a high end PS3 character. Yeah. Um, and, and then you've got stuff, which is great, but botched, which I'm, I'm sure is probably going to be addressed in a couple of months here, but things like, I think it's so great. They did use CG backgrounds, um, for like the sense of scale of the sky boxes and stuff. But then you've got the problems on PlayStation where they're so compressed, that it takes away in the end. So that is why I would cut it, but it is excellent. It has really yeah, high highs, but it's also incredibly uneven. Yeah. Okay. And hopefully re-releases of that will really do it justice in that front. Okay, I have two entries here that I put in that I'm probably going to take both of them out here too. Paper Mario, The Origami King. On one hand, it looks really nice, and in terms of the uh, 
the the whole game and this recent entries into the series they have like they've gone really whole ham on this sort of like materials texture sort of style where like every single item in the game world is like textured to look like some crafting material whether it's like like color paper or like some sort of fabric or things like that and it looks really nice and it's an art style that you don't see and it's like everything is like a paper craft but i also think that's somehow working against the game's detriment too where it's like so locked into like everything has to be some sort of analog to some crafting or paper thing that it yeah. almost like shackles it a bit so it that looks nice process. like uh, that's why i i really like I want to like this game, but like even like it being shackled down to the boss designs as well. Like these, the like you can see the bosses from a mile away after you see the first one. Oh yeah, but I, but I love that you know you know crayons. Uh, of course, crayons are the evil boss of. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like Nintendo's done that a fair amount. It's sort of like uh, Yoshi's Crafted World, right? Is another game that does this thing where it goes in deep on the theme, and sometimes that works to the game's benefit and sometimes it actually works to the game's detriment all right so star renegades the reason why i put this here is because this is like a pixel art rpg but i feel like it's not doing pixel art out of you know just purely out of like nostalgia or even just like cost consideration it's just it, it almost feels like to me like hey here's what a modern pixel art game can do and this game it's an indie game does some really cool things with its backgrounds and it's sprite animations and the color schemes that it uses in this game and it, it it's like what could pixel pixel art do in like a, with modern like it's not trying to look like a super nintendo game not at all yeah. but it still sticks to a, a like a, a pixel art style and i just think i wanted to give it props for that it's just like not everything has to be like high definition photorealistic and it, you it, know it looks what, really I, nice. I, i'd argue that this should stay on the list because this is the most outstanding part about that game in my opinion yeah you know what really thing about the game you know what it reminded me of when I was watching you for like casual mode and whatnot? Reminded me of like if somebody made a Neo Geo game today with the way that the animations kind of work across like the battlefields and whatnot. It feels Stuff like a like game made with modern like post processing effects. It's like a retro futuristic yeah. like appliance of art. I um I I have a an entry, a last minute entry that I know is going to get shot down because I think okay. I'm the only one who played it. Uh, Moon. Hmm. So Moon cool. has like a like, has like a claymation style, right? Yeah. So Moon is fucking. F- I'm going to say the first fuck of the night. It's fucking fascinating how this was a game made in the mid '90s, and it has a such a, a like an a unique visual identity that I don't think I've seen any other game try to approach. It uses this like combination of claymation and sprite work with like these really cool like I don't know if I'd call them like watercolor background like what kind of background style this is besides just like really good but What's basically a pastel yeah, it's pastel. It takes all these different ideas, and I know this is kind of cheating because this, but this is the first time America, you know, the West has ever seen moon. Like it's, it's the first time it's ever gotten official uh, English release. Yeah, so I mean I, that's fair because we're only counting localization. So for us, this is a 2020 game. Yeah. So Moon somehow manages to be timeless despite its like you know it is when they remastered Moon, they didn't try to like redraw everything. They didn't try to clean up all the edges. They kept it very as is, but just cleaned up a little bit. It's still very pixel based, but 
the the fact that there's so much detail put in to every single npc every like the amount of claymation that must have gone into making this is ridiculous there's so it's it's kind of like i mean everyone here has played majora's mask um the the court like the concept of majora's mask in reality is this is a world filled of flawed people and they need your help so you go around talking to all these individual people and you learn a bit about their backstories majora's mask they just reused a bunch of models from ocarina of time moon had to go in and make unique like uh different claymation designs for so many different characters i'd argue there's probably more characters in this game than majora's mask and all of their designs somehow stand out and they fit those particular characters and there's no two characters that look the same everybody seems like completely unique and in the cases where it does seem like they like you know reuse a bunch it's for a purpose like there's a city where it's just full of a bunch of robots that are the exact same and like that's part of the charm of that area moon is like one of the most artistically brilliant games i've ever played in my entire life and you could call me a pretentious idiot that's fine but i honestly think that even though i'm the only one here who's played moon it is such an important game in like for so many reasons that it deserves to at least get a mention and well i think out of all these the art design is what's most apparent for it if you look like if any of you could look at moon right now on google images and see what i'm talking about it's a very stark and interesting aesthetic that no other game has tried to capture successfully no that's I, thank you for bringing that up yeah that that was Moon, Moon is one of those things where I've seen and I've gone, oh, it sort of reminds me weirdly of Rayman 2, which which isn't relevant because it's, it's that that's like a very vague observation. But I see where you're coming from. There's here comes a new challenger. We haven't talked about Hades, um, and Hades is the sexiest game that has ever lived. Like legitimately, so good design wise. I I was considering just cutting this off the list when we were talking about cuts because I was like, out of all the games here. And out of all the things Hades does well, is its art style one of the best ones? And I almost said no, but then I thought about it, and the character designs, every single character is so unique. I was going to say hot, but that's that's not why. But they're so <laughs> well done. They're so full of character. I think it's the winner, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually going to come out of left field and say, well, I was going to argue for 13 Sentinels. I'm watching just this little like video that Adam posted in like the staff chat. I think that Star Renegades honestly might deserve the shout. Because the thing with me with 13 Sentinels is that, yeah, the visual novel aspect, the adventure aspect of it is just completely beautiful. And for all you can say about it being more vanilla where it's definitely, like, by a significant margin, the best work they've ever done, that aspect. But as much as I like the RTS moments, the art style there is definitely a little bit bland. Um, but looking at the Star Renegade stuff, like, just the... how dynamic it is and the way that lighting affects the arenas and all that, it, it looks really nice, and it looks really detailed in a way that you, you really don't see in that many pixel art games or like the vast majority of them. Like it very much, well, I guess it does remind me a bit of uh, Octopath in that sense. But even then like Octopath, it was like, like proper 3d like environments where this one, it's all like, 
it is 3D, but it's like 2D elements on planes from what I can tell. So yeah, parallax. So yeah. just, to, just, to, just to state the list, just for people who don't have it in front of them, we have 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, Hades, Star Renegades. And then I think we're going to knock off Moon, even though Colin made a great case for it. It's just, unless someone else feels strongly to keep it on there, it just doesn't have... I mean, to be fair, 13 Sentinels won a room where only like three people played it. So, hmm. but that's fine. Just, I could go. I could go for me. I could go for either Hades or Star Renegades here. Yeah, um, I, I think, think both are exceptionally good looking. Yeah. I, I think 13 Sentinels has props. Like it's definitely uh, like a you know a gorgeous, gorgeous game. Like a, essentially a moving painting. But you you know like the, we're we're thinking of, of things that really like popped out this year. And I think Hades and Star Renegades are like at the forefront of like presenting uh, new art styles and, and new ways to incorporate, you know, essentially like a, a sort of unique beauty into a game. And while 13 Sentinels is like definitely the best work that Vanilla Brick has done, like to a like, scale wise, especially in the background work, it is definitely, you know, it's distinctly a VanillaWare game where Hades using- and Renegades has like come out of nowhere. If we're using that argument, then I think we've basically made the argument for Star Renegades because, like, even Hades is basically just an extension of what, um, uh, it's Supergiant, right? Yeah, Supergiant did on Bastion and Pryor, and but they're they're definitely different, like uh, Bastion, uh, Pyre, uh, Transistor, and Hades, like, they're all like distinctly different art wise. While, while Vanillaware does have a style, Hades doesn't really like rely on like past well, games to provide its own identity. The reason I mention that is is that like as much as I love the majority of Hades art style, maybe this is a bit out of left field, but I really don't like the way that some of the character models look. Mm-hmm. Like the actual like enemy character models. Okay. And that's an art style that's very similar to some of the like enemies that you face in, say, Bastion. I... So I, I still think Hades should win, um, but I do. I, I see what James means there. Uh, that's one of the elements that made me go. Uh, Hades doesn't like do that much that well, like artistically. I was thinking gameplay wise. Uh, so I see. I, I do see what you mean, but I still think just personally, as the thing that drew, drew me to Hades was that anime announcement trailer that they did. That looks fantastic, and that drew me to it. And then I played the actual game. I was like, wow, okay, this looks better. Like it's not just some flashy trailer, uh, which not to not to dump on Star Renegades. That's what Star Renegades did. Uh, if you go to the casual mode for that video, you'll actually hear uh, Brian. Brian and I be like, "Wow, that intro is awesome!" Like, so what's the game like? And it's like, "Oh, very different." But this is I will say the one thing about Star Renegades that I think holds it back is maybe the character art a little bit, but like the actual like portrait art, not like the pixel art. I don't know. Is this like, going to come down Hades to a probably vote between Hades and Star Renegades, or sh- and should we include Thirteen Sentinels still? I think it sounds like Star Renegades is running away with it, but like a lot of it is that it has really great and striking portraits, but then Star Renegades has this level of like dynamicism to it at the expense of maybe not having as great of portraits. It's kind of like two different uh, strengths. I like the dimensionality that Star Renegades has. There's definitely like a, a feel of like oh, there's an actual like battlefield while you know Hades has like a lot of great environmental designs and like set pieces, but like the 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 actual like landscape of it is something that you've you've seen in other games before. I would I would then call the attention to the start of every Hades section 
when you see like the overview of where you're going to be fighting, they are stunning. They are they are worthy. Uh, and then when you finally get to the end of Hades and you get to the to like the out out of uh, the house of Hades and you see the outside world for the first time and Zacharias is just there in the snow. It looks fantastic. Like I would have that as art on my wall. Um, where Star Renegades looks really good. Like I, I'm, I, I definitely see what you mean about dimensionality and just how unique it looks. But in terms of art, I genuinely think Hades could be like framed somewhere. I think it's frankly embarrassing that we haven't talked about Cold Steel Four. All, All right, right. Uh, Alex, if you had to pick between Hades and Star Renegades, uh, I thought about it a lot, and I think actually it is Star Renegade. Uh, Colin, I'll say Hades. Because hot people. Hades. Josh. Oh, man, this is so tough. I really like both games. Skip for now, come back to me. <laughs> I'm thinking about All it. All right. I'm going to pick Star Renegades for my vote. Adam? Uh, I'm biased, but I'm going to pick Star Renegades partially because I grew up in that sort of DOS pixel art era in Star Renegades. James? I'm going to pick Star Renegades because as soon as I mentioned that it looks like a Neo Geo game, that, make, that made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. This game right, and, that, and, and that makes uh, Josh's vote That's not matter. Exactly. Just by a hair, I would pick Star Renegades just a pinch above Hades. All right. So again, <laughs> a really, really close pick. And I hope Troll. anyone who sees the list and wants to yell at us for picking this indie game will come and listen to us and again see how close it was it's never an easy selection for any of these categories I, i'm kind of surprised that that adam was really to let it go like ah it's probably not gonna be. it's like adam no all right so the winner for the best art for 2020 is star renegades wow that's so surpri- that's surprising after this list yeah that's yeah. my opinion and we'll move right along into Best music, another straightforward category that hmm, I, I won't give away the game. Let's just go through the list. The nominations for best music for 2020 are Final Fantasy VII Remake, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. I have some comments on that one. Yeah. 13, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, Sakura Wars, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, Persona 5 Royal, and Yakuza Like a Dragon. So my opinion right away, I'm just going to say it, is that I look at this list and I think Final Fantasy VII Remake runs away with it. Like I, I think, think it's going to run away with Royal. I actually, to, to start off, obviously I'm the one who put Melody in Memory there, come on. But the way I'm, and I've even put it in brackets, if we're talking, it's technically a compilation of all the music of Kingdom Hearts. So I think in that way, yeah, if it got eliminated early, I'd be like, yeah, completely fair. But if we're looking at the quality of that, that is one of the best soundtracks in like gaming history on the on that disc. But it's also not new. It also doesn't really have any new arrangements besides Dilly Beloved, which doesn't win it. So I think I I so on this topic, but I think it it it, it covers the whole topic. I mean, one, there's music. Two, I think there's a question. There's an interesting question about if this top if this category should be music and sound in general. But I think one of the things that interests me is that in video games, you have a unique opportunity to use music in interesting and different ways, in interactive ways and, yep. and such. And the thing I'd say, you know, about 
the execution in Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory is um, it's a fine rhythm game, but it, I, I think actually in terms of the way it uses that music, I don't think the rhythm gameplay is particularly uh, exciting. I hate all the sound effects it props over the top of it. Same problem that Theatre Rhythm had. Like for God's sake, at a point, just let people hear the music that they're playing along to. Um, and that's where in, for my money, Final Fantasy VII just runs away with it. Like, you know, the, the, there are so many standout tracks, you know, the one at the start of the game is really um, the, the, the Scorpion battle, which has like six different phases. Most of the bosses have, an, in fact, I think all the bosses have at least three different musical phases, but many of them have five or six. Um, I said this in a previous podcast, but I really love the various renditions on the Turk theme. Yeah. When you see like the ships coming, the helicopters, I mean, and then, like during the boss battle at the top of the tower, like there's d- different versions of it, and I just think it's like really well done. The way musical motifs are used in that game. So when you fight uh, Reno, for instance, the the way that that battle theme is touches on the melodies of the Turks theme, the Shinra theme, the boss theme, all at once. It's just so good. <laughs> the same for like when you fight Rufus. It's really. It's it's a mix of those who fight further the, the boss theme and the Shinra theme. Plus, um, of course, Tifa and Aerith themes are well done. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I, I just it's it's so good. I mean, I know, um, I think someone's probably going to speak up in favor of Persona Five Royal. I want to say this: I think it's great, but I think there is a tradition. Tradition, there is a pattern with these Persona enhanced releases, which is that the additions to the soundtrack are never as good as the soundtrack of the original game. Really? I, I feel this way. I feel this way about Fez. I feel this way about P4G and I feel this way about P5R. I, I agree with you, but there, but there are like the persona five Royal feels like an exception. The only thing I didn't like about Royals uh, additions was the new ending theme. I feel like the original ending theme was much, much, much stronger and much more thematically relevant for that game. But the, there are the, all the musical additions to Royal, and I don't think this will win this category because no, you know, it, it, it is like ninety five percent, you know, the same soundtrack and involved. It's still, a da- a damn I'm not saying they're not great additions. I'm yeah. just saying I don't think they stand out as much as the original soundtracks. It always feels like when they're doing those re releases that he's holding back for the next game. It's like <laughs> yeah, I, I do, I do ideas. I'm gonna. It almost feels like you know. I always wonder were these tracks that were like partway there and then didn't get used and then he revives them um it always feels like when he's coming out strong with a new theme to tackle that's when his music is at its most when Megaro's music is at its most exciting Um, and yeah uh, if royal's getting cut now that's fine i put it up there because i wanted to gush because i think personally all of the new tracks in persona 5 royal are the best at like the best persona 5 songs period i think throw your mask away is the best final boss theme in the series. I think the new battle theme is amazing. It brings like a sense of energy to battles that the original game just doesn't have. Uh, with the ending theme, I don't um, like, I think both of them are really good. If someone were to say, Oh, it's not as good as the original. I couldn't really argue on that. I love it a lot. Um, but just like all of those brand new songs in Royal feel leaps and bounds better than the songs from other re-releases. 
and like you like on my phone i have a fuck i have a ton of game soundtracks when i go to listen to persona 5 music i don't go back to listen to original persona 5 music i boot up those royal uh, tracks and just like i would agree that is a banger to be fair or throw away your mask whatever they call it so good i would say something incredibly relevant okay Persona 5 or Persona 3 FES adds a jazz dungeon track. That's the best track in that game. (laughs) Oh, good. Uh, I would say I would be very happy if Final Fantasy VII Remake won this as well because a lot of that music is incredible. Um, There's 106 songs and all of them bang. But there's a chapter of that soundtrack coming out, what, in six days? Mm. Something like that. But I will say Yakuza Like a Dragon is some of the boss themes there are some of the best I've heard in a really long time. Even the normal uh, battle theme is like something I never got like tired yeah. of. It's awesome. Like, <laughs> like, battle, the battle, battle, the battle, two battle. that jumped to my mind, are the quite late ones are, uh, spoilers, obviously, uh, Majima and oh. Kiryu, their themes are, holy crap, they are good. They are absolute energetic Joe bops. And even a fan, really. Joe and they are one <laughs> So yeah, but when you then like uh, go to that big the difficulty gap like against Majima for the first time, like that is one of the iconic themes. Yep, yep. In that game, like so, uh, I don't think Yakuza Like a Dragon is gonna win this because it is an in- inconsistent OST. But the but the way they utilize that soundtrack is so well done. It's like a different energy from past Yakuza games. I think Yakuza Like a Dragon at its high end is really good. But then I think of like the sewer themes and the theme when you're in the Sotenbori Tower, and they're just fine. They're not great. Like it doesn't yeah. have that high yeah. average. No, I, I'm okay. not here. I'm I'm saying like Final Fantasy all the way, but it definitely special mention to Yakuza because like I want to listen to that. Thing. I think you know we want to give all these games their due, but I think uh, I just think there's no contest in this category. I mean, it, it, the the thing about Final Fantasy VII Remake soundtrack is just not only does it do excellent work with. Um, with the original music, but there's just some great new tracks from like Hamuzu and um, I forget his name, but the chap who did Octopath did that absolutely ridiculously good ghoul boss battle theme. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Train graveyard. It's got a little bit of everything in that regard. It's got fan service stuff. It's got new stuff and everything in between. It's just great. Yeah. I think, I think, I think think, think FF7 remake will ultimately win this category. Yeah, uh, because it it does have that like I, I always think about its OST kind of like how Digital Devil Saga went into had this integral OST like every single track on there I wouldn't skip if it made it up on a playlist because the, that's like the general quality of FF Seven remakes tracks are like astoundingly superb. Um, I, I will I'll cut out Soccer Wars, but even though I want to give it its due, I think it's gonna fight its battle elsewhere in a different category. But like the uh, just the the revisiting like this classic series of Japan, it's like kind of not not its first time localization out here in the West. But Koei Tanaka like revisiting that series and giving like new arrangements to classic tracks is like it's so, it, yeah, it feels so heartwarming and like to like revisit that. It's like oh, it still sounds distinctly like those like iconic pieces, but, but with a more soothing, comforting tone to it. Is like it's uh, I love that I love I like parts of that soundtrack it's not it doesn't hit all the way like a lot of it's like action like tracks are kind of forgettable but like the, the actual like relaxing tone as you're going to the going through the grand, uh, grand imperial three theater and like all the uh places you visit along the like kind of that town 
Like, it was really good. I really like that OST. Um, All right, um, Xenoblade. I don't I'm think it's say it's Xenoblade has a fantastic soundtrack for the re for the re release. They sort of just like orchestrated it, so it's sort of like cleaner version of the soundtrack, but not really like rearranged. It's really good. I don't think it really counts this year. No, it's, yeah. yeah, it's from 2010. It's still I would say, have won in 2010. Yeah, I will say that they did actually rearrange some songs like slightly. Like there's like one instrument that might be replaced with yeah. a different one. It's like, but it, like you said, well, okay. If we were going off of just like overall soundtrack quality, regardless of year, I think Xenoblade would run away with it. It's but, really good. It just yeah. from ten years ago. That's yeah. just a big footnote that I can't yeah. ignore. Well, the, the the one that's going to be like hard to like let go of here, but I I agree that FF Seven remake should win it. But Thirteen Sentinels has like a really really banging OST. All, I, of, it, all of it's all I of it's recently like, go for it. I recently learned that the person who did like the Raiden Five soundtrack did some of the music in yeah, Thirteen that, Sentinels, and I'm going to be honest, that like makes me like way more interested in it because the Raiden Five soundtrack is banging, like you said. It's just like <laughs> yeah, it's also mainly by one of the people who does some of the tactics games, right? Yes. The, yeah. No, it's it's Base Escape, which is his company. It's Sakamoto's yes. company. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm just gonna say like my two cents on Thirteen Sentinels has a great soundtrack. I feel like it does some really neat things with it, one specific like song during the battle sections. That's really cool. But I didn't feel as strongly about it as some other people did. So I would. I, I'm perfectly fine with just letting Final. Well, it doesn't even matter at this point. It's clear that Final Fantasy VII remake takes it. But, yeah. I, 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 I'll, I'll give it its proper kudos. Like one, like it's all like it's thematically relevant to like the plot. Like uh, all of its battle themes are named after amino acids and whatnot, and that's could like obviously deeply relevant to its sci-fi nature. Uh, so all of the battle themes are great. I really like the way that it makes use of this one vocal track a, a, in the game and how it builds up to it. Uh, one of the stories in Thirteen Sentinels. Uh, it's about a guy like basically establishing communication with a key character through his TV. Like this character has been trying to reach out to him through his TV, and there's like a like a like a blurred like kind of noisy version of this uh, one vocal track that you don't really get to hear clearly for a good chunk of that game. And you're trying to like find out the mystery behind like the relationship between this girl from the TV establishing communication with this kind of like playboy essentially. Um, and uh, and the final battle of that game, like the whole. Like context around that uh, Thirteen Sentinels final battle is trying to uh, keep communication and uh, with this uh, key character and like she's a, she's an idol she can uh, sing very well and like uh, through throughout that whole battle is a buildup of like hearing that vocal theme clearly and uh, it, it's like a very like dire situation losing battle and that uh, and the only way you can like know that she's still there is that vo- vocal theme and it's it's fading away into the background. It's it like it hits you so hard during the final stretch of that game. It's like no, don't go, don't, don't go. Like you can, you can. Just I also that love how it's, I yeah. also love how very specifically they don't fade away. Like in the middle of the song, it specifically cuts out because yeah. of like a story reason. It's just like really cool. Like, but that's like the one major interesting thing I'd say that Thirteen Sentinels does with its soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack, but yeah, yeah. FF7 remake just like it, 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 it's an, it's not, it's not only just doing like new tracks. It's like an ode to a, to a legacy. And how do you live up to that? And it, and it just does it immaculately. Yes. So it sounds like we have Final Fantasy VII remake edges is out. 
13 Sentinels. They're probably not quite as close. Looks like Final Fantasy VII Remake. We kind of knew as soon as we read it off that it would likely win in the absence of any weirdness. So the, um, the category award for best music goes to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Moving right along to the category of design and immersion. So this one does require some particulars. Um, let me just read off the nominations first. The nominations for best design and immersion are Yakuza Like a Dragon, Hades, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Sakura Wars, and 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I'll go ahead and speak to Yakuza Like a Dragon. Clearly, the reason that this one was nominated was due to its major shift from a action brawler hybrid to a turn-based RPG in the vein of something like Dragon Quest, as stated openly in the game. And it is something that has allowed the game to have a different tone story-wise, to have a different feel when it comes to the importance of characters and character interactions. It probably made it my favorite Yakuza game, just as an RPG nut like I am. So I would be 100% on board putting my vote. I know I'm kind of jumping the gun, but putting my vote behind Yakuza Like a Dragon here for best design and immersion because it just worked out I think better than anyone really anticipated, at least in my opinion. I'm going to jump ahead and say I almost agree with you 100% because I love Like a Dragon and how it implements the RPG systems, but I don't think they're there yet. I think a sequel that eliminates some of the iffy bits about Like a Dragon would like make this an easy pick for me, but I feel like the problems with like a dragon, such as enemy positioning, sometimes just being a pain in the ass and it kind of being kind of simplistic for most of the game. I think stuff like that makes me go uh, less likely to vote for this and instead vote for Hades, which we've talked you know about what? before. I just want to say mm. that you say that and I find myself nodding my head. Like uh, I, I'm with you actually. Like, But like then to say that, not, not to crap on like a dragon. Cause I love that game. Uh, it is a phenomenal accomplishment what they've managed to do with it. Uh, it. It's almost unreal that it actually exists and we can talk about it in the capacity that we have. But stuff like that makes me go, okay, next time around, that, that that's going to win that. Like so my is going to be amazing. It's Hades. Um, we talked about it earlier. Uh, and I think the way, the way that Hades shifts the roguelike genre on its head to you don't mind if you die. You really don't care if you die, because like I said earlier, you get awesome interaction with characters, you get another chance to explore, you just get so much variation in what you achieve, like what you can go out and find in the gameplay. I think it all just wraps together so well to this game that just it just it feels endless in a way. Like roguelike usually do, but it just you keep playing and then suddenly Zagreus has a funny nickname for one of the bosses, and then suddenly oh another one of the appeared. Yeah, like, that's one of the best bits. I remember Adam very like feverishly talking about it and the the game is full of stuff like that like no game i've ever played so personally well, i vote hades uh, for yeah. hades i want to specifically shout out the little interactions that are just throughout the entire game like the fact that um like so the way you get um one of your power-ups is by like taking boons from gods and they'll have comments on uh, like some of the things that you've been doing. They'll have comments on who you've picked that run. And well, it's just like the entire game. It feels like they thought of damn near everything. And it just makes the world feel so much more alive. And that above all else just deserves props. There's a lot of unique dialogue in that game. That's like a big, big, big part of like, the early access design, like design process, uh, being beneficial to Hades, because a lot of uh, every time there was like a, a new like patch for Hades, did the early access 
process. It was like, oh, we're adding new unique lines, you know. So like, it's just like it's a culmination of just like, th- like literally thousands of unique lines in that game for every specific instance. This There's a staggering number of lines. Uh, I, I argued against Hades for the writing category earlier because I was thinking about this category partially. It's just so baked into this this roguelike loop, this this design with how the character writing and these new lines appear after each time you go through the loop. There's also just a very clear like treadmill of game content, if you will, like speaking totally mechanically here. Each time you go through the game, you're either unlocking like a better boon for a weapon, a different bonus you can unlock, or or powering up a certain bonus on that mirror in addition to all the different like character things you can do so you always feel like even if you get a really shitty build as you're running through the the roguelike loop and like die a little bit in you're still progressing in some manner so it never feels like you're redoing anything like a lot of roguelikes fall into he's like oh i gotta start over in some way hades doesn't kind of avoids that um so i i'm very particular about my roguelikes and uh because usually I just go off of like, oh, does it keep my attention? Yes or no? I don't like to play these games that much. Hades is amazing, <laughs> and I could not put it down. So I think like all like what's left to say that you guys haven't all said? But like I I don't care for super giant games usually. Not that they're bad. They're just usually not for me. And there's some stuff that takes away from my overall enjoyment. I have no like. There's no issues with Hades. It's as close to a perfect roguelike as you can get. So I honestly think, yeah, Hades does kind of deserve this. All right, is anyone going to go to bat yes. for uh, any of the other games on this list? I, I put Soccer Wars on this on this list. It's it's obviously probably not going to win. I will say that a lot of this um, the Soccer Wars thing is a lot of uh, it's about legacy and like Soccer Wars, like seeing like the the Great Imperial Theater. Being in fully 3D, being fully explorable, seeing what these, like you know, these rooms are now in this like iconic location in video games, you know, and coming back to it and seeing like how this, you know, um, the this Taisho era is now fully, you know, uh, like re- fully realized like with modern tech and seeing like how the lip system uh, is like fully integrated into like mo- a modern video game. Like that's a lot of a lot of soccer awards for me is like coming back to like a like. Uh, an old home uh very comfortable something i'm very deeply familiar with like being able to like it's it's the most it's probably the most like comfortable like location in a video game i played this year oddly enough because the, it it has so much like attachment to older entries when it comes to like environmental design and seeing how atmosphere is such like a crucial part of this game um but you know i, I it got its props I, I like it's it's amazing. It's like a really cozy game for fans of the series. Yeah, it's it's great, but it's that's not going to cut the it's not going to make the cut. So I'm okay with letting it go. Let's put the bullet in 13 Sentinels and say that what was um, great about that game was its story, which we've already commendated. The RTS gameplay, while fun, doesn't really do anything wholly unique. I do like the the the, the interface it does give you in that game. Like if you, it's like a war table, almost like a tactical war table that you're kind of putting like chess pieces. On yeah. seeing it go like that's a that was a really cool design decision. Yeah, I do think so, that it was worthy of the nomination here, but we talked about it at length for its strong storytelling, like giving it the award. So, like it belongs here, but we gave it the award it deserved. I feel like, yeah, remake is has a really amazing combat system, but I yeah. feel like it doesn't deserve this because all of the side quests are bad. That is what I was going to say is that it is the best 
attempt at an action-based game that is still true to the ATB roots that Final Fantasy has ever attempted. And by God, it's attempted a lot of them, but this is <laughs> overall design and overall immersion. And those side quest chapters just pull you right out. In my opinion, it's busy work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do want to give like I spent, I'm the one that wrote the review for this, and even though I mentioned I was lukewarm on the story, I gushed for paragraphs about the combat. But a lot of games have really good combat. It it feels like if it took that one further step and integrated it in some like really cool optional side quests leading to like a unique boss with unique designs, unique. If if it took that extra step, it doesn't really quite. It it nails it throughout the main story. The fight against Rufus, uh, the fight against that giant mech at the end where you're playing it with Barrett. And the Rufus Barrett. fight is so good. In a similar way to Like a Dragon, I feel like there there really is a chance for the sequel, part two, could do, like, with the open world, hopefully, being in it, they could really go nuts there. And, like, again, I feel like when we're coming back in a year or two and sequel, when part two is finally out and Like a Dragon 2 is finally out, I feel like then we'll be able to go, they really improved on... And what they had was amazing. Like, the combat, I couldn't stop gushing about, but it doesn't win this list. And the last one on the list is something that uh, Adam nominated, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. I feel like I know why you nominated this, but I'll let you uh, speak to it. Yeah, let me speak to it briefly here, just because it's the first time we're mentioning it um, yeah. outside of the big list that we gave earlier. So Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, what it is, it's basically a Japanese indie game um, published by Marvelous. So it's not really indie, but uh, made by a core team of like only two or three people. And it blends rice farming mechanics with this sort of side scroller rpg and i can feel like josh with a sniper rifle about to say but um but anyways uh it it what it does is like to get so you play as a goddess in this game named sakuna and you do these side scrolling rpg sort of systems but you don't gain like stats or experience by like defeating enemies that all comes from this rice farming mechanic which is half the game and the rice farming is very, very involved in terms of what you have to do in terms of how you plant the seeds, how much water you give, the temperature of the water, um, when you have like a high amount of water and when do you let it drain with the seasons, what sort of fertilizer you put in and different ways you approach this can affect the rice properties in different ways and how you grow your rice can affect they directly affect Sakuna's stats. Like, for example, I believe like the stickiness of the rice affects her vitality, which is her defense, basically. Um, and so I think it's just kind of like this really neat new system that's never been done before, this novelty thing again, in terms of this blend of this rice farming with the action RPG side of things, the side scroller. And it's all built into like this, this loop structure where every day... Um, you have to tend to your rice in some way, and then you can go out into the field to to farm for items, to get p- uh, materials that you can use to like put in your fertilizer or to create meals with, um, which also affect your daily stats. And it's just like this really, it's sort of like a peanut butter and chocolate thing going on here where um, they just work really well together in some like miraculous way. I do have a few hangups with it, and Josh is now cocking his rifle. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I just I think, think I wanted to crack a rifle <laughs> or whatever. He's cutting the sights, but um, it's it. I think it just it's it works way better than I expected it to, uh, and I wanted to give it some props for that because it's nothing. It's not like anything else. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should say oh, the one thing about it that I think is probably the least 
um, maybe similar to like you know, the Yakuza talk, like maybe a sequel could polish it up a bit. It does throw a lot of like different equipments at you and stats at you and other bonuses you can get that are kind of like not really useful or worth it. And it maybe could use a little bit more focus there. But I think otherwise, just the overall identity of the game is really strong. Yes, I, I do agree that it's probably outside of like 13 Sentinel, it's probably the most unique game on this list. It, it's trying something that like no other uh, like standard game has really kind of done the way it, it, it's. You will be you will learn how to make rice by the end of this game. Like you will ingrain into your brain, you know how to make rice from scratch <laughs> after this game. Um it's a lovely, lovely, charming RPG. Uh like uh, I do have like, you know, I've already stated my review, like I think that there's an intensive time uh, timely nature of it that kind of drove me away from it. Like uh, like say because everything you're doing is like on a on a day timer. Every like no matter what you're doing, if you're standing around like the day is going by and the the day the day structure is kind of can work against you if it, especially during nighttime because during nighttime enemies get more vicious there are lo- several levels ahead of you and this can like switch to nighttime like in the middle of combat as you're if you're taking too much time so like it, like in the middle of boss battles boss battles can just like one shot you in the middle of that if you took too much time to beat that boss and whatnot so that that was uh, like strictly gameplay wise, uh, that was where I like, where I kind of like didn't like it. But uh, as a whole, when you're combining like the the side scroller RPG and like uh, farming rice mechanics together, like it does it like it's such a a lovely like charming way that like it's it's hard not to like feel that like you've gone through like hard work after playing this game. It's like I I came out on top of this game uh, of this challenge just by like planting rice and like caring for them in such a meticulous way that like it, it feels fulfilling and that no other game uh, really strikes when i i haven't played this but i watched adam play it for several hours and the game that come the word that comes to mind for me for this game is inspired it just feels like the devs had a good idea they ran with it in some ways it works incredibly well it's just so unique i'm, I'm glad okay. i got a shout out here but in case you oh, missed yeah. it we kind of deliberated it pretty early in this list uh, it looks like the design, the award for design and immersion is going to go to Hades. And I feel like no one really has like any reason to to fight against that. And it's totally well-deserved. Uh, unlike the other games on this list, it doesn't need to wait for a sequel to perfect what it set out to do. Hades definitely is. I don't know, man. I don't know. And I think that'd be even better. There yes. we go. <laughs> we'll revisit next, uh, next time we see you from Supergiant. On to the category for ongoing support. And again, this can be single players with DLCs, multiplayer games that have continuous good support throughout 2020, etc. Let me go down the list. We've got Genshin Impact, a recent release that is already deserving to be in the nominations. Neo 2 plus its DLC. It just had its third DLC pack land like a day ago. Pokemon Sword and Shield Expansion Pass. Clearly, like that's the main Pokemon release for this year in a kind of a, a shakeup for the series. Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers. Specifically, we're talking about this year's releases of patches 5.2, It's kind of a perennial on this list, and it was our winner last year, but deserving to be on the list again. Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind DLC came out early in this year. Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Iceborne released proper last year, but had continuous title updates throughout this year. And Fantasy Star Online 2 released this year, but has kind of like blitzed through several years worth of content updates on like a weekly basis so deserving to be on this list um i'm not going to pick out what i think 
is a front runner here, but I think I'm going to go ahead and try to knock two off the list just, just to kind of shorten up right away. All right, Neo George, two. you ready to fight for kingdom hearts? Let me go ahead and make your job easier. Um, I think Neo two is a fantastic game. It really surprised me and I'm going to push for it in the main list, but having played the first two DLCs, I haven't gotten to the third one yet. It just released. The DLCs just feel very typical. They're like they're they're Great. the exact sort of they're the exact sort of DLC you expect for a game like this. They don't do anything new. They're solid. They're fine. Nothing groundbreaking. And because of that, for the category of ongoing support, I'm going to go ahead and nix Neo Two, which again I think is a fantastic game. Just the DLC doesn't put it here. The other I know one Lucas in reviews for Neo Two basically said he likes the new weapons and he likes the bosses, but he's sort of honestly given up on like the story additions. He's like, "No, oh, this is stupid." But the, but the but the weapons and bosses are cool. Yeah. And then Fantasy Star Online Two, I've kept up to date on, like playing it every other day. I think that it's been quite an experience to try to experience. Uh, that's a bit redundant. It's been quite the thing to see this game like through six or seven years of development within the span of like nine months. And to see like the rough edges of episodes one, two, and three, to see like the weird diversion they took with four, to see it really coming into form in five and six. But it's just so uneven when you're playing that stuff that's like from 2012, 2013, playable on Vita. It doesn't, it doesn't stand the test of time quite as well. It's stronger near the end. It for and let's be real. Support, they just it's a new Genesis, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't deserve. It's it's a commendable, unique release. It's kind of a weird highlight of 2020. Like, oh yeah, that all happened this year. If we had a category for like most monumental localization, like task, that would be probably PSO too. Because not only did they give like years, years, years worth of content, it's all like there's like English dub throughout that whole entire game too, and all the concerts have like an English dub like variant as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah if we yeah. were, I'll say right now, if you were ever going to give like localization like company of the year awards to anyone it would have to be sega this year they've just been crazy with what they've been pushing out the localization of fantasy star is a bit uneven a lot of that's just due to the like the sheer cast of characters and you've got like 25 characters with 20 unique voices not all of them are going to be great but the top end they are really good i do think what they've done with the concerts is like really commendable there's this very silly song that's like a fantasy star like theme song that it's it's like a Eurobeat sort of thing that I feel like this there's no way this works in English. It just can't. And then it does. It just does. And if you go to it like on YouTube, like the comments kind of echo that. They're like, this shouldn't work in English, but they made it work somehow. And all the concerts are like that. So a very cool game. Interesting to talk about. It doesn't work for ongoing support. So I'll knock that uh, and no two off the list. Let's do the Kingdom Hearts thing. Let's get it out of the way. Um, okay, okay. I'll do, I'll do this. I'll do this. George, I'll help. Let, me, let me give you my perspective. I just don't think it's a very good DLC. Mm. I, I oh just, it's, okay. it, it, it's not it price tag. It comes through a bit towards the end with some interesting, uh, super hard, like, end game boss battles. But, like, the story stuff goes nowhere. Half of it is before it gets to those big boss battles, is pretty average i would say and then after you've completed all that stuff the story thing it gives you at the end is like a 10 minute cutscene that tells you nothing feel free to oh. argue against me here but that's my stance on it okay. I, no, I have I, an argument oh okay i sorry sorry Colin. i gotta say it. um i th- the thing is when i reviewed remind uh i gave it a seven so for me to argue it here 
I'm I'm not arguing at winner. There are much more worthy things, but I will say that the I really enjoyed the story stuff. Uh, I do think replaying the battles all over again was a pain in the ass. Was pointless. Was padding. And I don't think Scarlet Kalen was very fun at all, to be honest. But the bosses kept herself. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm just going down this train now. Uh, I think the bosses, especially Yozora, they're all fantastic. They're some of the best in the series. And I would say that the update they added alongside Remind is almost better than Remind itself. Like the update where they added a few new moves and they added two new keyblades, that changed how the game plays so much and makes Sora's base like combat skills so much more fun that it's almost in line with Kingdom Hearts 2. Critical's a blast as well. Yeah, uh, I, I before this podcast, I looked up when Critical came out. Sadly, that was April 2019, so it didn't count. Oh, damn. But when you combine all of that, when you do a Critical run with Sora's new abilities, and then you've got the awesome Super Bosses next, it changes how great Kingdom Hearts 3 is. And I say that as someone who waited 10 years for it, and as someone who was really happy when it came out, but thought it could do better, that made it that game for me. Uh, I don't think it deserves to win this, but I just wanted to say, like, if you were even a slightly disappointing Kingdom Hearts 3, then give this a go. With Remind, it is a bit pricey, and a lot of it is stupid Kingdom Hearts stuff, but, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're in it for. So I just wanted to give it, like, a, a shout-out, at least. My defense of Remind is, it is fun. <laughs> I have, I'm not okay. a very critical person when it comes to Kingdom Hearts. I go brain empty, enjoy like Nomura's wild ride. It's just fun. Right. I, I don't think it deserves to win because I don't like, you know, I, but like, goddamn, it's still fun. The if story's was, still a wild ride. If there was a best boss battles category. I think this would be uh, uh, very high on that list. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I tell you this as someone who hasn't even played the DLC battles because they're too hard for my goblin brain. Uh, it's just, I, I, I really enjoy going through like YouTube and watching like, you know, uh, perfect runs of all these boss battles. And I think the fan like community around like running these bosses is like, again, I don't think this deserves to win, but it's cool just mentioning like this stuff is just like really fun to see people like grind through and just try to master these bosses. And like, and in terms of story, I think it sets up a lot of really neat stuff for Melody of Memory. It sets up a lot of cool stuff about where the next like part is going that we didn't get from the ending of KH three. Which again, I still love KH three, but just like as a fan, I felt serviced. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Um, I'll I'll take out. I'll take out another game. I'm ready to. If you're, you want to finish your thought, George. I was just gonna say that just as like the final summary, I think. Remind made Kingdom Hearts 3 what Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix was. It, it, it is essentially the Final Mix version of it, and yeah, I think fair. in terms of improving it, it does the same thing. It adds so much more content and is just, wow, perfect. Chef's kiss. Love it. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm ready to take off uh, Genshin Impact off of this list. I think Genshin Impact is was a very impressive game on release, really surprised everyone of like just like uh, how well made, uh, you know, its overall world was, and like really showing, like you know, what what Mihoyo was capable of after Honkai Impact Third on mobile. Uh, I think the ongoing support of it has been kind of crummy, to be honest. I don't think the events re- like uh, the, have really been all that great for it. You had like this uh, co-op arena battle, timed arena battle that wasn't really that engaging. 
yeah, this whole like uh, shooting star event that you know a lot of people really didn't like. It's just a lot of these like little mini like things that are just like, bolted onto it aren't really all that engaging. Um, uh, the new story chapters like it's pretty pretty good, but like it doesn't really. It's it's still a lot of like foundational work, and there's still like core core fundamental like issues with that game that have not been resolved. Like people are still you know. Uh, have issues with the the limited uh, resin system uh really restricting game time on it uh, a lot of people have been you know not really satisfied with like uh, how the uh, mihoyo support has been like with uh the zhongli banner you know like the the overall strength of that character not really like being there they really recently announced that they'll get buffed but it's like kind of like things that aren't really well thought out in advance and also you know by its nature it's a gacha game and you know the ongoing support of like gacha games is like, you know, aside from story content, like new characters that you can roll for on like a very small chance that you might get these, and and the way that uh, Genshin Impact, uh, you know, con- I'll be blunt. So I don't play Genshin Impact, but I have, I know a bunch of people that do, and through osmosis, I understand the way that the gacha system works for it. I do not think Genshin Impact should be getting a shout out when the constellation system exists. Yeah, that's I what I was going to get to. But- the, I was just going to say, the, like, w- Josh, I'm sorry to speak over you, but the way that you've talked, like, would you have nominated this? Did you nominate this? Who nominated this? I, I don't know if I put, if I put it in, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure going to cross it out. I, did, I didn't write this in, but but I, I just wanted to speak to it. And uh, also, like, we were, uh, you know, James uh, alluded to, the way that this game uh, handles its uh, dupe system, like in gacha games, usually the, the different gacha games handle their uh, dupe, dupe system differently. Like, when you roll for characters, what happens when you get a, uh, the same character in that role in this game it feels very very like gatekeeping because when you get roll uh, a dupe of a character you unlock a new constellation for them and that's kind of essentially their skill tree almost so they get they gain like new properties their abilities like some of them are very character defining of like making them like oh a quote-unquote like good or viable character and like for the obviously the high-end characters that are like that people really want they have to rely on like duplicates of like maybe a 0.6% chance to roll them again it's and there's no way there's to really you know reliably get those again it's like it's- to put in perspective most recently i've noticed that there was a huge controversy over a limited uh limited uh pull i think it's still a av- he's still available for now but zhongli that's how you pronounce it right yeah zhongli zhongli yeah. most of his kit as was described, you don't fully unlock until you get him to Constellation level 6. And he's only going to be available for, what, two months? Something like that? So you would have to draw a shit like... Yeah, I mean, I think... I think this is right. I think we can we can get into the weeds about, you know, the specifics of, of what the game... Why what the game is doing is wrong. But I think we can say that it has good support but it is doing some stuff that really undermines that, that really takes it out of the running. Yeah. I think that's for the ongoing support category. Yeah. Yes. Maybe we can speak more positively on it. If what, I mean, maybe I haven't played it. I'll be up to you guys, but when we get to the main list about the, the things that it landed with and does do well, but it doesn't seem like it's in the running for best. Ongoing and, and hopefully, you know, this time next year, they've, they've made some changes and they've continued to support the game, and then we'll be able to talk in this same category this time next year, hopefully, yeah. in a more positive light. I'm also going to shoot down Final Fantasy XIV, 
not because it's been doing anything bad per se, but I have noticed that the reception to the Bosnian front has been pretty bad. It feels like they were trying to appeal to both players that didn't touch Eureka and then players that did. And what's left is a kind of a mix that nobody really likes. Um, the raid tiers in 5.2 and most recent one, though it's pretty early to say, seems to be relatively well received, but overall it doesn't seem like it's doing anything specifically notable for the release schedule. Maybe it's notable for the sense that besides like a small delay, it's still like on schedule during this crazy year, but that's probably discussion for some someplace else entirely. Um, I feel like Alex, you're going to want to fight for a Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, I have a funny feeling about it. I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about this game last year, and we I... had some big issues with the way the game launched. What I think is most impressive to me is most of my issues with the game were addressed over the course of these two expansions. I would they... agree with that, but the problem is, is that... I look at what the expansion pass gives, and like even in my like review of the expansion pass, I said that it's basically revived my interest in the series after yeah. Sword and Shield basically killed it. I think particularly the second um, DLC yes, pack was, was fantastic, and it really shows that in its design that Game Freak really has a clear vision for where they want to take the series. I'm completely excited to see what the next Pokemon game is like. The reason why I don't want to give this to the expansion pass is twofold. One, some of this content I feel like should have been in the base game. Two, it's $30. Whereas the remaining contender, Iceborne, all the content that it's received over the last year has been free. And especially compared to the base game monster hunter i feel like the overall cadence and the and the like scope of the content that's been added with iceborne has been very commendable very commendable no, i 100 percent agree with you to be honest um yeah i still I, I think the pokemon expansion pass is a little on the expensive side it definitely works out better if you didn't buy the game last year and you go and buy the the, the package yeah um that's all in one uh, and I think there are some weird issues with the DLC. Like my main one I would say is um, that second DLC is goes all in on the shiny hunting, but then there's a question of, are they just ma- not shiny um, legendary, but then that just goes in on the question of, are they making legendaries not special? Um, but yeah, no, I would agree. I think what Capcom's done with Monster Hunter is incredible. So yeah. The money thing is a big consideration it's like all free versus yeah. paid i don't even play monster hunter but like the way that james and brian speak about it on the on the Tetracast, like it is amazing what capcom have done to support that game from the start and the scope of just the fatalis fight alone and iceborne is breathtaking it's you really have to kind of experience for uh, experience them for yourself to see what I mean. But like, I'm sure like even like Brian can back me up here that the amount of like budget that went into one free DLC drop in Monster Hunter is just amazing. It's it's weird because I really like Iceborne, but when I went looking at this list, I wasn't immediately thinking, "Oh, this is going to take it." 
but I'm comparing it like pairwise between every other game. And then the only game on this list that I'm kind of surprised that we've already taken out is Final Fantasy fourteen. I guess I was I was expecting Final Fantasy fourteen Shadowbringers, which is again, I guess like falls back into your court. I was expecting that to be like a really strong contender here, but you kind of nixed it early. Yeah. I, I again, fourteen's still fantastic. It's been getting like great support, but I think really the thing that just comes down to it for me is that like the big like unique thing that they were supposed to add in Shadowbringers like post expansion, well post post patches was the boss in front and so far they have not nailed it whatsoever. The only thing just I have to say about uh, go ahead. Oh about 14 is that I I came in on 5.3 and uh 5.3 did not make a realm reborn that good. <laughs> like apparently it made it better but it's still really bad and there are like even me as someone who came in at 5.3 can see stuff that they could have easily cut and made an overall better experience but no so yeah 5.3 was the patch that shortened the realm reborn yeah, yeah. and right. short barely <laughs> hmm. well because yeah. like i said I'm, I'm looking at iceborne and i'm comparing it pairwise and i don't see it losing out so in a way no, it ends up winning could- it's and hard to beat free. Really, yeah. And like really good free, like very solid, very strong stuff. And it doesn't like re it brings us like, it's not just reskins of current monsters. It's new stuff. The Fatalis doesn't fight like any other boss and he's quite like a spectacle on his own. Yep. So yeah. All right. The uh, category award winner for best ongoing support is monster hunter world iceborne. Hey. All right. Now, he, this category can get a little bit messy because it's a genre-specific category. This is the category for best non-RPG. Now, our website, RPG site, RPG is a very hard boundary to draw. It's a foggy line that everyone draws in a different place. Um, we we de- we deliberately cast the wide net, obviously, because we're interested in these games and we're not going to you know cut off our nose to Spider-Face just to say, nah, it's not RPG enough. So these are games that we may have covered, we may have not, but we feel are some of the best of the year, but we're not certain we're convinced that they should be in consideration for RPG of the year. So this is kind of a long list. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read through it, and then we'll see if we can knock it down to our favorite non-RPG of 2020. The list for the nominations for best non-RPG are Animal Crossing New Horizons, The Last of Us Part 2, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Paper Mario The Origami King, Hades, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, Ghost of Tsushima, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, Splunky 2, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, Astro's Playroom, Robotics Notes Elite, Doom Eternal, DJ Max Respect 5, or Higurashi B. You can tell I haven't played that one. I did not nominate that. <laughs> and, and Higurashi When They Cry. You can tell who did. All right, so... I look at this list and I don't mean to like throw someone under the bus, but I can feel that George added a lot of these titles. Half to of this list. Yeah. Half of this list are, are George titles. So George, in the interest of trying to pare this down, I don't, I don't know for certain what you've added. It's just a hunch, but wh- wh- what did you pick out of this list? Uh, so I, I just like to say that if on RPG site, if you ever see an article and you're like, huh? Well, that doesn't fit on the site. Sorry, that's probably me. Uh, this whole list. Yeah, if it's a visual novel, it's either me or Colin. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm. I'd say it's the I'm, three of us, pretty much. I'm very 
I, say, I think the thing to keep in mind for this category is we're, we're, we're trying to pick something that we're, we're not picking the best other game of the year because there are plenty of websites that are doing that and there's plenty of award ceremonies that are doing that. We're trying to pick something that we think fans of the genre are really going to enjoy for one reason or another. Um, and so I think, you know, George, oh, say your piece, but I think a lot of this can be knocked off on that basis. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Um, the there are two interesting ones here that I would like to talk about. Uh, so you can knock off Tony Hawk, even though that's amazing, and you can knock off Splunky Two, even though that's amazing. Uh, the only two that I will stand my ground for uh, one is Hades, and that is simply because I mean, my money Hades is is it's an action RPG. It's on the main list. It, yeah, well, that's, it's, that's, that's, it's, it's it's very borderline, and that's why it's we might have to consider it later. But yeah, it's. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't work on this list. Not to say it's a bad game, but it's it, it doesn't. It, it's more RPG than basically anything in the list. Yeah, I think yeah. if we're yeah. talking about Hades today, we're talking about it in the actual thing. Then I'm happy with that. Like I, I think it toes a line. Obviously, I, I reviewed for the site, so I, I clearly thought enough of it to go on there. But I know there's been discussion. Like, does this can this go up against the big dogs that are definitely RPGs? So yeah, knock that one off. I'm happy for that. Uh, and the other one is one that I know Colin mentioned earlier. I know The Last of Us Part 2 is nothing to do with RPGs, and so maybe just dis- discount me here, but I think The Last of Us Part 2 is one of the greatest games I've ever played, and is a benchmark for games. Uh, I The numerous amounts of feelings I have for this game, it, it is difficult to talk about it without welling up a little bit and being like, oh god, this is, like, this is the game. Uh, so it means a hell of a lot to me, but before we like consider that, are we knocking it off based on it not being an RPG? Because I'm fine with that as well. But everything on this list, everything on this list is supposed to not be an RPG. Yeah. So, so, so running down the ones that I've played, for instance, um, Astro's Playroom. I think other than seeing some of the nice uh, nods in the background to classic PlayStation, PlayStation RPG, yeah. there's nothing in there. Uh, Crash, likewise, it's great. I think the, the, the important thing to note is anything that was read out by Brian at the start of this as one of the as one of the, the games, it's one of the best games of the year because we've because someone among us has thought about it to go on the list. Um, here's me just being brutal because this is a long list. Doom Eternal, I don't see it. It's great. Personally, I don't think it's as good as Doom 2016 either. Yeah, I'm um, fighting words. Um, Kingdom Hearts memory, Melody of Memory I think it's fine I think it's a fine rhythm game but I just don't think there's that much special about it personally (laughs) Yeah, I would say the same about Paper Mario I think there have been better Paper Mario games I think this is the best one in a long time because the last few have been truly crap (laughs) Um, I like the candor Microsoft Flight Simulator I love it it's one of my top, RPGs it's one of my out. top five games of the year. But again, if we're saying this is a game that we recommend that RPG fans try out that they might not otherwise. Um, I can't speak to DJ Max Respect and I can't speak to Higurashi. So I feel like else? if anything, the, uh, the, using the kind of like metrics you've laid out for us, like the VNs are probably the strongest contenders here. Because if you come I for... Disagree. Well... I, the reason I say that is, is that many people play RPGs for their stories. So, totally. if, so I mean, then you'd want um, people might be interested in visual novels. I mean, that's kind of like the whole reason why we why we even started covering them is because there's enough 
Yeah, yeah. So. But my pick for this, personally, but I know it probably won't be a, a popular pick, but my pick for this is probably Ori. Actually, I was going to agree. Um, I was going to pick Ori. Because of the skill, because of the, because, of the, because of the branches, because of the skill system, because of the different builds you can have, because of the way they took that game from a basic platformer and gave it these awesome combat mechanics. I know the um, developers, like, um, like Moon Studios, said that they didn't directly, they weren't directly inspired by Hollow Knight. I don't believe them for a second, but that's well, not well, a bad I, thing. I interviewed them, and the game they name dropped more than anything else was Symphony of the Night, which I can one hundred percent see. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I can see that too. Then. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we already kind of got our answer right then. Well, there, then. That, that, that's, that studio is also making an action RPG for what it's worth. So, like, they must have seen yeah. something that they that they liked with that sort of DNA. And I don't want to boil it down to like, if it has a skill system, it's immediately in contention because then everything all of a sudden is RPG like, but I look at the games on this list and that one, I'm finding myself nodding my heads to. It's one of my favorites. It's like, I honestly almost, I'm not going to argue for this. Not really, but it's so close to being on the fringe that it could have been covered by our site. It ended up not being, but it feels like it's closer than anything else on the list here. And I think when I look at this list, I see, Animal Crossing, very special game to me, and I think there's there's definitely a role-playing element to the way people play that, but I personally don't see it. And then what The Last Ghost? of Us Part 2 is a really, smesh, is a really special game. Like, like has been said, it's one of the most impressive games that's ever been made. Um, and from a story perspective, if you want a great story, for me, the two games on this list is Ori, because of the aforementioned sort of Symphony of the Night sort of feel. Um, and then also Ghost of Tsushima, yeah, because that, yes. that totally touches on that. There are shades of The Witcher in there and stuff like that, right? And there's a progression system in it as well. Like there, there, there are like spectries you could like specialize in in that game. I'd give it a ghost. I mean, like personally, out of the ones I played, because James and I know these VNs are not uh, winning, and uh, I put Robotics Notes on just to give it a shout out because. It is the it is my favorite probably sto- like non RPG story driven game I played this year, and yeah. it just it just does in my opinion everything that series kind of excels at in a different like with a spin on it. Um, it but again, we knock- is great, but you know where I stand on it. It's I know not my know. favorite science adventure. I know we're uh, not getting into this, but yeah, yeah. is a fantastic visual novel. I also understand that there is much about it that is hard to recommend, even if it's one of the classics of the genre. For one, the art style is 100% an acquired taste. Two, it's incredibly long. Like, I read VNs pretty fast, but I, I'm sure if Colin read through all of Higurashi, it would take him like over 150 hours. Probably. It's just, just look at the shade. Yeah. No, yeah, no, it's nothing so but, uh, but shade from James today. That's, that's fine. Um, but yeah, DJ Max Respect I just put on there because nobody, it feels like nobody talks about that game, even though it was like one of the huge, like largest, like PC exclusive releases this year. And it's like a fantastic rhythm game, but you're, you're right. That doesn't really belong on this list. So there is like a weird line here. It's like, these games have to be like RPG enough, but they can't be RPG too much, you know? Yeah. Well, I I hope everyone listening in kind of sees like where we substantiated it. And that's why it's separated out into like this category here. It's games we want to like recognize games on this very so particular just, basis. Just for the context, last year's winner was Sekiro, 
Sekiro. Uh, and that Sekiro was, a lot was weird, though, because like I feel like by the end of that discussion, we had kind of come to the conclusion that we probably should have included it as an actual RPG. I love yeah. that game. But in this case, yeah, I've I've taken a, a turn and gone, I'm just going to say all the games I enjoyed this year um, and that I would recommend. Probably not the best way. So stuff like, well, personally, I think Splunky 2 is, again, towing the line a bit because the whole roguelike thing. But I'm fine with that not being in consideration enough. Uh, I would say okay, let's take a turn here. So I have heard really good things about Ghost of Tsushima. It's more like an action adventure, like old style Assassin's Creed, not the RPG style, but like the older style of Assassin's Creed open world. Yes, with a skill system and, and good combat. How do, how do people feel about it? I think I it's haven't fun. played it's it yet. Super good. I yeah. I still need to pick it up. I like as soon as I heard that there was going to be like a PS5 upgrade, that basically just delayed my purchase. So it's like I'll probably play it soon, but. Yeah, it's it's a great game. Um, you can see that sort of, you can see the lineage of that team there, and it's creaky in some places in the same way as as some of their older games. But yeah, it's it's just got an attitude and a beauty to it that is really confident. Um, it is such like a our, one of my favorite like open worlds uh, this year because it is like the color palette of that game when it really booms during the daytime. It is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I love it, but for me, for this category, it is Ori, it is but I could totally... Either of those games, I could sleep at night, basically. Yeah. Yeah, Ori... So as someone that actually didn't really like the first one, I thought it was just okay. Ori 2 is such a massive step up from the first one. The combat's much better. Like, the only problem I have is I was actually one of those weirdos that really liked the chase sequences in the first one. So having, like, a lack of them in the sequel was a little bit disappointing, but I understand that that's like not a popular opinion. No, I, I actually combat- love those. I think that's a perfect purity of like, what can a boss fight look with a platformer focus? Oh, it looks like this. Like, I know people don't like them, but I, when I first escaped that sandworm near the end of Ori 2, I like pumped my fist and I was like, hell yeah. Like, I love those. As someone who is now interested to play Will of the Wisps, do you have to play the first game first, or can I just jump into Will of the Wisps? It's, a se- it's an actual sequel. Oh. But you can totally just play it, yeah. 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 Oh, cool. Then yeah, I'll just play that if it goes on sale. Well, they're both on Game Pass. Well, I, I want to play it on Switch. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so is anyone going to make a last gasp for, even though we've talked about it, how it's really great at what it does, is anyone going to make a last gasp to push Ghost of Tsushima above Ori in the Will of the Wisps? I will. Say, I will say, like, I'm not going to push for it, but I'm going to say that the the way I enjoyed Ghost of Tsushima the most was um, putting out that that difficulty where like things, everything dies like in like one or two hits. That's what made the game for me. All right, it, so it, everything. Thank you. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> now, so so the winner for this category that is admittedly a bit nebulous for best non RPG game that an rpg fan should find like a high affinity for and really enjoy is ori and the will of the wisps edging out ghost of tsushima and tony hawk and tony hawk tony Big hawk's rip. great game <laughs> now our, our last category for this section of the of the deliberations is a new one this is a best re-release and i kind of explained already kind of like why we felt this category was necessary and when I go through the list, and it's also a pretty long one, I think uh, hopefully it kind of becomes apparent like why this category become necessary because it is so frequent that a growing percentage of the games we enjoy each year are not original to that year. They're in somehow refashioned from an older year, whether it's a remaster, a re-release, uh, potentially like a remake that's not quite to the level of Final Fantasy VII Remake where it's not like a reimagining. 
let me just read through the list and then we can kind of deliberate and see what we think is the best of this of this of this this is going to be my time to shine <laughs> i feel like i haven't had much chance to talk but like i've played pretty much all of these this year all right so the list for best re-release speaking generally about re-releases is dragon quest 11 echoes of an elusive hs definitive edition persona 5 royal tokyo mirage sessions sharp fe encore xenoblade chronicles definitive edition Persona 4 Golden's PC port, Horizon Zero Dawn's PC port, Demon Souls, Rune Factory 4 Special, Utawara Mono, Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth on PC, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition. Get that out of there. <laughs> we'll get oh, to that. Oh, no. I think we can already just cut those last two, the Utawara Mono PC and Final All right, Fantasy. Let me the three, three more entries. All right. Yakuza Remastered Collection, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX, and no more heroes switch. So that I'm going to go ahead. That was Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not sure who nominated it, but I'm going to knock off Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition. I still think the I'm pretty the, sure the, we added that. I'm pretty sure we added that just so we could say this was a mess and take it off. Just, it's fucked. Can <laughs> I have the honor of knocking one off? Like, Okay, so Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE Encore is a mediocre port. Um, oh, so it was this year. Like, what the hell? January. Yeah, yeah. So it is, uh, it is a mediocre port of a frankly kind of mediocre RPG. Um, I'm with you. And with, you. It, with Tokyo Mirage Sessions, it is, I had been wanting to actually get into this game seriously since it came out. I bought it on wii u like the day came out special edition i am the biggest possible fan of fire emblem and persona and smt that you could imagine and none of this game really works it is probably the worst dungeon design from any atlas game i've ever played and encore adds next to nothing yeah and i didn't realize like because i was unimpressed with encore's additions like for fuck's sake they literally just have a lame dungeon where you run around and you unlock chests to get the dlc costumes from the original game <laughs> that's right I forgot. but yep. said costumes don't even bother adding like new music to listen to they don't they're just costumes they're boring costumes and they made the the boss of that dungeon just kind of cheap and like the difficulty of that it's not fun it just throws a bunch of bullshit at you and you kind of have to cheap your way to beating it and all the new story added in encore is nothing it is yeah. underwhelming it's terrible it's, it's gone yeah it's, it's gone uh this is a next like uh i guess housekeeping thing should dragon quest 11 be on here if it released in december it yeah it doesn't count then oh like, all right well sure. that just means it, it can yeah dragon quest needs to go i'll just mention one that i've played that i don't think should be on here horizon zero dawn pc is a fine is an okay port but um it's a bit iffy you can tell that they just weren't really used to the pc platform um yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm the one that wrote the review on that. And then I was actually surprised because I had a decent time with it. But then I saw everyone else like having a lot of trouble with it. And that's kind of the thing about PC ports. Like you can only really test your your configuration. Yeah, from, but go ahead. As someone that hasn't played the PC version, it seems like they've been doing a good enough job like patching it. Like it, they've been getting yeah. it's been getting a lot of like patches. So it's like they deserve props for fixing it. But at launch, it definitely seemed like it was 
a bit of a hot mess. So, so what you guys are telling me is that next year I can come back on this podcast <laughs> and praise Dragon Quest Eleven again? Yes. yes. All right. Yep. By the rule, by the, yeah. of the law, you can. I, that's I'll I'll spare you all this <laughs> this podcast for my unending adoration <laughs> of that game. All right. So for cutting out games, um, chop off Utsuwaru Mono. Um, this one was especially disappointing for me because, like, I was really excited to revisit it on PC. Like, eh, God, the very first game of the year cast I was on, 2017, I am still haunted for not being able to back up Zach for uh, Utsuwaru Mono because that absolutely deserved to be in the top five for Mask of Truth. It just... <clears throat> The ports aren't good. Like I remember when I first booted it up, and it was in a window, and I was like, and it was thirty FPS, and I was like, oh no! Then I Seven. full screened, and it's like seven twenty p thirty FPS, and it's like, yeah. oh no! <laughs> All right, I'm um, not sure how that got nominated. Maybe it's just on the list as a re-release, but yeah, clearly like, not, clearly just not one of the best of the year. Just so we could cut it. Yeah, just to put in perspective, though, like immediately afterwards, like I have like a Japanese like PS3 copy of Mask Inception that I. I imported so I like made a backup of that and played like emulated it to see if I could get that game to look better like in 4k than the native PC version and I could so it's like way to mess up a PC port if emulating it's a better experience so my cut my choice for cut um even though it is a fantastic port and the best way to play the game I don't think no more heroes is RPG oh no I I just wanted to I just wanted to (laughs) I put it there so I could t- say that port is amazing yes. and they did the best thing that they could possibly do for a port like that. And I, I'm going to one day make a whole presentation in depth with, you know, spreadsheets and everything on why no more heroes is actually kind of an RPG, but that is not today. Um, <laughs> it but is not this, day. this is not the day for that. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I agree that it's a fantastic port, though. Like, I, I played both of them; they're fantastic. It is like w- one is great because they remove all motion controls. Like, well, it's optional if you want it there, but it takes one of the more frustrating aspects of the game and then just maps it to you know the right thumbstick. Is it really um, a no more heroes game if you don't shake uh, the controller? You still can. But, yeah, even with a controller, it's great. Okay. Uh, the next thing I'm going to cut off, and this this is purely because the competition now gets like really fierce. There are some like amazing ports and re-releases. Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, really good time. I reviewed no. that game. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> no, I I feel like this is a fantastic remake, and just based off the fact that it's like a full remake, it has additional content. It has a really great like new sound like new arrangements of the soundtrack. It's I feel like the reason why people have been disappointed in this is because everyone ag- agrees that the explorer um, the explorer games are better. But as far as rescue team goes, I'm not ready to cut this just yet because I look at everything else here and I feel like this is <laughs> one to me that's that really is the largest upgrade. Well, wow. uh, <laughs> I've been told um, I I agree on its quality. I'm not as massive a, as a Pokemon fan 
Uh, in fact, I sometimes question if I'm even a Pokemon fan. I really enjoyed this game, don't get me wrong at all, but when I think of something like Demon Souls, which I would argue has a chance at Game of the Year in some regards, and then Persona 5 Royal, which yeah, is like I'm, an expansion. I'm not too bad for Royal. Uh, and Xenoblade as well. I just yeah, think... I, I just see the titans that Pokemon's up against. Yeah. Like well, my argument is, is that it's I'd... the best re-release, maybe not the best game. And I'd say Broil's like a way better re-release, but it definitely, from what I did play of Mystery Dungeon, it's pr- it is impressive what they did with it. Hmm. Alright, the games we haven't talked about yet, I don't know if anyone here who can who's going to defend against them most strongly, but what do we feel about Rune Factory 4 Special? It's great. It does a lot of like it has a lot of additions. My main problem with it is is that they were really lazy with some of like the icons for items, and it looks really funky if you're playing in docked mode because they just basically put a filter over all the original like pixel art for some of them, and the scaling for specific items just looks really bad. So it's like it's a great game. But it's very clearly just a 3DS game with most of the 2D assets, like a filter slot, like slapped on top of them with some additional content. Still the best way to play the game. Room Factory 4 is still a fantastic game. But I don't know, just like it, it there's rough edges to it that I feel like some of these other um, re-releases just don't have. I think we Fair can enough. take off for Total 4 Golden on PC. I think uh, so as well. The game itself, yeah. just a port. <laughs> like, oh, like the landmark uh, hit of that is like, oh, Atlas put a Persona title on PC. Like, yes, it, it does, you know, run better than the Vita version. It's like, you'd hope so. And like, it looks okay, like for what they did. But they're still, you know, it's still Persona 4 Golden. It's, just, it's a good Using game. That argument, what about Yakuza? Uh, yeah, I, I was actually about- going to um, say. Uh, so Yakuza Remastered is great, and I might seem like crazy for this, but things I've heard about the relocalization of four kind of makes it worse. Couple, huh. um, I one of my friends has a uh, video on it, basically a f- like a almost two hour long breakdown of Yakuza four, and there are certain localization choices because it seems like four was outsourced to another team. I don't know how true that is. I I'm pretty sure that was the one that was the case. And I hear they didn't do that good of a job, but overall, like that that collection is great. Don't get me wrong. Like I've, I've been playing through five that way myself, and I've been having a blast. I just, I don't know. I feel like compared to some of the other big ones on here, like that and maybe Xenoblade aren't really going to. Yeah, I put. I put yeah, I put that's weird because mastered collection on here, and I, I, I just wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't heard that Yakuza Four relocalization thing yet, but you know, I play. I played through the whole thing uh, this year. I did it as part of my Yakuza replays before Seven came out, and that took a really long time. But I got through it. I think it's really, really cool that they really gave Yakuza Three another chance at like, re- like you know, um, basically got, restoring all the cut content to it and like making good on like this weird old like promise of like it did it like back in the day. Yakuza Three is only available digitally. It didn't have a physical release. So what they did, like well, the physical edition, was they added like a Yakuza 3 like PS3 box as part of the re- release for the physical owners as well. So that was interesting. And uh, it, like it's one of those things, it's like it's a cool re-release. You can play these games now at 1080p60. You couldn't before. And they're fine games. They're okay. But you know, like uh, like people have said, there's a lot of heavy hitters on this list, and I don't think this is gonna cut it. 
All right, so since that was a long list, let me recap what's left. We've got Persona 5 Royal, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, Demon Souls, and then hanging in there is Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX. I'm going to go bat for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition because... I would go just, to bat for it too. Just I, because what they've yeah. done with... I'll, I'll go ahead and hand it off to you just uh, once I state just my piece. Yeah. Uh, what they've done with like completely... I don't know for a fact that they built it like from the ground up, but the, the level of overhaul that they've done on the character models and the animations to make it fit kind of within the realm that the sequel does and yet make it so incredibly faithful to the original game. It's just remarkable. It's one of those games where it's like, is it a re- is it a remaster or a remake? And I don't know if anyone falls on, if we all fall on the same line there. It's such a sterling example of like, breathing new life into a game that always had this caveat that it was like oh just you kind of have to excuse the character models because it was built on the wii you just deal with it and now you don't have to deal with it and then we already kind of gave a little bit of props to even though some people feel differently about it like the the epilogue that they added in the future connected kind of has this distinct style to it that at least adam believes is pretty commendable and then the game itself is just a fantastic game, in my opinion. So it kind of has this melting pot of just being, it lives up to its name of Definitive Edition in every respect. I'd, 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 yeah, I'd say that's right. I would say, for me, Xenoblade's my front runner, just because of the quality of life changes and how much easier it makes it and, and palpable it makes it to tackle the side quests if you so wish. That um, is a massive change that I feel like people, haven't really talked about enough but even more so than the graphics i feel like that's the best change that the game has made specifically i don't want to get too much into like the mechanical weeds but it's it's way easier to like accept a bunch of side quests because this game has like honestly too many but it's it's easier to accept a bunch of side quests and then when you're like just roaming out on the field you see the icons for like here are some of the enemies you have to kill or some of the items you have to pick up and you can just sort of get them on the way and the original game didn't have that at all. So that makes it much, much more convenient. But you yeah. can also just ignore it if you want. So that's a, like, there's still too many side quests. They, they didn't like edit where they are, how many there are, but just like completing them is much, much more convenient. Also, I really like the, the, the transmog uh, feature that they have in it. So you can like just be as stylish as you want without giving oh, up. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. So I, I, it's so hard for me, like Xenoblade, like, is really a really good one. I really like Persona 5 Royal and Demon Souls as well, though. Those are like, both of them are very great re-releases as well, too. Like, Persona I... 5 Royal for, like, it has a lot of, like, neat quality of life gameplay enhancements, like, being able to use your gun, like, more than once in a dungeon, it refills ammo after every battle. And just, like, the, the way it looks is so much more cleaner. Like, I keep coming back to it. I sound like a crazy person every time, but, like, the, the changes to the font in that game makes it just enhances it so much better oh yeah see i personally think that royal deserves this and i i have a feel like i I feel like no one else thinks this and that's fine but when i think about a best re-release like royal just seems like the epitome of what you should do with a re-release it has set a new bar for uh especially atlas re-releases because it's it's really crazy that in the west at least we got something like tokyo mirage sessions like two months before royal because Royal is like they're they were practically around like the same price. Royal is such a huge overhaul that I was finding new mechanics and features 50 hours in and still being kind of blown away that Royal is 
they the, you could tell that the team who was working to re-release this took a look at persona 5 they took a look at most of the things that uh like people were complaining about some of the uh flaws with that game and they overhauled almost everything it really feels like n- like my days spent in persona 5 royal did not play out the same way they did in persona 5 there's so much more freedom to spend your days however much you want i almost never was told that i needed to you know go to bed after <laughs> uh, a long day there is so much there it really feels like it is a game that like takes what people love about persona 5 and that's just at the forefront most of the time it is like it, it's really impressive and that's why that game still hasn't left like like I, I'm still thinking about that game today because Persona Five Royal, because like all mo- almost every dungeon is tweaked and redesigned and added more stuff to in some way. You're there's so many new story moments to flesh out the characters a lot. The localization I think is worth huge praise to because they actually went back and they gave that game the a new editing pass that it sorely needed. Like and in addition to that. They they went back and they actually took the time to re-record voice acting for like either stuff that never got voiced or all the stuff they changed. And it's really hard to tell like what voice acting was new and what wasn't. That's pretty easy to tell, like uh, the for for me at least. And it also like it's still for all the voice acting praise, like they still did it. Like there's still large swaths of that game that aren't voiced, and even like the new stuff, like say when they're getting their third personas, I was surprised. When you go talk to these characters and having this supposedly important decision for them, or like, mo- like it, that, those still weren't voice. Like, I think most of the voice stuff was like for Akechi, Kasumi, and Maruki. Well, no, of- but like most of the game as a whole, like if you actually go back and listen to the original versions of those cutscenes, like there, most of the main story content that was unvoiced in Persona Five is now voiced. Hmm. I don't know. It just feels like it still wasn't enough, especially for like important stuff like that was supposedly in the new content. That like I was surprised that wasn't voice. I'm like, oh okay, I, I guess. Like I, I still really like the game. Like that's not, yeah. I, like, I have a feeling this isn't gonna win. Whether whether voice acting or not, like you know, that's not like, gonna break it. No, no, I know, and that's why one of I the said hardest categories on here. Everything like, else that it adds, because it's not just a simple like, oh, we put it out again and it looks slightly better. Yeah. Almost everything was redesigned and everything was tweaked. Like uh, that is that invalidates Persona 5's existence. It's I, that much of a huge overhaul. Personally, this this is this is a this is, I don't really have much of a stake in this one. Um but in my opinion, I'm voting for Royal. One because I really like Cullen's passion about it. I feel like none no one else of us have gone so hard to bat for a game. So I really do like that side. Uh, my only comment would be to argue against it. So apparently, I'm just a hypocrite. Is that it seems like a lot of Royals content is after like an already really long game. So like for me personally, yeah, I mean, you can use that same exact I, argument for Xenoblade. I was gonna yeah. say the same thing. I didn't mean to argue yeah. with you, but Xenoblade, yeah. like all of its so content, if, if, is literally if, sectioned yeah. off into its own thing. Yeah, if, if that's if that's the criteria that you can slash both of these off and the uh, Demon Souls, that the, you know, the new <laughs> Pokemon Demon Souls has no new content uh, except yeah. for a door. <laughs> yeah, here's Demon Souls new content. Like it's like it's you, from moment one, it's already new because you're seeing something visually new and it controls better and the loading times are really good. <laughs> it's a really great launch game. I love it. It's a it. PS5 showcase for sure. 
Yeah. It's the best looking video game I've ever played and probably will play for quite a long time. Just the amount of fidelity on display is staggering. Uh, just, just to take a baby step, is anyone going to like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon? I think it's really cool that James has left it in the running just because just to give it a shout out that maybe like we didn't want to overlook it. Are you still going to go back for it above Persona 5 Royal, Demon Souls and you know, Blade Chronicles Definitive Edition? And you're, you're allowed to say yes. Honestly, yeah, because I think for me, it's probably going to have to come down to Xenoblade Chronicles overall. But I don't want to cut Pokemon before um, some of these other games. But Remember, we don't actually, like technically eh, order these, eh, but I think it eh. is remarkable that we've given it. I- I'm very glad. Like, if you didn't speak up, I would not have given this game a second thought. But now I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe this game did something special that I didn't really consider. So maybe, maybe it deserved oh. to be in the running as long as it did. So I do, I do thank yeah. you for that. Um, the Demon Souls is really good, though. Or so we're down to Persona 5 Royal, Xenoblade Chronicles of Edition, Definitive Edition, and Demon Souls. And man, like what a what a trio of games right there. Yeah, like all three th- all three of these games are great. All right. I I'm gonna I'm gonna make the hard decision and cut cut Demon Souls. Because I really, really, really like that remake, but there are definitely things stylistic about stylistic problems. That, yeah, stylistic problems I didn't like. Like a lot of the like, boss designs and in my review, like I really complained about that the the rearrangements for a lot of the boss music felt out of place so like honestly it's i'd say i I'd, I'd say cut it if for no other reason than the fact that if they were going to make changes why on earth did they not fix man eaters ai yeah, man eater is a treasure <laughs> you're going to transfer it right back to 2009 when, when you fight them so and, uh, and the worst part is, is you can't use the fog gate trick to just kill the first one out outright <laughs> Yeah. Okay, they fix exploits. I'm being semi cheeky, but so obviously at this point we're kind of nitpicking between three Ooh, games that obviously God. we all feel pretty strongly of, but we kind of used that excuse before in Demon Souls. So I'm okay to kind of say, like, all right, it's not going to be top of this list on that. This era. is hard. So oh, now we're between these two. Oh my God. We're between Persona 5 Royal, best re release, or Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, best re release. I unfortunately, if I had to vote, I would vote Xenoblade Chronicles. I have not played Persona 5 Royal. I feel so bad because I haven't played Royal 2. I am waiting for the inevitable, it feels at this point, PC port. I, uh, I reviewed gonna... both these games, and Xenoblade Chronicles is wonderful. It is my favorite version of that game, but Persona 5 Royal adds so much more, and it f- fixes so much about the gameplay loop of the original game and again it's again like i i gave persona 5 royal a 10 i gave xenoblade a 9 xenoblade is wonderful it just the new content for xenoblade while very good and i like what they did to resolve like um melia's story like all of the break like the new characters and the new content of xenoblade chronicles and like all the new stuff they bring up like the fog beast goes nowhere <laughs> It is set up the entire like little uh, epilogue, and then it just lamely is like, "Oh, all right, you beat me, bye." But I really like what they did with all the characters. But just Persona Five Royal, I'm still thinking about to this day. And if that gets a re-release on a, you know, on PC uh, or Switch or anything, I'm easily going to put another hundred or so hours into that. I'm I I think I'm with Cullen here. I'm gonna go for Persona Five Royal. 
Ooh, it's getting spicy. George, have you voted yet? Uh, make Alex go first. I'm on. Yeah, I'm on board with that persona. I, I, it's interesting actually because weirdly, I've played both of these games to completion, and yet I don't have that much to say about either of them. Um, when I say I played Zenblade Definitive to completion, I sort of played about half of the original story, then played the the new stuff um, to completion. But yeah, I think I think it's Persona for me. The Xenoblade thing is, is it's a nice singular addition, but the Persona stuff is woven throughout more. That's a good point. And it's not it's not segmented off into its own. And, and more to the more to the point, I think it's woven through that story a lot better than previous editions. Where when you look at P4G, and there you can you can see the lines where they you can see the stitches where they they cut the original game. Maria is just lazily like dropped uh, in there, in, and then and then sewed in. Because I, I replayed Persona Four this year as well on PC, so I, you know as I was playing it, I was like, "Yeah, man, you can really see where this new stuff came in." And obviously, with Persona Three, they did a epilogue, so uh, for their equivalent release, so that was definitely well, very similar to Xenoblade, cool. actually. Well, so I really appreciate how it's how it's woven into the core story. As a as a re- uh, when you categorize it as a re-release, I do think what they did um, is really good in Xenoblade. Then it's like if that had been a standalone release that had been like well, like Torna, right? Um, we'd probably be talking about it in more depth later. But yeah, I would say it's still Persona. For as much as I'm not really a fan of Persona Five Royal's third semester, I would actually still vote for Persona Five Royal here. I just think. Maybe put bluntly, I think the original Persona 5 had more issues that Royal fixed than Xenoblade had issues that Xenoblade Definitive Edition fixed. So things like using your guns or like some of the dungeon design, like with the Palace Dungeon is is better now and things like that. So I'd vote I would for still vote. I would still vote for Xenoblade, but you guys have made your case. And it seems yep. like that Persona 5 Royal wins for best re-release for 2020. Sorry, Dragon Quest next year. Next, <laughs> next year, Dragon Quest 11S will be around again. Can you believe that took almost four hours? Well, I think we uh once we once we got like the initial introductions of a lot of these games out of the way, we I think we made a lot of good progress and had a lot of great discussion. So let me just the go writing. ahead and re Yeah, the writing obviously the that's writing the most Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like the most involved category, and we had it out of the you know out of the gate. So let me just go through the winners of all of our category award categories. Be redundant. The winner for best writing or storytelling was Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim. The winner for best art is Star Renegades. That's a prize. Winner. No, that's. I think it's well deserved. The winner for best music, Runaway, was Final Fantasy VII Remake. The winner for best design and immersion. Hades. The winner for best ongoing support, Monster Hunter World Iceborne. The winner for the best non-RPG that we feel a non-RPG fan would really like, <laughs> Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Well-deserved. And the winner for best re-release, Persona 5 Royal. That's a hell of a, of a list right there. I feel really good about all those category awards. Yeah, yeah they're too. good. What about Cold Steel 4? listed it under best music just to <laughs> mess with people <laughs> and now we're moving on to basically the main section of this podcast of these deliberations we're going to go back to that list of 70 or so games that i listed off the at the top end and we are going to 
nail that down to a eventually a final 10, a final five, and then an overall winner. How we're going to do this is this. Obviously, we have a lot of games listed here. So I'm going to go round robin through the cast that we have present. And effectively, we are going to promote games that we believe should be in consideration for RPG of the year. So we're going to have a long list, which is the whole 70, and basically promote games out of that into a short list, basically the list of considered titles. So that's pretty simple. And then from there, we're going to really, that's when we get into the, the meat of the deliberations here. So I'm just going to go down the cast present and let's start promoting games out of this long list. Let's just start at the top. Uh, Alex, out of all the games released this year, what should be in consideration? Uh, <clears throat> let's start with Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh, I'm actually really surprised you didn't just go out of the gate for uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I'll go ahead and make my turn next and promote Final Fantasy VII Remake <laughs> to be in consideration. Oh, cheater! Uh, how about you, Colin? Um, so... I, I had two in mind. Uh, one of them, just because I think this really deserves a spot, and I know I'm the only person here who played it, but Moon is one of the most important games I think that has ever released. It literally inspired Undertale, and honestly, well, they, I don't think they've ever said it, it basically inspired Majora's Mask and a whole bunch. It basically it created the anti-RPG, and it deserves a spot on the list um that before you it's get to also the next amazing one, right no you you, you uh, i really love all the uh, evangelizing that you've done for moon like really like, genuinely but before you get to the second one i just want to keep going down the list just to oh, yeah. give okay, each person sure. one title so george what belongs in consideration here uh i'm gonna go with my my homeboy hades let's do it all right we we talked it out of the non-rpg list so of course it belongs here i like it josh uh one three sentinels one three sentinels i like it all right i already went uh adam i'm gonna pick a game that we haven't talked about yet but i just feel like it doesn't really belong in any of the categories we picked but it does belong in our short list neo 2 it we should consider that no i'm i'm totally with you we talked about it very briefly with the ongoing support and why it didn't really deserve that because of the dlc but it's such a stellar core game that I do believe it. Good call. And then James. So this is one that I fully expect to probably not even make the runner-up five. But I feel like I do want to talk a bit about Hero Must Die again later. So let's let's add it to the list. That's, an, that's a game yeah. we, we brought up and we haven't really talked about. So I'm eager to see uh, some deliberations on that when we get to it. All right. So, so let's round back over to the top. Right. Yeah. Plenty more games that I think are easily going to make it out into the short list. Uh, let's go back over to Alex. Yeah, let's just do Yakuza Like a Dragon. Get that one out of the way. Ah, you stole my one. All right, Cullen, what was the second game you were thinking of? Uh, Persona 5 Royal. All right. Now, this will be an interesting discussion later. We'll 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 table it for now about how deserving this is as a uh, re-release. Obviously, we just gave it the category award for re-release, but it did come out this year, so it is in the running for Best RPG of 2020. Oh, wait, even have if to it talk- doesn't win, I, just, I feel like it deserves a spot up there like, to think yeah. about. No, perfect. I'm, on, I'm totally on board. Uh, George? I'm going to go a bit out of left field here. One I don't expect to win, but like Cullen says, I want to talk about it. Dragon Ball Z Kakarot was fantastic. Hmm. I like it. It's bold. All right, Josh. Hmm. 
I, with, with all these odd picks, I, I do really want to talk about soccer wars. There we go. I'm updating the list as we go. So a little bit of manual organization here. For my next pick, even though, again, it is a re-release, I'm going to go ahead and pick Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. You could argue against whether or not it really should be eligible. We'll have that discussion in probably a few moments, but I do believe it belongs on the short list. Adam? Going other another Western RPG, uh, Wasteland 3 definitely needs to be considered. It's probably the strongest. There's the that and Valhalla are basically our big Western RPGs. No, but we Wasteland 3, we talked about very briefly at the very start several hours ago at the writing section. In Valhalla, we didn't talk about it at all, really. No, it's. I'm glad to see Wasteland Three here. It's. It was. It was surprisingly good. And James, um, let me give give me like one second. We kind of picked some of the easier picks. Yeah, that's why I was trying to go for like some of the out there picks first with mine. Well, Demon Souls is an obvious one. There we go. All right, we're we're starting to get into the difficult section where we're looking at what's remaining and it might not be so clear and obvious at what really deserves to be considered. But let's just keep going through and see if we can pull out any more from the total list of games. Uh, Alex? Uh, We've talked a little bit about the problematic elements of it, but Genshin Impact. You want it to be considered in the shortlist? Yeah, yeah, I want to move it up to the shortlist. I think the the effect of that game cannot be um, understated. Right. I agree. Well put. Uh, Colin, how about you? Trails of Cold Steel Foot. No, really. Uh, Atelier Dusk Trilogy Deluxe Pack. Just because Atelier Eskin Logi is one of the greatest games ever made. It's not going to win, but I honestly, I forgot to bring it up in terms of re release just because those are really good. But yeah. And again, if you, if you look down the list, anyone who is yet to be called on and you don't really see anything, go ahead and pass. Uh, George. I, I would be remiss not to say it, but I'm going to. I'm going to put Melody of Memory up for consideration. May not win, but I love it. And I'm going to take away Remind. As much as I love it, we've talked about it earlier, and a lot of its strengths are dependent on the original game as well. So I'm just going to say, yeah, that doesn't count. But Melody All of right, Memory. That's, so that's, that's the talk. first real notable exclusion from our shortlist, is that Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind will not be considered. Maybe that was obvious because it is just a DLC, but there you go. It is no longer in the running. Josh? Uh, Sakuno of Rice and Ruin. Good pick. You, yeah, you and Adam made a good... Uh, <laughs> good, pick. good yeah, you, you did talk a few, of a few of the shortcomings, but you did talk about what it does really well, so that's a good pick. All right, and now we're down to me, and I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm trying to look at the list, and I'm trying to figure out like which of these really deserves to be brought into our short list. And I think I'm going to pass. I don't see anything that is a clear and obvious misstep. So, Adam. Uh, I'm, did I get my... You're last. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick Fae Tactics. We haven't talked about it, but I do think it does a few things rather remarkably well. So I want to at least talk about it, even if it doesn't make top 10. All right. And then James. All right, this might be hard. Give me one second. Ark of Alchemist, just so you can shit on it. Oh, yeah. Like, all yeah. I need to say about Ark of Alchemist is that it is literally the fifth uh, lowest score on Metacritic from this year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, 
Apparently I, terrible. I feel like everything went wrong with 2020 after that game released. That is, um, that is some shade. Uh, hmm. You got five seconds. Ten seconds. Dang. I feel like the Tronicomi was actually pretty interesting. I feel like it's not going to win, but it's I worth noting. I think it deserves noting. to be up there. Yeah. 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 The game's great. All right, so now we've gone Ron Robin about three times. We have a list of 20 games. I'll summarize those in a second. Are there any other titles we want to put into consideration? One I'm going to call out here is Star Renegades, because we just gave an award for best art, but we have not promoted it to the shortlist yet. Should we? No one seems to feel that strongly about it belonging in the shortlist. I have not I think, played it. I think Star Renegades, its art and its music are really great, but... The like and the combat's great too. Actually, maybe we should just include it just so I can talk about it a bit. All right, I do think it has some shortcomings. You you opened up by saying its art is great and its combat is great, so I'm okay with that. Uh, I think it is worth discussing Marvel's event. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll put it there, even though it feels uh, I would, like I would like to load my double-barreled soul shotgun and send Mortal Shell up for consideration because that was really good and i would like to send hellpoint down the list because that was that was good enough but it was not remarkable i'm tempted to send age of calamity up but i don't think i will actually um i i'd also agree that it doesn't really it's like it's really fun but it doesn't really deserve like yeah it's (laughs) it's just fine yeah no i can't see anything else on this list now uh, Adam, how are, we feeling, how are we feeling about just at least talking a little about Trials of Mana? Yay or nay? You mean Trials of Mana? Trials of Mana. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Actually, um, we haven't yeah, talked about that yet. This, this would cast. robotics notes even make the list? I mean, it's on like our big list, which is, you know, I was surprised, but I liked Robotics Notes Elite enough that I think I at least would like to talk about it, even if I know it's getting cut. I uh, last year I wanted to talk about a visual novel. I forget which one it was. I think it was probably The House of Five Morgana. I think I've heard really good things about that. But uh, eventually we decided we wanted it to be like closer to strict RPGs. So fine. Yeah, I'll go out there. We can uh, cut okay. it now, and I'll just say it's great. That's, what that's about? Great. Trails of Cold Steel 4, are we going to consider it? Put it on the list. Are Trail fans going to be mad at, more mad at us than it, they already are? Put it, it on the list. It's a, is it worthy so we at least can explain why we're eventually going to cut it. Well, it I, I, feel like, I feel like to put it on the list, if none of us really feel strongly about it, it's just silly. Oh, we feel so strongly why, about it. No, I mean, why are we not putting it? Why are we seemingly not promoting uh, it to really the short list? things off now, like explaining why they shouldn't be on? Is that, is that Well, the not, not every game, but like I don't feel like we need to go through like the 40 50 games that we haven't promoted and explain each of them in detail why it's not there. I think if somebody wants to speak specifically to that game as a very big significant RPG this year, I think that we can make it our 25th, but I think also it's clear that the rest of the games on this list are not inspiring any desire to talk in any specific way about them. Uh just before we do that, uh two final shout outs. They don't deserve to be on. Well, that sounds rude. Grounded is fantastic fun, but it's not. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, no, no, and yeah, it's great. It's also early access, so maybe it'll be fuller and more worthy of contention in later years. Yeah, 
I think like by next year we could be talking about it and it'd be really cool. But for now, it's a really cool tech demo and a good starting point. And what the second Grand is Blue? sorry, Granny to explode and reloaded is awesome, and that's it. But it's not yeah. amazing. Grand Blue is a weird one because it's primarily a fighting game. It does have a single player RPG mode, but it's not really the main focus. And it like the uh, single player RPG mode isn't the really that great because it's a side scroller or basic stages it, it, the, the art is fantastic and the way they try to integrate like you know the the weapon grid system from the mobile rpg in it is yeah. okay but you know it's it's not really anything outstanding I mean, uh, you could you could say the same but like how the the focus on 13 sentinels isn't the rpg combat i guess but no i get what you mean i just thought it, it was like yeah it, i see what you mean yeah I, I'd feel more strongly about Pokemon Mystery Dungeon and some of the stuff that's already on the list, but also, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to really go to bat for it. I do want I do want to mention since you did bring up Grand Blue Fantasy versus List, I'm still uh, like there's a lot of positive game, but I'm still kind of like still can't get over that uh, Side Games decided to announce a PC release of that game before the console version. Uh, for Europe even came out and like Marvelous Europe had no idea this was even coming to PC so they like kind of threw yeah. them under us like it was a very messy release situation that is just it there's was a lot weird. of weird yeah yeah I, I think I, our I, 25 is fine yeah um I will give one last shout out to a game that does not qualify and I'm sure like Adam already knows which one that's going to be because it's not localized yet and honestly who knows when it's going to be localized but uh Labyrinth of Galleria, a sequel to one of our top five games from 2018, Labyrinth of Refrain, came out in Japan last month. It is I'm very really good. It is very different. I, I would love to talk about it, but it's not we localized. We will be about it in two years. Yeah, yeah stick a pin it, in it. Like, yeah, we don't know when it's going to come out. Probably not next year, and even, even if it did, it would probably be past the deadline. So, yeah, I guess in two years' time, maybe, hopefully. Two games uh, I just want to give a quick uh, mention to is Baldur's Gate 3 released in early access this year. Obviously, it's clearly unfinished. Obviously, it's very buggy, but the potential is there. Once that fully releases, I feel that's going to be a strong contender. Yeah, the and only then, reason why we're not considering that is because it's early access. Everything yeah. up there so far seems great. And then uh, Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling was one of my higher reviewed games of the year. If it wasn't specifically the console release that came out this year, I would probably go to bat stronger for it. But it originally came out last year on PC, and that's where I played it. Same. I wish I played it last year, and I would have bat for it last year. I just don't see enough specifically on the console port to really earmark a spot for it this year. But Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling, very good love letter to Paper Mario. It's super good. Yeah. Surprisingly. Uh, I guess I just want to give like one final shout out to like congratulations to Square Enix for finally making a, a good Seiken Ditsetsu remake. Like I really... Like even though it's a bit on the east side, I really like the Trials of Mana remake. I think they did a really great job of that. Relative to like the past second Detsetsu re-releases. All right, going once, going twice. We have a short list of twenty-five games, which I will read through as soon as I know that no one else is going to try to argue for any last-minute additions. No. All right, so our short list. Of 25 games that we pulled out of our massive total list are Final Fantasy VII Remake, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Moon, Hades, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, Neo 2, Hero Must Die Again, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Persona 5 Royal, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, Sakura Wars, 
Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, Wasteland 3, Demon Souls, Genshin Impact, Atelier Dust Trilogy Deluxe Pack, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, Fae Tactics, Katana Kami Away of the Samurai Story, Star Renegades, Marvel's Avengers, Mortal Shell, Robotics Notes Elite, and Trails of Cold Steel 4. So from that list of games, we are going to pick a top 10. That is where we are at. And I have no organization written in place of how we're going to do that. So, <laughs> so go. Well, we usually just, people just shout out, right, about things we they are going to cut. So I think the, the earliest, the, the, the easiest and earliest place to start is legitimately, we need to get this, we need to get this 25 down to 10. And then we need to get that 10 down to a top five and a bottom five. And then we need to get that top five down to one winner. We don't order. So it'll just be 10 down to five, down to one. And all right. of the, the alcohol uh, is important. And yeah, well, it's always important. But all of the top, <laughs> all of the top five, all of the top 10 will get a little write up on the site. But the top five will have slightly more. And obviously the top game will be the top game. So. I think the easiest thing for us to do now is there's a few games that were already mentioned where people said, I'm adding this because I wanted to talk about it, but I intend to cut it straight away. So why don't we get rid of those first before we get to the contentious games where some people are going to want to cut them and some people aren't. I would like to start here um, with 2020's biggest game, Marvel's Avengers. Uh, I legit That was a legitimate laugh. I could not get through that without gaming. Um <laughs> I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I gave it seven. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential there, but I think it's being squandered. Um, there's definitely noteworthy things to it, like the story. And if you're a comic book fan, you're, you're definitely going to have some fun with it. But man, am I let down at the moment. I think next year, best ongoing support, it really could appear. Like Spider-Man, Black Panther, that could make it awesome. I don't know. Mm. I could, but... Yeah, I, I'm as skeptical. I think it's going to take more than that to make that game awesome. Also, yeah. it, you, you mentioned like Spider-Man, and it's like, well, that's going to be exclusive to the PlayStation version, so that's kind of not for the same reasons why we kind of act Genshin in the category for best ongoing support. That's like a bit of a can of worms on its own. Yeah, well, this is it. Any any moment of talking about this game comes with an asterisk. Like, this is good, but so... I think not fair. Okay, enough. Colin, do you want to talk about Cold Steel Four? Or should I? Uh, I mean, I think me, you, and Josh could just. There is good to be had in Cold Steel Four. There are some character moments that I think are some of the best in the series. I think that Musee's characterization in Cold Steel Four is a highlight. I think Ash as a character is a highlight. I think the gameplay is the best it's been in the Cold Steel arc. But as I said in my review, all of that is like a secondary consideration if the story isn't good. And I think that the writing is honestly kind of terrible. It's I juvenile. Think, yeah. There are like, moments in the story, like the thing that really pisses me off is how it sure. tries to make you have an emotional response where it's simply not earned. Like there are several occasions in the story where after you beat the the enemy, they immediately try to kill themselves just to be disarmed before they can do it. That happened more than once? Yeah, it happens oh, more than oh. once. It happens like at least three times. 
And there's a problem that like this game just highlights with the Cold Steel uh, series where no one can be a villain. You, you, there can't be villains. They have to be redeemed immediately. Like the writing gets so bad that they had to invent a, like, a, a fucking. I don't know even know what to call the curse. Like, it's, a, it's a Deus Ex Machina, yeah. literally. Like they had to invent like evil goop to infect everybody in the country to make them do dumb shit just so the writers can justify i've I've seen people say that the curse doesn't make people do things but then how do you explain victor (laughs) it literally makes like it made all of the really cool stuff the series set up in its 10 years are completely ruined by the curse hamill is yeah the hamill thing the hamill thing uh, without getting into too many details, that's like a really big part of Trails in the Sky second chapter, which is a really good game on its own right. And this curse shit, like, basically just ruins it. The curse isn't even the only thing that hampers, like, really great storytelling moments from throughout the series. Like, I didn't mention my review because I didn't want to get death threats and I got them anyway, so I'll just fucking say it. The way that, sec- um, the way that characters actually sexually molest kids in this arc, yeah. and those same people are standing next to Ren, where if anyone that's played um, Turtles in the Sky the Third, they know immediately how fucked up that is. Like, that's the main reason that I got really pissed off at this game near the end, because that was just a symptom of the overall problem with the writing, but by God, when it's literally explained that that um, Angelica, when she was going around oh, college, she was just literally sexually harassing all of these people. It's like, what the fuck? The, the characterization is a fucking mess in general because most of the cast members act like crazy people and they don't act like they should. And it just what makes it so disappointing is that there are moments in Cold Steel 4 that I enjoyed. Like, Colin can even attest to this. Like, before I got to, like, halfway through Act 2, I was really enjoying it. it. Yeah, I I didn't want to dislike this game. It just... (sighs) I think it's kind of funny, because at the moment of where I am in Act 2, I'm liking Act 2 more than Act 1, but the game's still not good. Like, it... (sighs) Trust me, you'll get there. The finale of Act 2 is supposed to be climatic, but it just... (sighs) The game is old. This feels like... Uh, session like sorry, just like let sorry. it out. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> is, is, is this game staying on the short list? Uh, it seems no. not. Kick All it right. out. We are taking it out. Okay. All right. I, I legitimately hope I enjoy Hajimari. <laughs> okay. All right. We've taken two That's off. Out. Good job, guys. All right. Uh I mean, I I can go next. Uh, sure. Uh, I got just to, to take it down a notch because there's a lot of energy at the. The last bit. I mean, I, I, we can take off Soccer Wars uh, here. Um, I, as I mentioned in my review, a lot of Soccer Wars really boils down to like kind of a weird introspection about the legacy of Soccer Wars. Um, especially, you know, it, it was only really big in Japan. It only got it only released Soccer Wars five here before this new one came out in the West, and you know, five wasn't really all that great in my opinion. Um, this new revival of it is. You know, it's a it's a good game, but a lot of it is kind of a weird like introspection about like a lot of the themes about this game is how do we like live up to like the legacy of the old uh, group essentially because you know for some weird contrived reasons um, they wanted to separate themselves uh, the dev team wanted to separate themselves from the old group so like the the weird main story concession here is like 
Uh, the way they've written them out is they're stuck in the demon realm right now, and they can't find a way to get them back. So they're just like stuck there, and like that's the reason why they they don't show up except for one uh, person because uh, she was um, uh, told to stay stay like a hold back because you don't have your spiritual power anymore. So, um, I really like the, you know, like I already mentioned earlier, the, the just the way it sets up the the Great Imperial Theater and the way it uh, looks and uh, the atmosphere it exudes. Um, you know, it's it's not like a super important, significant game, but I think it was a weird, you know, okay stab at trying to get the series back on its feet. And I don't know if it's gonna get there. Hopefully, I would love to see what a sequel of this looks like because. They set up a lot of in- interesting plot threads in this game that, like, they kind of continue on in the anime because there's a, an anime adaptation of this game, but it serves as a sequel to this game. So that's going to be weird, like, saying, oh, you have to watch the anime series next. And right now, where the Soccer Wars series is at, is like they made a spinoff mobile game and whatnot. So, but I, I really enjoyed that, like, hey, you tried to give it your all. I think the localization is lovely. And it's, a, it's one of the most relaxing games I've played this year. It was, a, it was really fun to cover for the site. It's a very comfy game. Yes. All right. I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at taking one off the list. Um, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. So I think, this, I, I think this game is a wonderful celebration of most things Kingdom Hearts. But I don't think that's enough to really push it into best of the year consideration it's great for the limited scope of what it is it's a really fun look back of everything that's led up to and through kingdom hearts 3 but that's kind of it i love it but it doesn't deserve goatee is pretty much where i'm at with it yeah Um, i've put i must be about 30 hours into it like overall now and i can keep going back I, i probably will keep playing this till the next kingdom hearts but it, in terms of like scope, in terms of what it does, it doesn't compare to some of the games here. And even in its own scope of, oh, Kyrie's finally got a game. No, she she does dick in this game, like absolutely nothing. Uh, and Kingdom Hearts Three is just kind of butchered in it, but still, like, uh, still ten out of ten from me. I love it. I, I could spend all my life playing it, but it doesn't deserve Game of the Year by any stretch. You could spend all your life playing this game. Wow, that's amazing. I will. I mean, this is this, this I'll, is I'll George. Back this is George. <laughs> this is George we're talking about. Don't don't <laughs> put it past him. And again, obviously, this might not be clarification, but these are all games that we promoted into the shortlist, so we're already making difficult decisions here. Uh, well, in in most cases. <laughs> all right. Anyone else uh, have want to take a swing at one of these remaining on the list uh, on the short robotics list? notes is amazing and wonderful, and I think one of the reasons why I love that game so much besides it just being an amazing game is just that this was severely underhyped by fans of the series and people were saying this is like the weakest entries for like so long and it's one of the best ones so you're taking it off just putting it on yeah take it off no no, no, no. (laughs) it's a visual novel and i know it's not gonna make it but like and i like games a bit more but this is like this is a cullen game (laughs) I just want to make sure this is the same series as Steins Gate and Chaos Child, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I don't know. Okay, you haven't really given me. I don't know if I want to take it off based on what you told me. Like you never, you didn't. There is, take there it is off. more. I, well, James has a bunch up. of issues with it. I have no issues with it. it what is, uh, I would also what say. <laughs> well, I'd also say that there's other games I that do things either more interesting or better executed that are more worthy of being on the ten list. Oh, I guess uh, that was getting taken off. Until your uh, Dust Trilogy pack. Uh, th- that's pretty much just a PC, PS4 port, and Switch port. 
of the yeah. Vita games, right? But it's yeah. like the best versions of some of the best games in the series. I know James is going to be like, but actually, but like you get a run button that is a massive upgrade wish i had that for the vita release but oh well but you know those are fantastic but yeah not as good as some of the other ones on this list now i do want to say that just because a game like here let me let me introduce like here's an elephant in the room persona 5 royal obviously we have some people who think very very highly of this game does it belong in the top 10 for a 2020 release i personally think it does if people disagree with me i'm not gonna have a stink about it but i think it went above and beyond what a re-release usually is and it deserves to be commended for it but that's the thing it has been commended so so let me ask you if if that's your okay if that's your stance what would you cut that's on this list remaining before uh, you cut persona uh, let me look at it real quick maybe hero must die it's actually gonna make an argument for the top 10 with that one I, okay, he, I'll be. I'll be honest. The only game I am going to fight tooth and nail for is Moon. Like because what I'm, what, what I'm all I'm asking is: is there anything else on this list? And this goes to everyone that you would look at and go, right? This can be cut with no, um, no dissenting voices. Iconic, oh. Wait, yeah, yeah, or yeah, no it's, significant it's dissenting voices. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so. Mortal Shell would be my next one. A really, really, really good I, game. I wish I'd played it because, like, my friends that are like huge Souls games, it's nuts. They really, really like Mortal Shell to the point that it's probably their favorite Souls. Like, that's not from FromSoft, but I haven't it, played it, so I can't. I can't fight. For yeah, it. me neither. It's really good, but as I seemingly the only person who's played it, it doesn't stand against some of the other things I'd pick here personally. Uh, all right, so Josh mentioned really quick Katana Kami and didn't really get a lot of pushback. So go ahead and take Katana Kami. Away Katana Kami story. is like really fun, but it's not goaty worth. I think we just wanted there to be like, hey, Katana Kami is surprisingly good. I just, I just feel like with Katana Kami for me, it was like that one Toy Story meme where like uh, dropping Woody, and it's like I don't want to play with you anymore because it's like I need a new shirt and a Wanderer game. <laughs> Yeah. Oh crap! We got an updated version of the Shuren the Wanderer game. Yeah, so. yeah I want I want a new way of the samurai. That's what I want. Yeah. Okay, so I have three of the games on here are like indie-ish games that I've played, and if I were to take one of them off, it would be actually Star Renegades. So Star Renegades, we gave a category award for its for its visuals, and it has really great visuals. It it won our category for it, and it also has like a really excellent combat system. It's way too in-depth for me to go into details here. In fact, I almost went into too many details in my review. But it's like this timeline-based, turn-based, very deterministic system where your combination of, of units and how, you pl- and how you basically build your team and what abilities they get, it, it, it's very involved and very, and very, very good. But what holds Star Renegades back is it is a roguelike, and it sort of falls into like where, where the issues that Hades avoids completely and that each loop through the game is too similar to the previous loop. You kind of do feel like you're just going through the same the same set of battles and, and planets over and over again, and it does get really repetitive pretty fast. So that kind of holds it back. They are actually updating the game, and it actually just got a big update, I think, literally yesterday. So it's one of those things that they're sort of aware of and improving it. But as it stands as like a 2020 release, I think that holds it out. So... 
but it, we gave it its accommodation for our category award for best visuals because it looks fantastic. All right, I don't think I. I'd go as far as saying it's on the list. I, I, I wish. I, I think I think the visuals is really nice, and I like the the sound effects that it has, like the way it treats like you know kind of impact. But I don't like the uneven um, treatment of its story arcs. Like there are definitely ones where like they really went all out in the uh, and some Dragon Ball Z arcs are like kind of trying to just get pushed pushed past. Them. I've heard they skipped like a few major key beats in like the Android arc just to get through it. And they did a lot of love to they did a lot of love to say in through Frieza, but then past that point it feels like you really just kind of Yeah, it's it it's an NET game where it's just like the first like half of it is really in depth and then the second half is like and then he went Super Saiyan free. Uh I'm fine with this being cut, but it's more a case of I wish I'd talked more about this when it came out. I wish I'd been a bit more positive and forward about it i gave it a seven which is good but i almost kind of regret that because it is as a dragon ball fan and an rpg fan i think it's one of the best dragon ball games that's come out it's not it doesn't hold a candle to xenoverse which is like well the fact that when you have described this game you have said that it doesn't hold a candle to xenoverse and it doesn't look as good as fighters (laughs) so just the (laughs) the fact that you're kind of putting it in the losing side against two other dragon ball games (laughs) is yeah, okay, well, I still really like it though. So it, it still deserves. You you should play Dragon Ball Z. That's a good. That's a good All right, statement. Can I, can I jump in once again? Yeah. Yes. So everyone who's not Brian and me are probably looking at Fate Tactics and they're like, "What the hell is this thing on here?" All right. So Fate Tactics. Personally, it's my number two game of the year. I like it a lot. Um, my number one game of the year is Sakana, but more on that later. Um, Fate Tactics is a tactical indie RPG. And the reason why I like it a lot is it's unlike every other tactical RPG that's ever existed in terms of its mechanics and systems. It's not another Final Fantasy Tactics-like, and it doesn't really have like classes or anything like that. It is a very neat combination of of you have three characters, you have six units in every battle. Three of them are like story characters you get with like uni- unique skill sets and sprites and abilities and things like that. And the other three characters you get in a match are like Pokemon in a way. They're like creatures that you capture and train. And they have their own elements and units to them. And it, it's just got this really neat mix of mechanics and card system-like um, systems in the game that it's honestly a really dense but cool and great-looking tactics RPG. In fact, some of the criticism that that Fate Tactics received when it got reviewed was that it's almost a little bit too overwrought in ways in terms of all the systems in play. I really like it. Those are the sort of things that sort of sing to me. But um, it's it's honestly still one of my favorite games. It's just sort of like an acquired taste, and it's sort of like built for me. If that I don't sense. know. If, I know. Brian I don't know. Too. Yeah, I don't know if I would call it my number two, but I definitely was going to try to push it into the top ten. So I know no one else has a list in front of them, but we are down to 15 games. So we've got to cut five more. And it gets, obviously, the closer we get to 10, the more difficult it gets. I'm looking at this list, and I feel like it almost got to the top just without a lot of say. Does anyone feel strongly about Assassin's Creed Valhalla belonging in the top 10? I think it belongs in the top 10. I think it involves in the top 10. I don't know about top five, but I think it involves... Uh, I, it yeah, I... I don't know about top five, but I definitely think it's a top 10 game. They have got better and better and better at making these games fully fledged RPGs. 
This is the best one they've done in ages. The story is interesting and fun. They're sort of getting a little bit further away from the assassin part of the Assassin's Creed. It's like there's nothing very sneaky and assassin-like about pillaging and raiding. Um, but they sort of make it all work. And I, you know I, what I, I like really, really enjoy it. Uh, so I've only put about like 10 to 15 hours in this game. So that's only like scratching the surface. But what I like about it so far, when you compare it to like other Western RPGs, is that Eivor has like a very defined personality and tons of like lines that you don't decide for them. I feel like a lot of Western RPGs, your main character is almost like a blank slate and they almost like interview other characters when you're talking to them and they're just asking questions all the time, basically on what you're choosing. But Eivor has a ton of lines that, you know, just like our natural character lines. So they're, they're more like an actually written character. And I actually think that's kind of interesting because you don't really see that in Western RPGs a lot. They're more Geralt and less Vault Dweller. Uh, but yeah. I really like about this game also as like as a RPG is like there there's a de-emphasis on like quantity of loot and like whatever loot you get is like more it's it's more meaningful because there's so like the amount of loot you get doesn't like kind of in the hundreds like you only get like a, a like a few dozen here and there but like they're all like viable in the way like you upgrade them like you you kind of go for like a build that you wanted or you don't have to really think about optimizing it like but what made the game fun for me was like I wanted to optimize into like uh dual like heavy uh building you know i wanted to like have like a, a big halberd in one hand and a great sword in the other and that's like hell yeah go for it and i really like that you can freely respect at any time so if like you want to go for another kind of sort of build sort of uh weapon change like you can go spec towards it and you don't have to worry about any like sort of consequences negative consequences like oh you didn't go that route it's like no you can just go respec into it and that's really cool all right, so I'm, Assassin's Creed Valhalla stays. I'm genuinely scanning this list and finding it really hard to cut anything. Yeah, that think, go, for, go for it. I want to hear about Hero Must Die. Yeah, so oh, I fully anticipate this being cut because there's a lot of games on this list that, yeah, it's getting really hard. The reason I want to talk about it is it has a really interesting gameplay loop that pretty much no other game I've played is out there. It's not really a roguelike in the sense that when you replay it, things are kind of the same. Just the way you're... So every time you um, do a the loop... Best, like The best the first comparison about this is, I, I, I shit you not, the best comparison about this loop is Outer Wilds. That's what I'd uh, compare it to. Yeah, it's kind of similar to that. But So when you start off... So the whole conceit of Hero Must Die is that the hero has defeated the demon lord but died as a result, and God has seen fit to give him a week to basically go through his affairs before he moves on. And so when you start the loop, you're at your full strength, you have your like best weapons and armor, and you can basically deal with anything with no problems whatsoever. But the further on into the week you get, you lose HP, you lose strength, you lose defense. Eventually, it gets to the point where your sword and armor are too heavy for you. So periodically, you have to swap them out for weaker equipment that's lighter. And the main gameplay loop for the first couple of times is figuring out, okay, what's the side quests in the world? What do you need to do to finish them? And the way it works is that if you finish a side quest in the loop prior, then you get an additional quest that you can do for that person in the next loop. 
And the goal of the game is that you want to have done every potential side quest in the game. And then once you do that, the very next loop is the final loop and you get the true ending. It's very fascinating. It's not the best RPG out there, but it's like nothing else I've played in the sense that it's really neat how you have to consider, okay, what do I want to tackle first for this loop? Which dungeon do I want to go to? Do um, Which area do I want to go to? And it's like resource management, figuring out your game plan for not just your current game loop, but if you have like a plan in mind for like which um, people to add to your party, you might be thinking like, two or even three like gameplay loops into the future because you know that you need to have a certain amount of prep and each like run isn't really much longer than like I'd say half an hour. So it's not even that bad, but it's just, it was, it definitely wasn't my favorite game this year, but there's nothing else like it as a Kenji Yo soundtrack, which is worth something. It was always one of those Vita games yes. that was stuck in Japan that I kind of wanted to try. And it was just really cool to see it finally get a localization, have a pretty decent translation. And it's one of those really niche games that's really, really cool. Not the most polished, but just an utterly fascinating, unique experience. The way you described it, I, I know we've invoked this comparison a few times, but I really can't think of a better one. Uh, Majora's Mask. You're now a Majora's Mask fan cast. Uh, it just reminds me, like, all right, on this three-day loop, I'm going to get the Gilded Sword, or I'm going to thaw the mountain and do all the side quests from there. You know, it just you kind of have to like earmark specific runs with specific goals in mind, and I think that's really one cool. thing that's also interesting about the game that I hadn't really haven't really talked about is that there is like not too much social commentary, but some in the sense that there's one character that can be a party member that like basically looked up to you for killing the Demon Lord. For all the wrong reasons. They were completely prejudiced against every other races and they wanted to get stronger so nobody could bully them ever again. And if you basically go through the arc of training them up because they're weak as hell when you first get them and give all your equipment to them, that's basically the bad ending because then they basically become a tyrant. And hmm. there is like a story beat like near the end where you find out that all of the different races in the world besides humans were the result of previous loops of the demon lord and basically offspring of demons like becoming separate races it's and it's like supposed to be like a commentary that it doesn't matter where these races came from they're still part of the world and they should they like everyone should coexist it's not nothing deep but it's it's it was still kind of uh, cute to see that stuff and like legitimately the coolest aspect of the gameplay is, is once you finish a loop, the way it works is, is that you literally just see your funeral and you have like the eulogies from all of the people you helped or didn't help. And your, and your score is literally how many people went to your funeral and how many people cried. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, this game, I think you've kind of positioned it on the precipice, but I don't think I'm going to push it off just yet. It might end up out. But not quite yet. Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like I'm going to push it out. Uh, so right. So every game remaining on our top fifteen has been introduced and talked about. Now we just have to make some really hard decisions. Does anyone feel strongly about keeping Genshin Impact in the top ten? I don't. I feel actually strongly that because of some of the aspects of its monetization, that we shouldn't be giving it a spotlight. Maybe mm. that's the wrong stance to take it's but... one of those things that like it's one of those things like can a gotcha game ever be good essentially right because of the the, the core problems of modern yeah. games 
And I think at, at the core, so much of that game is re- like so much of the, the, the core structure of that game is really good. The gacha stuff obviously is a, is a tremendous problem. My feeling on it is more, if you ask me where I place it on the games that I see in front of me, it is inside the top 10, but it's right towards the back end of that top 10 because of the problems it has. Almost as to say, this is an incredibly impressive experience and an important experience, I think, in terms of how it proved gacha games don't have to be these cheap feeling, these cheap feeling mobile things. But obviously, as has has previously been discussed, there is definitely a problem with the way the monetization is executed. And that's where I would, would sit it. Like there are games on this list certainly that I would that I would slice before that. Although it is a stacked top fifteen, I have to admit. Yeah. Should we I I, th- I think we can uh, personally I think we can let go of Genshin Impact, but I think it's really commendable like how this was like this Mihoyo's big year of like really showing, you know, the their years of hard work and just kind of the the perspective of Chinese developers and having so many like like a, a celebration of Chinese culture in Genshin Impact, like from landscapes to mythology to the way the stories presented the characters. Like I think that's really really cool, you know. Yeah. Okay. I I can see that gone. Yeah. So, so should we go ahead and pick some games we know are like locks for the top ten, and then see what we have to basically select out? Final Fantasy is a lock. Yeah, a- yes. Hades is a lock for me. I'm Hades, I would also me. say, yeah, and I would. I would also say Assassin's oh, okay, Creed. <laughs> All right, so we have three letter locks: Final Fantasy VII, Yakuza, Hades. Now we added Neo Two. Thirteen Sentinels. Yep. Is a I would add Thirteen Sentinels and Assassin's Creed, which would take us to yeah. six. We haven't really talked about Neo Two a, t- a whole lot because a lot of the strengths of that game are like its combat and mechanics, which are, admittedly aren't so interesting to talk about. More so like story, which Neo Two is not really like. That's not its strength, but it has really, really good. It's like a great mix of like action RPG, action gameplay, RPG mechanics. So yeah, it's a lock. See, now I look at that six and I think about four more. Mm-hmm. At that stage, it's becoming more difficult to justify Persona. I'm fine with that being cut because I think Moon deserves to be on that top ten. And we did give Persona a, a category award for best re-release. I think I'd cut Xenoblade 2 then because it's a great re-release, but yeah, yeah. So it is so basically, it sounds like it sounds like the consensus we're quickly coming to is that Persona 5 Royal and Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition one and two in our re-release category are stellar, amazing games that we would recommend without hesitation. But it feels improper so to earmark Demon positions. Uh, Demon's Souls is another one that's also on the list. Yeah. And that's basically a new, like, you know, from top to bottom in terms of, like, presentation. So it's just... It's one of those, like, basically the same exact game underneath. Like, they so even think- said that they literally reused much of, much of the uh, PS3's code base, and it shows in, in spots. I, I, I think there's actually one reason why we decided to do the best re-release category, so we can have games like Persona 5 Royal and Xenoblade. We can commend them for what they do well, but not have them take space in, like, this top 10. Yeah, I agree with that. They're, and they end up, like, crowding like, out other really great games. Yeah, like they're they're great games, but they're not really new. I mean, yes, there's new components, but 
No, so yeah, now we're if we get rid of those three re-releases, Demon Souls, Persona Five, and Xenoblade Chronicles, we are now down to top eleven. And so I just I just want to say I going. think I think Wasteland Three has to stay. I think it's a really high quality CRPG. Those are too yeah. rare these days. Um, and and I, I I do want to say that it's not that we're just giving it representation because it's the CRPG on the list. I think it genuinely deserves a top 10 with what it does with its writing, its gameplay. It's got like this XCOM tactical feel that feels really good. It's got, it's, it's, it's got the most pure RPG elements to it in terms of decision-making in terms of stat building. Yeah. So yep. I definitely believe it belongs out of um so i i also played hero must die and i think it's very good i just i don't know if it's top 10 but uh i i have not played sakana or fey tactics unfortunately that's just my only take on what we have here but i'm very adamant on moon at least making top 10 i can i, I can see i can see like hero must die being at 11 yeah yeah i think hero must die is like i said i wasn't going to go to bat for it to be in top 10 uh, I just wanted to talk about it. I think it's yeah. a strong 11. <laughs> now, obviously, we don't actually rank these, but if yeah, you want to unofficially, yeah. th- if you want to unofficially think of Hero Must Die as the last game to be knocked out of the top 10, you know, go ahead. That's where it was. It was that close. Once, so, we, once we release the results and we publish this, you can go on Twitter and be like, hey, you know what almost made the cut? Then Drop that's, the cat girl. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, so let me go. I know no one else has this list in front of them. Let me go over our top 10 RPGs of the year. We have as our not short list. Yet. Yeah, this is this not is ranked. No, Ran- not random ranked. order. Top 10 games, no order. Final Fantasy VII Remake, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Hades, Neo 2, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Wasteland 3, Moon, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, and Fey Tactics. I, I look at that list and I'm nodding my head. I, that's a great yeah. list. Man. Yeah, it's a great list. Mm-hmm. The, 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 I'm sorry. I know we already decided this, but like, are we sure we want Fate Tactics to get in over Hero Must Die? I kind of feel like that 10th spot. I, I've only played Fate Tactics and I think highly of it, but Hero Must Die does sound really interesting to me in terms of what it sets and what it does. I don't know. I just like that well, last I think, point. I think the argument sure. there is that both me and you stated that we believe it belongs in the top 10. And then James, who batted for Hero Must Die, initially stated that he would be okay with it being on the fringe. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about it because, like, that game bombed. They priced it too high, and it just, like, it's great. It it deserved to be mentioned and talked about because it does some really interesting things. But it's definitely not quite top ten material. I do admittedly think that Fate Tactics is a bit of like an acquired narrow taste. Like you have to like a very specific type of strategy RPG to like it, but it, it is kind of like exactly what I'm looking for. Well, well maybe I, right now we're segueing into basically the next consideration, basically splitting this list in two, into a top five and a bottom five. And it sounds like Fate Tactics, we think really highly of it. It does a lot of unique things. It doesn't play like other strategy RPGs where they are st- Japanese styled specifically strategy RPGs where it just feels like Final Fantasy Tactics in a new coat of paint. It feels wholly unique. But it is. it does have some difficulty wonkiness. It does have some things that are poorly explained. Uh, and that, I'm, we're nitpicking at this point. I want to make it clear. Every game that's remaining is in the top 10. So anything that we kind of throw at these, 
or nitpicks. And Fate Tactics, yeah, and remember I that. Remember that we're not ordering them either. It's not like we're saying Fate Tactics is the tenth. This is right. in the bottom five. Top ten. I, I, I think it's clear that Fate Tactics is a stellar game. I'm glad that we have made it into the top ten. I don't believe it belongs in the top five. I'm just going to go ahead and say, not to uh, ruin any deliberations, but I think Hades deserves to be top five. I think that's. I think. Yeah, yeah I think fair. that's fair. I think three of the top. I think three to four of the top five are actually obvious. Yeah, maybe I it might be going... easier just to just to pick out the top five instead of the bottom. Yeah, I am going to fight. I, I've said this numerous times, and I'm sorry if I'm being annoying. I'm going to fight for Moon making it into top five. Okay, the thing we'll is, though, the that. thing the thing about Moon is that unfortunately Damn we're here. at the place where you're the person that can speak most strongly to it. I know. Where where every other game we have multiple voices vouching for it. So unfortunately, it just might be vocally crowded out. Yeah. Before we get to Moon, I'm just I going mean, to but go like, through yeah, the, for writing. No one here played Thirteen Sentinels and that one anyway. So well, no three. I feel of us like have. I can make a three. case. <laughs> no, yeah, we, had, we had multiple. We had multiple voices speaking on Thirteen Sentinels for writing. Um. All right, let's go to the top five. The only one that we've earmarked already is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Does anyone have any objections to that being in the top nope. five? Oh, no. All right. top five. I'm going to go Yakuza. ahead and put Yakuza Like a Dragon. Also yes. top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. How yep. about Hades? Yeah. Actually, I think the... Unless there's any disagreements, I feel like the ones that are like ordered for the first five on this like shortlist right now are probably a pretty strong top five. Yeah, uh, I really liked Neo too. I really, liked I really Neo liked too. Assassin's Creed. Thirteen Sentinels. I think we can agree is top five though. Yeah, I think you're you guys talking earlier about yeah it, the the. I think it's top five. All right, so okay, we, that was kind of quick. Let's make sure we haven't made any decisions we don't want to take back. We have our, we have quickly elevated the following games into our top five RPGs of the year. We have Final Fantasy VII Remake, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Hades, and Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim. So here, assuming that those four are fixed, which we might change, here are the remaining games that could take the final spot. Again, they're not ordered, but could could be elevated into the top five. Neo Two. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Wasteland 3, Moon, and Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. Uh, Sakuna, we haven't talked about in a few minutes. Uh, maybe Josh, I should just add make it easier for us. Sakuna, I love Sakuna a lot, but it does have a few rough edges. I mentioned this briefly earlier. It throws a lot of like equipment at you with various sorts of parameters and stats and bonuses and things. And I feel like a lot of that is actually not like tailored very well. There's a lot of like equipment bonuses that are honestly just not very useful. So I find I kind of, I kind of found myself like not really messing with that too much. I, so, I, think, I think the way it doles out its narrative is like it's 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 a nice relaxing game like tonally, but like but the, the way you kind of engage with that is like when you have dinner time with your the other people. It's like they they have these conversations, but a lot of the the narrative background is kind of like. Okay, we're gonna get through this island and solve the mystery of why there are demons. It's not very story driven. It's very yeah. loose. I, I'm okay with that being like in the top ten, but at the bottom five. I think it's a really, really fast. Mm-hmm. The two games I'm looking at like, here, I'm looking between Neo Two and Wasteland Three, and I'm like, man, I feel like both those games deserve it. If I had to pick, 
between those two, and I know I'm kind of ignoring the other ones remaining, I would have to pick Neo 2 between those. Neo 2 is, if we're going just by fun factor, it's the most fun I've had playing a game this year. I feel like we haven't talked about Neo a lot just because it is more of like a gameplay-focused game. Let's talk about Neo 2. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So there there are, let's uh, preface this. This is obviously the sequel to Neo 1. What are the things about Neo 2 that really set it apart, like, and above Neo 1? For me, I feel like the level design is a lot better in Neo 2 than it was in Neo 1. Like, Neo 1's level design was one of its weak points. The other thing was enemy variety. Yes. Now, enemy variety was definitely improved. Neo 2 is a bit weird in the sense that many of its new enemies aren't actually new. They were originally in the DLC in Neo 1, but for most players, they're not going to know that. And it still adds some new enemies of its own. And even if they are like car- enemies from the DLC, like I feel like compared to Neo 1's enemy variety, Neo 2's from the get-go is a lot better. And it's better paced throughout the game as well. Because like one of my problems with Neo 1 is that by the halfway point of the story, you've seen literally every non-boss enemy that you're ever going to encounter. Um, I feel like maybe make this choice not so daunting for us. I think Brian agrees with me. I think Wasteland 3 is just not as strong as the other options here. It has some really, really great components um, in terms of like its narrative. It's like not not as direct narrative, but like its writing style and it has solid gameplay. It has solid questing, but like some of like the, the actual like narrative through line front to back is a little bit weaker. It has some unfortunate um, characterizations of like there's a Mexican gang that is very stereotyped and things like that that might hold it back. Um and the combat doesn't do anything like super special. It's it's basically XCOM. It's fine. It works, but it's not like amazing. No, I'm no, with I think you. Wasteland might, Three is a stellar might, game. Consider Moon in the bottom five as well. I know Colin really really likes it, but I think this as a numbers game, and also it's not. It's more like an anti RPG. I don't know. It's well, well, Moon Moon is very like super nonlinear. It's yes. like one of those things like you are thrown uh, into it and it's kind of up to you to decide how you want to progress i it's came back just in time for moon yeah it's definitely a game that promotes you you know the, the very positive themes because uh, you know you're not really fighting things you're pacifying them by loving them essentially and it's what i think so impressive about moon is that for so many of those like genre defining games you hear about you actually go back and play them and they're like underwhelming like uh like it is a it is the game that inspired undertale and i look at both those and i'd pick moon over undertale any day of the week just it's completely random i love that the whole reason that moon finally got localized was that toby fox literally told them hey i was inspired the hell out of by your game and i think you should you should get it localized and then they did yep it is it's it's quite amazing like I cannot believe that a game where there were like big chunks where I was just like kind of sitting around waiting for time to go by was still constantly engaging to me. Like there's nothing else like moon. It it is like it, it is one of those games where you might go into it thinking it is a parody of the genre where by the end of it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel mean. It, It doesn't feel like, a game that like is trying to take the piss out of RPGs per se. And I think the whole premise of like, Oh, you are inside of an RPG. And I think like, there's like this running theme with some of these games we've like, you know, 
had up here today where like these characters are characters in an RPG, but they deserve to like exist and they deserve to like, you know, just because you're playing an RPG doesn't mean that you shouldn't go out of your way to make things around you as good as possible. And moon has all these like little ideas of like growth and like trying to be better people. And like it was already mentioned, like it's so crazy. Like the fact that you don't fight anybody, you cultivate love and you try to literally you, yeah, it is literally a game about love. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think the, the localization is stellar. It's one of those localizations where while you're playing it, you might think like, Oh, this reads really weird. But as you play more, you start to realize, no, these characters are just, they just, they're strange. They talk in very weird ways. And um, it's kind of crazy. Like the localization was handled by Tim Rogers. If anyone knows who that is. I mean, Tim Rogers, I mean, he lived in Japan for quite a while. Oh, yeah. He's still there, I think. Or, but I, mean, I think he's like, in New York right now. Yeah, but I mean, it, well, I thought he actually moved back to Japan to work on the localization. Well, 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 I'm not we're, sure. We're not, we're not here to discuss. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, sorry. But like, it's an it's amazing localization of such an old game that somehow still keeps in the weirdness of Moon. Like, well, it, nothing's lost there. And it's just the like the whole game design of it is so interesting where like when you first like it's you literally just do whatever you want. It doesn't point you in the right direction. Like you just you wander and you just you make your own adventure and you discover like these people who need your help. And like the soundtrack in particular is really cool because it's not like a traditional. I'm just going to say you've sold me because I look at what's currently the top four and the games that we've highlighted do something I'd say is inherently special with the genre. Final Fantasy VII Remake has the, I wouldn't say deconstruction, but the way that it plays with the idea of remaking what is a classic of the genre. You have Yakuza Like a Dragon reinventing itself and the interesting cast mechanic, the, the party member dynamics and whatnot. Hades is a fascinating like from a game design standpoint for a roguelike 13 sentinels obviously has the very non-linear narrative yeah whereas neo 2 it's great but it's neo 2 assassin's creed valhalla is great but it's expanding upon the stuff that was kind of first in origins and odyssey just going by what else is in the top five right now i feel like the argument is made for moon i don't want to hmm i guess i'm i'm guess i'm in the opposite boat like i think i don't want to describe like the defense that colin has put for moon but i also don't want to like over reward novelty especially from a game that is not a new game technically like i i think I mean, all the substantiation well, 13 that, also like we're talking localization though 13 I mean, came out last year game of the year last oh, year Saga race like the the main argument for that one was just how fresh and bold it was with its ideas, but that was a 2016 Vita game. So I guess I'm just not sold on Moon jumping over any of the other games. I mean, for, for whatever reason, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really well, sold I, either. I feel quite strongly about Assassin's Creed, but I personally, as someone who has uh, who has played Moon quite significantly. I would still put both Neo and Assassin's Creed over it, to be honest. That's fair. Well, if there's another voice that's going to go, that's played Moon, that's going to say that, then... I, I Don't get me wrong. I think everything you've said is spot on in the sense that it is a 
a fantastically interesting game and so original and it's so Toby Fox has done the world a service by basically making that happen, that localization. Um, but I would totally, for me, it would be Assassin's Creed, then Neo, but I could also see the Neo argument because I enjoyed Neo too tremendously. Um, but I, w- I would personally go for either of those two over Moon. All, All right. right then. Have we decided that Moon, even though it had a fantastic argument for it and a strong push, it doesn't make the top five? I think I think bottom five is honestly really good for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we, we are able to get it featured. So mm-hmm. that is something that is a credit to the work they've done with the localizers. It's a credit for what the specialness of that game. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, it's fine. No. I should have. I I knew I wouldn't be able to convince people because yeah, it's whatever. All right. So here uh, I did not at. play Neo Two or Assassin's Creed, so I'm pretty much I have nothing to say about either. So we have so one final. Yeah, we now. have we have one final slot in our top five between Neo Two and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now, unfortunately, I've only played Neo Two. I think really highly of it. So kind of by default, that gets my vote. So um, Neo 2, we sort of brushed on it briefly. It is somewhat iterative of a sequel. It's like not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it basically decided from the outset, we're going to make a sequel to Neo 1. It's going to be effectively the same type of game with the same type of structure and the same type of combat with you know very similar enemies and sometimes even just borrowed enemies and maps wholesale, but basically polished up to a, to a very high degree. So that's what Neo 2 is. I've played a little bit of Assassin's Creed, and I haven't played Odyssey or Origins, so I can't really talk about it too much. But it's also good. It's got a little bit more of a character story focus for sure. I like the I like that, you know, the time period that Valhalla is in. You don't really get to see many Viking representation in games. No, and the 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 the, the way they built that world and the way they weave in the supernatural elements of the Nordic sort of uh, Pantheon is really, really cool and really interesting. Now, admittedly, that is building on what they'd already done in the previous two games, right? But I feel like it lands, it lands more here. Um, I, you know, the thing about these Ubisoft games is they are often the every game, right? Like in Valhalla, you can see an awful lot of The Witcher. You can see an awful lot of Red Dead Redemption Two, um, and other games of that stripe, but. Honestly, it's it's really impressive how the, how it just comes together into this cohesive whole feeling experience. It's impressive how the RPG mechanics in this series have gone from feeling tacked on to feeling really integral when you're getting new gear and new upgrade materials and all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, you know, you don't forget you've got the um, settlement sort of building mechanic as well, and all this stuff sort of layers one over the other to create what I think is a really rich experience and you sort of have the options within that as well to engage with some systems and not engage with others, which also I think really helps to make it approachable in a different way. I certainly think um, it's the best game of this kind they've made in years. And I think actually as weird as this is going to sound, I think this game would be up for this sort of discussion and considered a lot more 
if it didn't have the Assassin's Creed name attached. Like, yeah, yeah that, 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 that name almost has wor- worked to the detriment when you're thinking about things like this because it's an annualised franchise. And I think people think, oh, well, it's another Assassin's Creed game. But the way this mixes together, the exploration, the combat, the RPG mechanics, the sort of more scripted stuff like the raids on fortresses and assaults and stuff like that is really cool. I mean, the raids and the fortresses are really awesome because they sort of add this this element to Assassin's Creed, which hasn't really been there before, at, or there very much at all, which is that in this game, you don't always fight alone. You are always part of a greater whole, which is also what like the settlement mechanic and stuff like that feeds into. And you really get to feel that, though, not just see it in story cutscenes, but you get to feel that in the raids and stuff like that, because obviously there are people you've got a whole crew of Vikings with you and choices you make in the story might determine how, you know, who is on that crew and stuff like that. I, yeah, I, 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 I genuinely, it's, it's the best Assassin's Creed game since like Brotherhood. Really? Sure. Yeah, the last, the last, last uh, Assassin's Creed I played is straight up Brotherhood. And I was, and this is like one of those games. Like I, I think I might play another Assassin's Creed. I don't know. I'm like, this one seems kind of cool. And then, I really got into it, and I was really impressed with what they uh, had. It's it's a lot. It's a lot for someone who hasn't played Brotherhood. So it's like, oh man, now there's a lot of fucking shit to like. Can I ask a little crazy? What's up? So I've only played, like I said, like 15 hours of this game. So I have a taste of it. But I would say, like the one thing that I'm maybe most disappointed in, I'm still in like the Norway region, which I know is like the intro region, and it is like the open world is pretty empty. There's like some scattered stuff uh among like a bunch of snow and mountains i'm just curious how is the england open world is it notably better or like more varied or dense it's it there's more going on in the, in the open world for England. yeah there's, 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 yeah. there's, there's actually like that that is that is the map of the game the yeah. england map is the map of the game and so you know the other sections these are places that you can go back and forth to and they have story relevance but the open world map that they built is the england map yeah, that, that that's basically what I was getting at. Like, I figured that was the case. That the it's, open it's, world it's, walking in is like kind of just the intro, not so much detail given to exactly. Yeah, and as well as in content, it's varied in in you know visuals and topography and stuff like that as well. In a way that that intro area is not. Is yeah, anyone but going to make a final last? I really feel strongly about Neo Two, but I want to play it. I really want to play it, but I'm waiting for that PC version next year. One thing I'll say about Neo 2, it isn't really necessarily a great like rebuttal to what's being said about Valhalla, but I really, really li- um, loved the character creator in Neo 2 and the way that they managed to integrate aspects of it into the game. Not even like the actual gameplay, but rather like I was really impressed with how like especially online, I'd even see people like posting their like cutscenes with their created characters. I feel like when you create characters in a lot of games and they have cutscenes, so many of them, you can instantly tell which character is the created one in those cutscenes, where I never got that with Neo 2. And one of the really cool things is the way that your portrait is dynamically like uh, rendered, depending on both how your character is created and also what you're wearing. And it looks natural. Uh, again, not a huge thing. I just thought that was really, really neat in Neo 2. Those are good, like immersion things. So it's not so like, you know, 
jarring like oh this is the player character so their portrait and their model is like clearly worse than everything else so that's i think that's important yeah uh i really enjoyed the bosses in neo 2 especially compared to the ones in neo 1 uh but it's tough because it's like i think i think broadly i think i think it's easy to say that neo has better combat than valhalla but valhalla might have better like rpg systems when it comes to everything else that we mentioned there's just a lot more there's just a lot more game there and that can be a positive thing or a negative thing but i think um you know we 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 chose to draw a line this year at the end of november right in order to make sure that all the games that we were discussing people had had ample time with but in the month of december we've had an example of what can happen when a game tries to be loads at once and struggles it doesn't quite get there over the line technically i think it's over the line in a design sense um that being cyberpunk i'm alluding to uh, i guess it's also worth mentioning that valhalla as well as neo as well as wasteland 3 have all gotten quite a few updates since launch like patch type updates so like you know these games have sort of had a chance to Polish themselves a bit over well, the course. I'd say of the- that even at launch, to be honest, I'm just saying. Yeah, and I can't emphasize enough how much of a fully fledged RPG Valhalla is. You're doing stuff like you know, uh, you can you know put poison on your weapon. I guess that's straight out of The Witcher, right? In a sense, but you can put poison on your weapons to apply poison status effect to people. Stuff like that. Again, I said you can see bits of Red Dead, you can see bits of um, bits of Witcher, you can also see bits of Breath of the Wild. Um, but what's what's really impressive is how it all comes together, basically, into this this hole that doesn't feel like a nebulous glob of game, which I think has been the downfall of some of the previous Assassin's Creed games. It's got a real attitude and a real sense of style that catapults it up this for me i kind of just honest it's like a dirty game like you like everyone's filthy in this game it's it it kind of revels in that isn't there a uh, side quest where you literally have to get a a dude to finally take a bath or something yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) i i I do have to be I, i do have to be honest with myself and when when alex said that it's an assassin's creed game to its kind of detriment for people who are don't think highly of the series I have to think, like, am I in that boat? Because as soon as I see this game and I see it on the list here, what immediately comes to mind for me is that, oh, this is just crack number three for Ubisoft in this formula. Like, it's just third third time up to bat. But if it was called something just more nebulous, like, like Valhalla, or just, just Valhalla, just- would I be immediately... Like Immortals Phoenix Rising, probably. Yeah, but would I be immediately more... I will say, I will more... say this, by the way. The, the, weakest, the single weakest bit of this game is the tiny, is the tiny, tiny, and it is a tiny, tiny, the tiny, tiny amount of modern-day Assassin's Creed bullshit that there is. There, I hate everything about the modern-day shit, because I understand it, and then there's, like, these... The, the side quest line where, like, you have to switch back to Layla and, like, Go platform on these holographic puzzle things up to it. Mercilessly, they are few and far between. But that that speaks to exactly what I'm getting at, where it's almost an Assassin's Creed game to its detriment. If this had just been marketed as a new IP and it's like, here's Ubisoft's answer to The Witcher 3, people would have gone, oh. Yeah. 
I, I can see myself immediately, as shallow as it might be, if this was called Valhalla from Ubisoft, immediately mm-hmm. being a little bit more sympathetic to it. Like, and rather than just, oh, it's just Assassin's Creed. I love Neo 2. I welcome any anyone else want to come into my corner, or are we are we edging ourselves out here? No. See, uh, uh, so yeah, with Assassin's Creed, just when I hear the the word Ubisoft game, it just it just pains. Like I'm just so sick of their formula. I haven't played Valhalla yet, so maybe just have you played uh, Have you played Origins or Odyssey? I've played quite a bit of Origins and quite a bit of Odyssey, and I think I've just have to come to the conclusion. I'm just not a massive fan of this new direction. Like it just, it, they just don't grip me. They're too big. They're overstuffed. The stories are okay. Um, I kind of liked the old Assassin's Creed quite a lot. Like I, I loved the second one all the way to Unity, to be honest. And then as soon as I know Unity's like the the Black Plague of that of that series, but I, I think. Personally, for me, I'd go Neo too. I'd give it Just, a Neo as well. Yeah, I'm still going with Neo. Oh man, with my vote, oh, okay. that makes us four votes for Neo, and I just that feels bad because Alex just gave us like a really interesting thing that made me interested in Valhalla. I mean, man, that's the way it is. I was really surprised to hear three people just rattle off Neo still there. Man, this is the toughest edging from the top five I think we've had. Well, Man. we also had Trails by the Third a few years ago. That was also very similar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So it looks like a tiny little thin hair splits the top five between, and again, they're not ordered, but the last one to be deliberated into and out of was Neo 2 and Assassin's Creed 5A and 5B. <laughs> All right. Man, I feel bad because I'm interested in Valhalla now. I truly, genuinely am. I own it, and I need to actually get around to playing it. <laughs> and All right. Like, how wrong you guys were alex is gonna bring like additional help next year just to like right. combat in his corner all right <laughs> well that's why we have seven of us so we have an odd number of people and something has to win never come into game of the year discussion single-handed <laughs> all right so for our top 10 this is how it splits for our top five games of the year we have final fantasy 7 remake yakuza like a dragon Hades, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, and Neo 2. In our bottom five of the top 10, those that made it into the top 10 but not into the top five are Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Moon, Wasteland 3, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, and Fey Tactics. Still, what a list. And now we have to pick from those top five games and pick an overall winner. Now, to just just a, just a Neo can't win. Like, right, obviously. Neo Neo was such a fringe top five that I think it has to stay in the top five. So again, it's not ordered. This is not game number five, but I think we're taking Neo to. I think it's a fantastic game, but it's not RPG of the year. <sighs> okay, I'll just start off with something maybe controversial. I, I don't think Hades should win, not because of its quality, but just because. It's almost like not RPG enough to call RPG of the year. It's it is very lightly an RPG, and it's extremely good quality and an extremely good game. But I just feel like, just for genre, like ordering purposes alone, I don't think it can be the winner. 
I think I, by that metric, then it'd be down to Final Fantasy VII Remake and Yakuza. Then, if we're like, okay, because yeah, Thirteen but, Sentinels isn't really RPG enough. Think about it like this: if Thirteen Sentinels was uh, told linearly, and there were these RTS battles uh, spread throughout the adventure section, kind of like as, as a one-off, would that be more make it more of an RPG than just because? Of its unique structure, because in this RTS battle, you still level up things. You still have to level your terminal. You do acquire currency to level up your characters. Your you character get skills that skills. you set and everything, right? Yes, yes. Well, you get I'm just saying, Hades deserves a spot up there with 13 Sentinels and doesn't like deserve to like just saying that it's not RPG enough is with that logic. Saying 13 Sentinels is not RPG enough. I'm not saying. I mean, this is this is one of those weird things where we kind of have to give our our genre scope focus of our website into consideration these days. Yeah. <laughs> so to that measure, um, it, as I'd say, I'm probably the the forefront for Hades, but I I would accept that. I think it has done amazing to receive the attention it has from our site. Like I I'm I'm so proud to have like talked about it as much as I have. I think it's fantastic and essential and i love it but if we're talking rpg of the year uh i love yakuza like a dragon so much man i that game it's I, got its problems and i think it can be improved but i would well, say the fact same. that you've already said those things like i keep going back to how we mentioned how yakuza like a dragon 2 or whatever you want to call it yakuza 8 yakuza 7-2 could be amazing we've already talked about like the story pitfalls for yakuza like a dragon and how it has some kind of first pass muddiness or unevenness. And again, we are totally nitpicking at this point completely to the nth degree. But I look at those things like Yakuza and I'm like, RPG of the year. I think I love that game. I cried it, at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it comes Yakuza up like just it. short. Yakuza like Yakuza is like, it's definitely one of those games. that's like, it's greater than the sum of its parts because if you're, if you're taking like aspects of it individually, like you can see its shortcomings, but yeah, like uh, yeah. I also. I'm the just end. coming back to. I'm just coming back to. Played Yakuza, enjoyed Yakuza, enjoyed the combat. Um, some of the systems I feel were a tad underbaked. It's sort of like um, it's a bit disappointing that Ichiban's best class is totally just his starting place. Things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and and Eri is, you know, they've got this party member who's cool, but is just completely unintegrated with the story. And um, I feel a bit shortchanged by that. You know, if, if Final Fantasy seven can slide in dialogue for Yuffie and Vincent into, into, you know, scenes in nineteen ninety seven, I don't understand why we've got a silent protagonist who doesn't appear in cutscene in certain cutscenes, but then appears in others and all that guff. These elements like that, that sort of dent Yakuza for me a bit. So um, to to counter that, which I all of it is completely true. Like every time you said one of them, I was like, "Yeah, that's true, that's true." Uh, I would then go to remake, which again is a game I really love. I personally am now batting for that, but I would say that has almost as many shortcomings. Like I would say, the sewer, well, it, the it's got and the side quests stuff like there's that. There's the sewer chapter. There's the side quests. But the flip side I will say about that game is Yakuza, perhaps because it's their first attempt, is a relatively straight-laced by the numbers to like traditional turn-based battle system. Yeah. The thing about and it's it's good and it especially 
the the thing the places where like dragon really impresses is like where the the yakuza gameplay systems are allowed to sort of creep into that so like i love the way that you can dynamically pick up stuff based on your position and so sometimes you might hold off pressing the attack button until your character naturally drifts a little bit closer to that bicycle or or uh or traffic cone or whatever um but the, the thing that when i look at this list and when i think about you know the game of the year the thing i think about is i couldn't stop doing that final fantasy 7 remake combat i did every challenge even even those vr combat simulator ones that got a bit silly and got a bit frustrating i did every single thing that there was to do in that game I agree Every with last the drop of it, that, and I never do that shit. I I am not a one hundred percent person ever. I, but in FF7 remake, I did everything, and yeah, it's because I, I loved that combat. I guess I, to solidify, like why I would rank Yakuza like a dragon, like below like FF7 remake and Thirteen Sentinels. Is and uh, sorry, Colin, I will go a little bit into spoilers, not only for this game but for past games as well. Of Yakuza. well, wait a second. I think we've reached a consensus almost here that. It's between these two? Yeah. I just want to air it out that, like, when I talk to, you know, other friends who are big Yakuza fans like me, like, who have played through the games and went through this journey with Kiryu and whatnot, and up to this point, it's, like, everything that, like, kind of is for, like, the veteran, like, addressing, like, veteran content in Yakuza Like a Dragon, it's, like, uh, it's just a lot of us, like, air our group grievances of like man they really shouldn't have like reintroduced this character again after already having like a definitive like supposed end uh, of this character at this like you know past game and whatnot like it's one of those things like, it, uh, some revelations in in like a dragon like undermines things that were already supposed to be done with in pre- previous yakuza games it's kind of it's kind of and in some cases like has weird like returning characters that like don't act that the way that you used to. Like it kind of betrays what you think of that character was when they established them early in the series. I uh now now we seem down to the wire. Uh and for me personally the the three games going into this that I always knew I was gonna bat for were going to be Final Fantasy VII Remake, Hades and Yakuza Like a Dragon. So I, I'm I'm already very happy. Um but I think in terms, I, the thing is, it's very difficult to talk on this because I know I haven't played 13 Sentinels and I feel like that's a disservice to saying, oh, hey, yeah, like this one wins, obviously, because I, you guys seem so passionate about it. But then Remake, to me, not only was it a fantastic game, but it seems like a moment in gaming history to me. As cliche as that sounds, I look back and I think about the impact that game had and and what it's going to be next. I, I remember when I finished it, I said, to me, this is the the MCU of gaming, how they're going to do the next few parts. It's that big of an event for me, personally. Um, so I'm I'm saying Remake, personally. I would also say Remake, since I, I've played both of these, and I really love 13 Sentinels. Remake had higher highs, and I'm still, like, I'm still thinking about Remake right now. I... I'm in I'm in George's boat where I've not played 13 Sentinels and unfortunately it just seems like knowing my taste having played games for two decades and knowing my taste I just don't 
I feel this feels so improper to say because I haven't played it, but I just don't see it as a sort of game I would enjoy. But I don't want to hold that against it. I don't want to say like therefore it doesn't deserve it because that's, that's absolutely wrong. Authorization vote, right? Like uh, there's more people that played FF7 remake, and technically, to a lot of people, Thirteen Settles Ages Rim is not considered their quote unquote like definition of an RPG. Well, here's so here's where here is the other shoe on my end. Like I've already voiced kind of my my more lukewarm takes on Final Fantasy VII remake. Like I had, I had a, I had a, a decent list of is- issues. Is overstating it. I had a dis. Like I played that game, and I just it didn't stick with me. I enjoyed Neo Two more. I enjoyed Wasteland Three more. I enjoyed Fate Tactics more. But those games have already been placed. So I look at these top two games remaining: Final Fantasy VII Remake and Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim, and I don't really feel like I should cast a vote because i'd be casting a vote for a game that i have some grievances with against a game i haven't played it just feels improper to me so that's my yeah. stance this is it's, it's, it's like the impossible decision because like i i, th- I think that i think to a lot of people already it's like the the, the case has already been made, been made for ff7 remake uh, because more people have played it here that's that's the reason well, not necessarily though, because that's not mine. I just liked it more. Like, I I think that it's it's a difficult situation, but like there are like like the people who like FF Seven Remake here, they like they really like it, and I get that. Like Thirteen Sentinels is like you two love it, you two love it to death, and I really enjoy it. But like when I think of like I, I don't know when I think about Game of the Year between these two, I think what did I like more? That's like the main thing I'm it's coming down to for me. And personally, I just 13 Sentinels did not come together in the end in a perfect way for me. Have a seven to make did the same for me. I don't think that's fair. That's fair. This is right in the same boat as Brian, where like it's not just that I haven't played 13 Sentinels, just like knowing my tastes, I, I don't think it's the type of game that I would really go out of my way to play. So I sort of have to just accept or you know trust what Josh and James have to say about it, as well as Colin. So it, I kind of feel like it seems like for what it does, it's really good. It's just not my type of game. But I haven't played it, so I don't know that for sure. It's just like remake. That's yeah. the thing. So uh-huh. this is that's what's going to be. It's 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 annoying though because it's like it almost feels anticlimactic for remake to win on numbers when I feel like it. Does it deserves to win on more than that? Not because Thirteen Sentinels doesn't, but because Remake is a fantastic game. And to say like, oh yeah, like it's one on numbers, almost feels like ah, oh, you know, it kind of like, takes away from like why someone would say f- Remake deserves to win their game of the year. I guess is what George is saying. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here for like thirty minutes an hour saying like why Thirteen Sentinels should win. That's like one of those things. It's like. I think we made the argument for why we think it should win when we were talking about it right at the beginning of the uh, cast and the writing. Yeah, we've come full circle to these two games. But I do think Final Fantasy VII Remake's combat is really good. Uh, We've sort of touched on this briefly. I am more lukewarm on Final Fantasy VII's structure in terms of its very linear, cinematic, set-piece sort of style and kind of these segmented quests that aren't so great. But the combat is really good. Like I haven't—I don't know if I've stated that outright and directly, but I really do like its combat. So, like that's that's a plus for me. Hmm. Like I said, I did every. I, I totally agree. Like you know, the elements of the structure of FF7 remake are 
an issue. It's one of those things where um, you can see the design straining up against the current consoles in a sense. That was a game that knew the limits of the current consoles and worked within them. Like I say, I did absolutely everything in the in the game. And I have for most of the year, and I played through it twice, and I have for most of the year been dying to play it again. But I haven't because I'm just waiting for the next-gen version or the PC version. I, I'm kind of of two minds of like things. Like, for example, when you go to like the 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 underground, I forget which which reactor it is, Reactor 5 or whatever. When you go to like that little underground area dungeon before then... It's very obviously like this is where they're stretching the story a bit, and so it's it's, it's on on one hand it's sort of poor on that front, but on another hand, you, because of that, there's like more combat in that section. But you know, so, like, but I you know like what? It. Also, that section where you're turning the lights on and off, it's not the most incredible thing in the world, but it's probably one of the better winding dungeons, quote unquote, in modern Final Fantasy yeah. that they've done in the respect that although you are on a pretty linear path going from light to light, it doesn't feel like it. And I like the Which combat. So like you're, it's, the... you're doing a sequence of battles, and I actually prefer that over like a sequence of cutscenes. So <laughs> it's kind of like a mixed thought. I want to hear like James's have... thoughts on uh, 13 Sentinels, just because we've heard, we've heard Josh recently uh, talk well, about I it. Basically, I, the thing is, I basically said all I had to say like, In the earlier. Section? Yeah, yeah and, I, and it's not like I can really say anything about... FF7 remake because I'm on record. The only Final Fan numbered Final Fantasy I've played is 14. I only played it this year. Like I wish I had something to say, like in response, because like I don't want to just callously say, "Oh, I want to discard Final Fantasy 7 remake," because well, I haven't played it. I really like that. Like on the record, I like FF7 remake a lot more than I thought I would would have. You know, and I think it's really fascinating the way that they like reinvented that that game. But at the same time, like this whole Sentinels, thing- there's nothing like it. That's basically what it comes down to is that there's mm-hmm. there's many, many, many games that release every year. And there's just for as much as you can say about the art, it being like a another vanillaware project, first off, like despite the fact that deferred on it for the art style, I think it's probably for my money, the best looking game this year. For How? the soundtrack, it's fantastic. The gameplay, it's not as unique as some of her games have come out, but it's still really, really good. And the story, it just, just there's something about the story that just the way it's told and what it's trying to say and how it all comes together. I know that Colin thinks that the ending was disappointing and that didn't, even if it was like wasn't wrapped up in a neat bow, it just didn't do everything that he necessarily wanted it to do. But I can't disagree more. I feel like the ending and particularly that extra cutscene is what sells that game's themes. It sells what that game is as a piece of literary work. And I and I'd even go as far as to say is that there's not really any section of that story or any of those characters that I would cut because I feel like all of it is pretty damn integral to the themes of the game as a whole. Okay. I'm I'm in a similar position now as I was Last year was Saga, Scarlet Grace. I, I, these are both games I have not played and have only heard very good things about. And I'm, I'm, I, I, my personal vote is remake. But I would kind of love to see Thirteen Sentinels win on the fact, and in the same way Saga, Scarlet Grace won last year. Just how passionate some people are about it. Like it just, th- there is a part of me that really wants that to win. You know, like it's hard for me to like like see remake like 
come out on top personally, in my opinion, because this is with the, with this, this is all all with a concession. Like there's a remake part one. I don't know. Like, I just I just don't think I just don't think that is relevant. Like I don't know how people keep getting caught up on this because yeah, it's really at not. the end of the day, it's its own it's its own complete game. You know, it's is lengthy. It? it has it's lengthy. It has a story. Okay, let's put it this way: if if this wasn't a remake of Final Fantasy VII and this was just a new Final Fantasy game, it wouldn't. You wouldn't be saying that. You only you are only saying that because you know the original story and you know how it ends. It's like saying, it's like it's like saying about Mass Effect One or Mass Effect Two. Well, it ends on a cliffhanger. So what is this bullshit? It's part one. It just doesn't track to me at all. Like what they have, what what they did. And to be fair, this is the thing. It could have ended up the way that you say, but I just don't think it did. I think they did build something that is its own complete start to finish experience. I think people who have played the game, the original can enjoy it. People who haven't played the original can enjoy it. I think you probably do get more out of it. In fact, I know you do get more out of it if you've played the original, but I know plenty of people who haven't, who have played this well, and fallen in love with the world in the same sort of way. Um, and like I say, the, the shortcomings that it has, I don't think are as bad as people as people might be inclined to, to to think in many ways. Like you know, the side quests are, you know, relative in those side quest chapters, they are relatively basic, but also they're not offensive. And like I say, I did them and enjoyed them twice. There's some nice story details in them, so it's sort of things like you know. Let's take, uh, well, I don't know, what chapter is it? Chapter three, right? The interesting thing about those side quests, this comes back to the writing debate from earlier, is the side quests are slightly naff. So when it is asking you to go and find cats and all that sort of stuff, you're like, Ugh. but at the same time, the interesting thing is all that stuff serves a fairly interesting purpose in the respect that over the course of that, it fleshes out Cloud and Tifa's relationship in a way that it never was in the original game even with the original game's complete runtime. You learn a little bit more about them, about the way they talk to each other. You get a better handle of what their history is without them actively saying their history, whereas in the original game, it was more of a tell-not-show thing. Where so you're, but you're, saying, you're saying that like to treat it as one separate thing, you keep like comparing it back to the original. No, but no, but around, because what, it's fighting on that legacy of like, okay, we're going to make good and like fleshing it. No, but I don't. This is the thing, you know. Okay, split it off from the original game. All I was saying there by invoking the original game was it does that better than the original game did. Now, the, so all and all I'm saying is, is those side quests serve a purpose in that sense. Same thing for, I think it's chapter eight or nine, whatever. They actually repeat that trick again with Aerith, where you can either, you can not do that content and you still know her plenty well through the cutscenes you get. But if you take the time to do that content, you get a far better feel for that relationship, a far better feel for who she is, a far better feel for the world she lives in. And I'm not, I'm not saying that some of the game doesn't have some padding, quote-unquote. But the thing is, I feel like I got to know and understand that world better. Yeah, you're saying I keep mentioning the original game, but this is one of those things. Do I think it stands as a standalone game? Yes, absolutely. Do But can I talk about it without 
invoking the original game not particularly especially when the counter argument is oh well it's just part one of a story of, of, of a larger story so it's like chapter eight has a lot of iffy side quests depending on how how you look at it and from what direction you're coming at it can feel like padding but my counter to that argument is the locations in which chapter eight takes place are a whole lot of nothing in the original game. And what's really interesting is they managed to take that and really turn it into something, something that has a story impact, something that has an impact on the characters, something that has interesting battle encounters with, in many cases, with enemies that are just trash mobs in the original game that are now interesting and have unique battle patterns in the remake. And it's in these manners that I think it really steps up to the plate in terms of demonstrating that it isn't just a remake, that it is a reimagining, that it does take this world further, that it does do more. You know, a lot of the stuff I talked about there is narrative, but like I say, the, the real, the real star of the game is that it has this excellent mix of turn-based and traditional combat that I think is really comfortable for people who aren't into action games, but also really natural for people who are into action games and for everyone in the middle. So it's sort of like that thing of it's got the Kingdom Hearts style shortcuts, but I never used those. I quite enjoyed just using the A to just, you know, using the A to B whenever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to execute special commands. But also I know people who played it pretty much as a turn-based game. And I think that is just remarkable. And I feel like all of that stuff outweighs the issues, whether it's the door, whether it's, uh, <laughs> whether it's, Leslie. you know, the quality of some of the side quests, like this is the thing. Some of the side quests are naff, but at least a lot of them lead to quite unique fights, whether that's unique in terms of having a unique enemy or unique in terms of having a unique composition of enemies that makes for a really interesting battle. I, uh, I feel like in, it's a different game and the original Final Fantasy seven is a masterpiece if this this probably is going to sound like a contradiction because it, it it is off the lips, but hopefully you understand what I mean when I say this. It's not a better game than the original Final Fantasy VII, but <laughs> it does a lot of things better. It does many things better than the original game, even within its quote-unquote reduced scope. Although, like I say, it's it's breadth versus depth right and i'm just talking about story here because i think i think the, the, the combat is plenty deep but it's it's a more shallow pool that they are swimming in but that pool is so much wider and there's so much more to see and do and that's where i get hooked up on this game really george i'm I interested in hearing your response to like you who has not played the original you play the game you see the ending I guess I won't. I won't preempt to try to color your impression. Like, what are you? Just what? What is your takeaway when you when you finish the game and see the credits? So I actually, I, this is what I was going to say. The the argument of it, its legacy and how it stands up to that, and it being its own game, I guess, makes me good to talk about this because I don't really have a coloring of the original game. All of my impressions of Final Fantasy kind of come from Kingdom Hearts or just don't exist at all until basically now in fifteen. Uh, and I think it's standard. It standard stood really well as its own game. Like I, I didn't have those moments of like, oh, maybe this is a callback to this, or maybe they're going to go this way and do this here. I know it deviates from the original quite, quite massively in the end, but I loved it. I like the story. I feel like we really did skip past the gameplay when we've talked about remake until now, but the the gameplay is fantastic. Uh, 
the little shortcomings I have with it, I, you know, I can kind of get over like the, the side quest stuff and some section of it feeling a bit padded. I don't feel like that takes away from the game itself. Uh, and I, I admit that a lot of what I love about it is also hope for what it's going to do next. But I feel like that's the case in any game. Like, like earlier we talked about like a dragon, we said, Oh, it's going to be fantastic. The sequel's going to improve on everything. Like, I think that's just a normal response. Obviously with remake is a bit different because you do know a basic idea of what's to come next, but I think it stands on its own personally. Um, huh. If I can make a counter argument, well, not really a counter argument. I feel one of 13 Sentinel's greatest strengths is the fact that you aren't really left wondering what else can be said in this universe. It's real. It's quite literally a game that says all that it needs to say, wraps it up in a bow and you're comfortable with that. There's okay, not yeah. enough stories that real that really do that these days, I feel like. And I actually really appreciate the 13 Sentinels with how large of a scope it has. And again, I I feel like we really do need to hammer home the fact that this is a game that literally everyone playing it is going to experience it in a slightly different way. But the vast, vast majority of people come away agreeing that the, that they absolutely nail the intertwining storylines and the non-linearity and it just it does land like even colon like you have problems with parts of the ending but you still like the ending is still fine even yeah if- but like I, I don't know like i just i i will say right here i feel like you guys have been very quick to shut me up on all of my I, criticisms I, 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 of the game. I didn't, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I don't mean for it to come across. No, that it, way. It's fine. I, I'm just, I'm just saying clear cut. I, I like 13 Sentinels. I think it's amazing that it's made top five at all. It definitely deserves it. But I, I feel the way to go about this is not to say, well, you liked final fantasy seven, but you didn't play this. So you don't, that means you, your like of final fantasy seven doesn't matter. What? I, no, I like I just you're trying to like say that like oh it's you know winning by numbers or whatever but I think that the arguments for Final Fantasy 7 all usually have to do with this as a game on its own and as the one of the people here who have played both to completion I have played I, both to my friend No, I I know this. I'm just saying like I I just feel that Final Fantasy 7 remake got more emotion out of me the gameplay was better and the what it does and the themes it takes even like not the stuff that's setting up other games it was just a bit more thought-provoking for me i think my my thing is and and i'm not saying that because so i have played both but i have not played 13 sentinels to completion um for me i think the, the reason that i didn't end up playing 13 sentinels to completion was largely because i just didn't get dragged by the didn't get dragged in by the the, the strategy the real time strategy component the actual game component as much not nearly I, as much um but and that's just me that's just me i, I love real time strategy games don't. but it just yeah uh, but maybe that's the problem is that i love i'm, I'm not being rude when i say this because people will be mad when i say this phrase it this way maybe part of the problem is that i grew up on a lot of pc games and i sort of like real Real, real-time strategy games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's completely fair. I feel like... But, and, and that was why... And that was part of the problem for me. I was enjoying the story, but I really struggled to to, to, to just be asked, be bothered about that combat. 
to, to come back around to FF7, for me, it just comes down to this thing of they could have, there were easy routes with this game. There were five or six different ways they could have done it that would have been uninspired and bland and easy. And what is really, um, 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 what just blows me down is they had some balls. They went for it. They went for it and nailed it. They also threaded the needle in the sense that it's the first Final Fantasy game in fucking 15 years to not go off some mad path and end up going too far and end up falling afoul of itself. And that's, that's almost like very I'm, true. I'm I'm willing to I'm almost willing to overlook some of the side some of the some of the small smaller issues like you know I think the big sticking point is the side quest right and, and a little bit of the pacing because that stuff shows them it, it, it is demonstrative of them taking a step back and going okay what can we accomplish and by doing that they haven't compromised in the other areas so the reason the story nails and lands so perfectly the reason why the the core casks look so good look so gorgeous are the as i said earlier on many hours ago the best character models of the generation for my money is because they said right well you know in order to do this you know we're going to have to do side quests in a simple way so we can't do midgars and open worlds so how about this we'll do some chapters are going to be roller coaster rides that are just point A to B to C. Some chapters are going to be semi-open, but in much smaller areas. And some chapters are going to be mini open world to side quests and stuff like that. And I actually think that structure is really, really clever and, and, and really well executed in that game. I don't think they'll do it again because I think that structure fit Midgar. But it's, it's this thing of like, it just feels like this perfect storm and it's, I don't know, it, there's many, many things about it that I absolutely love. I absolutely adore that it is like the correct expression of the ideas that they tried to get out in Final Fantasy 13 and couldn't quite get right. You can see the lineage of that game as well as lessons learned as a company from 15. Obviously, it's a different team. I was the person above all else. You can probably go back and listen to literally last year's version of this podcast going into the year i was like this is going to be a fucking disaster i'm sure of it and i was hearing stuff behind the scenes of like you know hearing stuff from development about what the game was going to be like and i was hearing it and going this sounds fucked the astonishing thing that still blows my mind to this day you know six eight months later is that all those things that were described to me and on paper in a text message or a WhatsApp message or an email or whatever sounded a bit naff turned out to fit together really well. And so, yeah, they threaded the needle and it just, it just astonishes me that they managed to do it. So I feel like we're at a point where we have some, well, I guess I was going to say we have some immovable stances, which is perfectly fine. Go ahead, Josh. There's a clear winner. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's 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 make sure that we know for certain. And I know it feels a bit reductive, but I think we have clearly a top two unofficially. We have to pick one. We have seven people in chat. We have to decide between Final Fantasy VII Remake and Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim. Don't vote for the one you think is going to win. Vote for the one that you would pick between these two. All right, Alex. Between these two. I think you made your point clear, but here's a here's a chance to, to make it Yeah, it's 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 Final <laughs> Fantasy Seven. All right. Colin? 
These are both amazing games. I love both of them. I love Final Fantasy VII just a bit more. George? Melody of Memory. Uh, yeah, remake. Uh, I I loved hearing the argument for Sentinels, and it, I, I wish I was more interested in RTS gameplay, but I'm not. In comparison, remake I really, really loved, so I think. All right, Josh? Sentinels. I'm going to vote for Final Fantasy VII Remake just on the strength of its combat system being stellar. Uh, Adam? I'm being true to myself. I've always been more of a systems person, a gameplay person, and that's really the main reason I haven't played Sentinels, just it doesn't offer that, and it's just not for me, so I have to pick Remake. And James? I'm going to pick Sentinels, but I am sure as hell way more excited to finally play uh, Remake uh, sometime, hopefully next year. All right, and maybe this is a bit poetic. that These are the two games we had to decide with between at the top. <laughs> For the writing section and here we are deciding between them again for our rpg of the year but the votes are in the tallies are counted and we have picked final fantasy 7 remake as rpg sites rpg of the year for 2020 though we did hear some passionate arguments for 13 sentinels aegis rim along with moon yakuza like a dragon and so many other great titles I feel like going into this cast, you kind of feel like maybe this is the last year of a console generation. Maybe it's a down year. I don't know if anyone feels that way. And the fact how hard it was to get to 10, to to get even to 10, to get to five and to get to one, every single one of those benchmarks was in a way almost excruciating, (laughs) man. Yeah, I feel like I feel like last year was definitely a stronger year overall for RPGs, but I, I feel like a lot of the games kind of hit around the same level this year, you know? So it's harder to kind of pick between them. So many good games. Man, and then you can see why these deliberations are always just so difficult. I feel like I owe it to everyone in here to play some of the games. Like, I haven't played Hades. I, I need to. I feel like all these other, like Valhalla, I want to get to. Obviously, 13 Sentinels. I'm going to go back just... and try and get into 13 Sentinels again, even though, like I say, I just struggled. I've just struggled so hard with that combat. It's one of those games where you suffer through that bit in order to get to the story bit. And I used to play a lot of games like that when I was a teenager. And increasingly now, I I just can't justify doing it. I have to love all aspects of a game, or at least most of them. I find it poetic that for two years in a row, we gave a Square Enix RPG game of the year based off the strength of its combat system. (laughs) I uh, I wish I liked like again I I feel like a crazy person for going like not not even going against Thirteen Sentinels it's just because it's a game I I spent like for three days I spent ten hours on like binging it and it is everything that someone like me would usually love and I do love it it's just there were there were like too many good games this year <laughs> it's just a boundary condition of the site. We you can't right. ask a lot of us treat this this is a a hobbyist volunteer in our spare time. We can't play seventy RPGs to completion. That's just impossible. We twenty five well, I mean, RPGs uh, to completion. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's 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 start tying a bow on this. All right. So as I've mentioned, we have we have decided our RPG of the year twenty twenty to Final Fantasy VII remake. What a game! And then in rounding out our top five, we've got Thirteen Sentinels, Aegis Rim. Yakuza Like a Dragon, Hades, and Neo 2. Rounding out our top 10, 
We've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Moon, Wasteland 3, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, and Fey Tactics. So these have been some passionate, sometimes heated, or just getting there, deliberations, discussions, holding our ground, some a few concessions as necessary along the way. But I hope lots that anyone... Indie, uh, lots of indie representation this year, which is nice to see. It's been a good yeah, year for across the spectrum, single A, double A, triple A, whatever you want to use for your categories. And then again, to go over the category award winners, we've got for our category award winner for writing and storytelling was 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, the best art of 2020, Star Renegades, best music, Final Fantasy VII Remake, best design and immersion, Hades, best ongoing support, Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Best non-RPG, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And the best re-release of Persona 5 Royal. If you have made it to the end of this several hour long deliberation, I just want to say, man, thanks for sticking it out with us. I hope that when you look at our published list and you listen to this podcast, you can kind of see exactly the difficult road it was to, to end up coming with the list that we ended up with it's not easy and it never is it's just you can kind of see that we could hold this podcast again tomorrow we're not thank god (laughs) but come up with a slightly different place just because there is it's it's hard to to kind of have to take something that we feel so strongly about all these rpgs and then have to rank them and pick winners and losers And then we will have this feature, of course, along with the other features that we mentioned, your player's choice for the best RPG of 2020. We will also have your most anticipated for 2021, along with our staff most anticipated for 2021. And then, of course, keep your eye out. This depends on uh, the time you're listening to this, but we will have that survey for RPG site, what you think of the site, what you think of the social feed, et cetera, all of that. We do encourage you to fill that out. Let us know your feedback. We don't often get a lot of avenues to get your direct feedback. So if you've listened, if you if you're with us to the end of this podcast, we'd love to hear what you think, especially from you most of all. Uh, I want to thank all seven of you, including myself, for participating and mortgaging <laughs> your evening to this these deliberations. So thank you, Alex, for always being such a great mentor to all of us, for being a a good boss and a good a good beacon Thanks, for all well, of us. Thank you guys, because like. You know, we've had a we've killed it this year, in my opinion. Um, it's been a record-breaking year for the site in many ways. Um, and yeah, I'm pumped for next year. I think we're going to have some really exciting stuff, both announced and hopefully unannounced, if stuff hasn't slipped. And then uh, I want to thank everyone else for joining. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, George. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Adam, and thank you, James. And thank you, Brian, for hosting as well. I was I was yeah, hoping if I paused yes, that someone me. would say yeah, that. Thanks. And if no one did, I was going to like just cry at the awkwardness. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for, for picking up on that uh, nonverbal communication. So we will obviously work diligently to get these published. Obviously, by the time you see and hear this podcast, we will have all these features up on the site. I would say look forward to it, but you're probably looking at it right now. And we... Hope to see so much exciting stuff from 2021 with the new consoles, new RPGs in the work. Obviously, we'll have our anticipated to really nail down expected highlights for the year. Depending on the time you're listening to this, I I will just say I hope you either have or 
had a great holiday season. I know it's been a difficult year, but stay safe, stay healthy, do what you need to. And you will hear more from us next year from a podcast like this, from our site, from our social feeds, from our YouTube channel. We're excited with what we have in store. So thank you so much for listening and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thanks, everyone.